No! No! Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. And you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Hey everybody, how you doing? Hello, how you doing? Looks like Twitch uh, glitched for a little bit during the intro. Twitch? No, that's that's the show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
not coming through the uh wow let's try that again testes one two testes 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 ovary and out okay so yeah my microphone was not being picked up uh through obs but we're here and uh, get used to it. So I said hi to John Lowry. I said hi to Mark Bosley. Did I say hi to you, Mark Bosley? I did, right? Yes, you did. Okay. And then uh, Alan Murphy, did I say hi to you? Okay. You just did. You just did. Howdy. Hi, Alan Murphy. Uh, our foreign correspondent and co-creator of the Ease of Use Project, L. Curtis Boyle, is here. Thank you, L. Curtis. Okay. And from Ron's Garage, it's Ron Delvo. Hello, Ron. Hello. Rick Eulens here. He's wearing his proudly sporting his OS9 gear. All right. And uh, the world's, uh, everyone's favorite uh, game host segment, uh, Nick Marota. Nick Marota. Nick Marota is here. Hello, Hello Nick. Stevie. All right. Hey, Stevie. Legendary game designer, owner of multiple exotic sports cars, Nick Morentes is here. Hey, everyone. <laughs> and James Diffendaffer is here, too. How are you doing, James? He's doing about well. There we go. Greetings, everyone. Saying about as good as my microphone was doing before, right? And so getting back to what I was also saying earlier when my microphone wasn't working, but Kevin Holloway was one of the first people who joined us early. Definitely got the worm for being the early bird. Canadian Retro Things is out there. Daddy Burrito is out there. Sixie Karen is there. Jim Rye. Mikey is here. Uh, Canadian Retro Things. Tom Eric Gunderson is here. Daddy Burrito. Uh, I, my favorite is Mama Enchilada. Frederick D. Provincia is here. And uh, Scott Cooper. We got all kinds of people uh, watching us live. Thank you, and we're sorry. Um, so we got a great show. We're going to be talking about the latest update of Nitrous 9 Ease of Use. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, we've got some game on results for use peoples. We got all kinds of things. What else was on my to-do list? How about we do this? We do have a couple of updates um, on some of our segments. So one of the things is um, who's new to Discord this week and, and also the Coco map, something that we forget to remind people about sometimes, but we do have that Coco map. And so I was recently given an update from Salvador Garcia. We have someone in South America, all the way in Colombia, joining the Coco map. So how about we take a look at who's new to Discord this week and who's new to the Coco map? And we'll be right back after that, boys and girls. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, who's new to Discord this week. Please welcome Tech Per Eric, who says, Hi, my name is Per Eric, and I live in Norway. This Discord server has been mentioned several places when looking for information as to using my modded FD500 and Coco SDC on my Dragon 32. Hoping to learn more about the TRS-80 and Dragon computers. Philippe says, Hello everyone, this seems like a busy place. My name is Philippe from Belgium. Bill says, Hi, my name is Bill. I've taken up retro computing as my new COVID hobby. The YouTube algorithm pointed me to Coco Talk Live a few weekends ago, and that's how I found this group. Cloud Pirate Marcus says, I'm on the board of the University of Saskatchewan Computer Museum, and I'm interested in retro computing in general. Cheers. Smacky Tacky Fedro says, Hey, my name is Fedro, and like Bill, I came into the retro computing hobby because of COVID. Reaching out to this group for advice and to share experiences. You guys came to the right place. Also, a special thanks to all of our Coco Talk patrons, Paul Fiscarelli and Terry Steggy, for boosting the Discord server. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. 
See y'all on Discord! Let's take a look at who's new to the Coco World Map this week. Please welcome Jose Antonio Vacabello from Ibagué, Colombia. Welcome to the Coco World Map, Jose. If you'd like to be added to the Coco World Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and to see where your other fellow coconuts live around the world, check out the Coco Map at map.cocotalk.live and we'll see you all on the Coco World Map. All right, there we have it. We've just covered those things that needed to be covered. Um, and because Brian Weasler is not joining us today, he's on the road, actually. I and mean, I believe he's on the road to acquire more things because the guy just doesn't have enough cocoa content uh, right now. So um, I think there's only one update and acquisition. I think it's just me. So it should be brief, and then we'll move right on to Game On results. And so um, can you guys see my screen? Yes. All right. So what I'm showing you here on my screen here, this is the new development environment that um, that uh, Eric Canales is working on. So it's called Dev 609, and it lets you develop in BASIC and assembly. I'm actually just threw together a real quick project in BASIC, but what you'll notice is it looks like uh, an editor. It's got keyword highlighting and stuff like that. You can indent your code to a degree and you don't need line numbers for a lot of things so it does some kind of cool things so this is literally you're looking at all of the source code for a real quick and dirty proof of concept uh, version of my kabam game that i've been working on so that's the source code and then when you press f5 it comes up in the uh the thing the kids these days call mame um and then this is firing up mame and then this is going to run my program, and then I'll just show you what I've been working on. I spent throwing a few hours over a few weeks into this, and um, it's real simple, real dirty, but it works, and it's a great proof of concept to test a project in a development environment. So this is Kabam SG, the semi-graphics version of my Kabam game that I'm working on for the Coco VGA. And this, this was really inspired to me by like what all the guys in the MC10 space have been doing with the semi-graphics mode and making stuff look amazing. And what Erico has been doing in the semi-graphics space where he's actually got animated guys fighting in cities and stuff. And so with very few pixels, the people have done some amazing things. And then there's this, what I've done. But uh, <laughs> so what you're going to see here is uh, real simple. The bombs are falling and you catch the bombs or you don't catch the bomb. And then in between that, it kind of shows you what your score is and what the high score is, and then you repeat until you run out of lives. But um, for this being in basic, the speed is uh, is fairly good, you know? Um, it's using the high-speed poke, which speeds up the basic ROM, but, uh, you know, it'll um, handle eight bombs at the same time, and the falling speed is, is good. So um, this is a real quick and dirty kind of proof of concept, but it's just doing something in semi-graphics, and I, I kind of like the way these bombs look in semi-graphics. It's, it's got an interesting uh, kind of appeal to it. But literally, this is all there is to see. So if, I, if nobody has any further questions, I'll, I'll end your misery. But um, this is my current project update. Questions, comments, concerns, or take it away? It's looking good. Uh, yeah, so I think the biggest challenge I'm trying to figure out right now is to kind of figure out the speed in which they fall. Uh, not which they fall, but the speed in which they are uh, placed on the screen. I had to throw in some randomness on to delay how quickly they come on the screen because they were popping up too fast and there was too many 
deal with. And right now I think they're coming out maybe a little tiny bit too slow. Um, and, and of course I'm using an emulator and an Xbox joystick so the controls are a little janky. But, um, but that's about it. And so I will close that. Uh, the, that's the editor. Close the editor and then boom. So that is, um, that is my project update. It's a little semi-graphics game. Very small program. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's it. So that's my update. And now for my acquisition. I have an acquisition too. Inspired by legendary musician Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta. I've decided I was going to buy a ukulele. And this is not a $5 ukulele. This is actually um, a much more than $5 ukulele. <laughs> but I'm going to teach myself a little bit, and then I'm going to take lessons with Nick because he's mentioned that he gives people lessons on uh, Discord or on Zoom or whatever. So in the near future, you'll be hearing, you'll be hearing stuff like this coming from me. So, uh, ukulele forever. I've said this a million times. The ukulele is a fantastic instrument. It's an incredible wow. instrument. Right. Um, people are doing some amazing things with it. Um, and what you, uh, what Nick had suggested for me, because it's always been a, a bucket list of mine, too, to learn how to play uh, the guitar, he suggested I get a baritone ukulele because the strings are tuned um, like a uh, like the bottom four screens of a, of a guitar. So I'm actually kind of learning how to play 66.6% of a guitar as I'm learning to play the ukulele. So there you have it, folks. So that was my project update. That was my acquisition. Without any further ado, are you guys ready to jump into um, Nick Marota's favorite part of the show uh, where we get into the game on results? Now, Samuel Gimes... Now, Ron, brace yourself for disappointment. Samuel Gimes did not create a new song for you this week. I know you're disappointed, Ron. Everybody go, oh. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, while we do not have a brand new Samuel Gimes for you, there's been so much. His body of work is so large, and he's given us so much that there's so much to draw from that I've picked one of my personal favorites from the Samuel Gimes Coco Thoughts archives. So, to play us into the game on results, let's hear uh, one of my personal favorites of Coco Thoughts, and then we'll get into the results. Mm. And now, hey, uh, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Some truths are self-evident, such as buzzard bait is far superior to Lancer. <laughs> People have spoken. Thy mic is dropped. All right. Just proof that the majority is not always right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the results of this week's Game On Challenge. The game this week was Shooting Gallery, and there were 14 participants. And the scores were as follows. David Craker, 3,470. Coco Discord user, 3,490. Sloopy Malibu, 3,620. Henry Nonick, 3,850. Catlord, 5,770. Rich N. 6,200. Rick U, 7,410. 
Frodo NL, 8,110. Mr. Dave, 6309, 8,570. Canadian Retro Things, 13,970. L. Curtis Boyle coming in just before supper with 14,540. Tom C. from Jersey, 17,920. Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta coming in at 18,980. And the number one score this week will come as no surprise. It's none other than Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. The number one score this week, and our hats go off to Buck Owens for shooting himself up a real good score of 19,570 points. Congratulations, Buck Owens, and thanks to everyone who participated this week. All right, and there you have the results. Good job. I like so, that video. There was a subtle awesome. comment last week where someone uh, suggested they didn't like the production values where the videos were going, so kind of pulled it back to some a uh, little bit more period-correct-looking video there. And, and that same person also commented on the smooth scroll I did. So what I did is I did this whole hacking of the SAM and the VDG where the screen started. So it actually thought the screen was starting at each smooth line. It's a smooth hardware scroll, and, and I totally did not do that. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, oh, my goodness. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah. So Nick Murata. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Stevie, for doing that video. That was excellent. Yes. All right. So, yes, we had 14 people this week. So it was a, a fairly good turnout. Thank you to everybody who participated. Um, and uh, once again, Canadian Retro Things has provided us with some gameplay. Thank you. Check out his channel for uh, Coco and other retro-related uh, content, uh, Canadian Retro Things. Thank Did you, you say continent or content? Content. Content, not continent. Not in con- not, con- not in consonants or anything. Not in continents. Either, okay. No. Okay. No. Good. So, uh, yeah, this was a game that uh, I, I uh, most of the games that we done in the segment I, I were games that I played as a teenager, and this is another one. Um, it's a good game. I like it. It's somebody uh, somebody mentioned. It, I never thought of it before. It's like a fancy version of Space Invaders, almost. Except you're not dodging bullets, but uh, you're still going back and forth and shooting. And uh, you had to make sure you shot things a certain way. Like if you shot um, frowny faces, more bunnies would spawn and uh, things like that. So it's a good game, I thought, anyway. And uh, I don't know what, if, what, if I have any comments from people here in the, in the chat. It's got that intermission stage when, you, when you're between screens. Like when you take everything out on the screen here, you get that guy running back and forth. You got to shoot and he keeps speeding up. And you have to keep 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 him on the screen here. If he runs off, that that bonus round is over. Yeah, I always thought of him as a teddy bear. I'm not sure what he actually is, but he look, kind of looked like a teddy bear to me. Canadian retro things mentioned during his video, and I agreed that you want to get rid of those smiley faces sooner rather than later, because the fewer things you have on the screen, the faster everything moves. And then that uh, window where you can shoot them uh, seems very small when it gets too fast. So. Right. If you want to clear those, that's your earliest opportunity. Yeah, I did that too. Now, every, every now and then, you were able to kind of graze an object and hit more than one thing with an, with one bullet. It didn't happen often, but I have seen that happen in the past yeah. where I grazed an object on my way up. The collision detection hit it, but the bullet went up another row and hit something else. I got a three for once. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> game is... Uh, the, the game concept is very simple but it's visually very well done uh it's very playable it's inspired by a very popular game in the arcade that was called circus 
Um, yeah. So versions of this were in the arcade. Versions of this were in a lot of 8-bit systems. I believe the Atari 2600 had probably a port of Circus to it. Um, or Carnival. That's I said Circus. Carnival. So yeah, in the arcade it was called Carnival. Right? Okay. And so, yeah, Circus was the uh, Clowns and Balloons thing. So Carnival was what this All was right. called in the arcade. Um, there's a really good version of Carnival on the... Um, ColecoVision, because the arcade carnival had like these spinning pipes that were up on the top yep. that you could shoot the different pipes, and the ducks would come down and eat some of your bullets. You you had to manage your resources in this type of game. You had one life, you know, right. only so many bullets, and you could, like you mentioned, if you shoot too many sad faces, you'll produce more bunnies, and you'll end up having more objects than you have bullets, and you'll never clear the screen. So you know, strategy and resource management go into the playing of the game. I did kind of like the the gambling aspect to the frowny guys because you occasionally had to shoot them before they changed. Right, right. So you're hoping yeah, they fall into your bullet. Yeah. And turn just at the right time. Oh, he's smiling just as I hit him. Damn, Otherwise. Teddy Bear, whatever the hell he is. He's, yeah, Ken's doing good here in that round there. Yeah. So one Ken, thing I discovered was, one thing I discovered I didn't know is you reach a point, when you get to level 10, it puts the word expert across the top. Ooh. And you can only shoot you can only shoot between the P and the E to get the diamonds. Oh, that becomes like a force field. Yeah, you can't. Oh, shoot Oh, it's, it's a barrier. You can't shoot any of the other things there. Or you just can't shoot the letters. You can't shoot. Just any, the you diamonds can't shoot above anything. it. You have to shoot. Yeah. So you can only shoot through the yep. middle to get the, yeah. to that top diamond row. There's a space between the P and the E. You can shoot through. And that's that's the only. Wow. Okay. So that's a, that only affects the diamonds, obviously. Yeah, but that's your bullets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you so have to you have hard. to time those shots perfectly for them yeah. to to basically scroll right into your bullet. And you'd yeah, have to find a magic spot on the screen to get it to shoot through there to hit, especially when you're on your last diamond, because you're you're only gonna get one shot at the diamond as it is, even if you didn't have the word expert flying across. And then you yeah. gotta try to aim like they're going in opposite directions, I presume too, Nick. No, it doesn't move. It's, oh, it's, just, oh, it's, oh, okay. it's just there. It's like a fixed barrier on the screen. Oh, okay. I thought it was moving. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, no. Yeah, no, yeah. no. It stays, it stays still. That would, that'd be, well, well, that's not quite as hard then. Yeah, yeah. Then you just basically have to stay dead center and time your shot. Okay. Which you always have to do anyways. Regardless of where you are, you're always having to time your shot to hit those damn diamonds anyways. Um, so, yeah, that was something I discovered uh, I didn't know before. I had... I, I had that was my eighteen thousands high score. Nice. That uh, I, so. Yeah, I think I only made like round six or seven or something. And as Curtis mentioned last week, when you look at that diamond row, they did a lot of uh, finagling with the artifacts, with the kind of dithering effect to create the illusion of more color. So you kind of have those yeah, looks good. light blues and oranges and dark reds and greens and purples Yellows and stuff. And yeah. So um, yeah, it was it's a one good of the best uses of artifact colors actually I've seen. It's it's rarely up there with like sands of Egypt or something. Right, because even when you look at the uh, the area there where you got the you kind of like the box around everything, you've got the darker red and the different checkered patterns that dithering effect. So yeah, it, it it looked as good as it could look for having four faux colors, you know, or two of the four colors were not even real to begin with. The artifacts, you know. <laughs> this is yeah. the first game I actually got a color TV out and hooked it up to have to play it because the especially the frowny guys the brown to blue is more important than the well it's really the the, the mouth because you guys it's the are they sad or happy right but i was playing on my cm8 and i couldn't see enough of it without oh it. only those yeah, it's more obvious with the color change than the yeah you have the stripes yeah. i gotcha yeah, the yeah stripes would obfuscate the mouth 
ROM cartridge. So yeah. Sold by Tandy in the Radio Shack stores. Right. Quality game. Data soft. Right. So. Yep. James Guerin. Yep. One of the prolific. 16K required if you had the cartridge. Right. The James James gave us Puyan and Canyon Climber. So a lot of good titles came out of Data Soft between Steve Bjork and James Guerin. And then, of course, the uh, Sands of Egypt, another one. Dallas yeah. Quest. Oh, that was a good game. Yeah. That was a game. <laughs> so so one, one, tip, was- one tip is to not run out of bullets. For sharing tips and tricks here. (laughs) Timing your shots is another one. Timing your shots. How about shooting things? Shooting things. Shooting things. Yes. Yes. A good tip. Shooting. Well, 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 let me rephrase that. Hitting the target. You can shoot and not hit. So you want to hit your targets, right? So. (laughs) Okay. So hit the targets. Well, now you're getting to expert level there, Steve. For more tips, send a self-addressed. That's right. Is there any tips for shooting the Pueblo, bear Pueblo or whatever Colorado. you call it there that you had? Like, do you try to keep it very much in the center, or do you let it kind of go farther oh, to the side? The well, it looked like Ken's strategy the was to let it go to the far course. right. That way, you had more time to track him as he was going across more screen space. So that was yeah. yeah I started doing that, and then on on subsequent games, I kind of did it. So I was kind of trying to get him like about a quarter from the side, so I gave myself time because he speeds up every time. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you wouldn't get there in time to, to shoot him if you're trying to wait right to the end and just fly off. So I ended up getting him not quite to the end where I try to shoot him. So I just keep him, you know, in the middle two thirds or something. I used the black beauty and just whipped from side to side. Uh, Sixty is asking, did anybody ever send off for tips to games? Was there was there a mail in tip? Rain Rainbow sir? Scoreboard had a section where people would write in letters, either asking for tips or giving ah, tips. Okay, that was part of the scoreboard. Oh, scoreboard feature. pointers. Yeah, you know what it was called? Okay, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was part of this Rainbow Scoreboard thing. They had it's kind, kind of like, of like uh, the video game version of Dear Abby or something, right? So uh, you say you were part of it, uh, Chris? Sorry, what? Did you say you were part of it? No, no. I I might have oh. submitted one or two tips on a game or oh, something, okay. just type thing. But it was it was basically just user mail specific specific to games. So they would put that into the Rainbow Scoreboard section rather than the regular letters to Rainbow at the beginning of the magazine. Oh, I I, I thought you were saying you were on the panel of people who answered the question. Just like even back then. Oh god, no, I was just a punk uh, kid back then. So. Yeah. Uh, ben Explore VR Drakes is saying, "How could anyone shoot that rabbit?" Well, we had to shoot all the rabbits. <laughs> shoot the they rabbit. Make good stew too. Shoot so the rabbit. <laughs> Kill the rabbit. Duck season. Rabbit season. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good game. Quality game. Looked good. Played good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Simple concept, but fun. It accelerates in difficulty. Uh, both on the rounds, like that expert round that, that Nick is the only one who got to, and plus the uh, the, the bonus round there where you're getting a gradual speed up. So it's definitely you know a good one to, to hone your skills and you can get better at it and start making it to the expert rounds past level 10. Now, Nick, I think you mentioned that the manual did mention something was going to happen starting in level 10. It said there were Easter eggs. Uh, it, it wasn't very specific. I don't, I don't think I even read it. Some, I think Buck Owens actually quoted the... Uh, Manual, mm. yeah. He Buck Owens posted paraphrase the manual, and in the manual it says there are multiple Easter eggs. Mm. So, so multiple. So is there more past that expert? Is what I'm wondering. That's what I'm thinking. I may have to cheat and make infinite bullets. I want to see what happens. Yeah, right. Maybe we can get someone to build a, a, a machine that'll play it like they did for Timberman. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get uh, shooting bot. Shooting bot. Yeah. Shooting bot. 
a little bit more logic to this one, but uh, lot, lots of things yeah. to track. I think it'd be easier to hack the bullets so that every time you fire, it doesn't go down by one. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, good game. Quality game. All right, so thanks to everybody who submitted a score this week. And are we ready to talk about next week's Oh, game? the suspense is killing me. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yes. So, all right, so you guys will no doubt recognize what this game is. Uh-oh. Or at least what it's a clone of. It's a, yes, this Dig, is a, a clone, clone of... Dig Dug. And it's called Pump Man. Pump Man. By Dave Dyes. License to Sugaro Software, huh? Yeah, this is pre-Diecom. Yeah. One of the couple games he sold before he made it. Yeah, game. this is this one looks very well. It plays very identical, but for whatever it's reason, tough. one of the, what is was it the vertical that got really slow on you? One of the two movements yeah, got super the slow. Yeah. the vertical, right? So sluggish on the vertical uh, movement. You could have opt unless Curtis wants to optimize it before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but it did capture the graphics plays well. well. Plays well. The graphics yes. are very good. I haven't looked at the code of this. I mean, Dave had the skill at, even at, at this early stage because at this point he was still in high school. I think he was probably fourteen or fifteen when he wrote this. Um, he, I think he could have done it faster. So he he kind of slowed it down on purpose, as far as I can tell, because he released Fire oh. Pilot right around the same time, and it's moving much bigger sprites, much faster than this. So hmm. it was a purposeful design reasoning for him doing it where you move that slow i don't know why because the arcade's nowhere near that slow it's a little odd but and he's very optimistic on the score look at the decimal place <laughs> yeah so i expect to see some million million scores million one million <laughs> points knowing how it scores here i better get started right now see you guys later yeah right exactly 10 points per no all right so that's our game and uh thank you everybody who's who played this week and thanks uh Kenny retro things Thank you, Stevie, and uh, we'll see you next week. There, you've been warned. You will see us next week. Um, <laughs> Not if I see you first. That's right. So do you want to keep the game train rolling, L. Curtis, with some uh, Game On news? I can do that, and since Boat's here, you can actually talk about some of this, too. Okay. Looks like Boat's on at least his second beer now, too. Welcome, yeah, Boat. That's a pre-requirement for him. Just in time. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, the more you drink, the better our show is. Uh, right. It's the greatest show of all time. Every week. He's, he's already finished two six-packs by the sounds of it. <laughs> what do we got, Curtis? Well, there's this one here, which I don't know. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? There, uh, yes, one? I have watched that. So, so I'll uh, let you explain it. Since okay. it's one so, of your, you know, your ARG Presents is a weekly show that focuses on two different uh, games. Sometimes it's two different games from the same system. Sometimes it's thematic. And uh, oddly enough, this week on ARG Presents, uh, Brent and Aaron talk about non-sport franchise games. So how's that for a, for a thrilling uh, theme? Uh, and uh, Aaron picked Aerobiz Supersonic for the Super Nintendo. Brent, I'm sorry, other way around. Brent picked that. Aaron picked Franchise for the Coco. Now, I always listen to the show. So what I was picturing in my mind was much different than what's being displayed on the show right now. Now, Curtis, <laughs> you actually suggested this game, so I'm guessing you were familiar with it, right? Yeah, actually, I, I didn't suggest it so much as I, I was trying to figure out, like they said, that they want management games that are non-sports, and I didn't really understand what that meant. So mm -hmm. I, I gave a link to Aaron to the, my, my webpage entry for this particular game, and I said, is this kind of what you're talking about? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pick it. <laughs> or it was actually was one of the ones he got suggestions for but yeah yeah so what you're doing here is you are basically operating a, a fast food joint 
and uh, you, you start from, from nothing and you work your way up. Uh, not unlike the various tycoon games that are popular on phones these days, but a pretty early example and a pretty cool example on the Coco. Yeah, I mean, it's another one that uses the artifact colors quite well. Um, and you eventually you try to build a whole chain of restaurants. You're competing with other restaurants, too. So you get to, you know, take out advertising dollars against each other and stuff like that. <clears throat> and most of it's a strategy thing where you're picking from menus and you're you know, allocating wages and buying food and all that kind of stuff. But then they have a little bit of an arcade thing where you as the manager have to go in and actually start serving the customers in real time. So you have this little arcade bit where you have to run around and, you know, somebody orders two drinks, a fry and a Coke or a fry and a burger or something. You have to run and pick up all the stuff and get it to the guy in, in, in time. Just looking to find a little clip of that part here. There's one of the uh, advertising ones. You get a little TV set. Yeah. Frodo has joined us. Hey, Frodo. Hey, Frodo. Yeah, here's where you're running around in real time. <laughs> oh, that's you funny. Know. It's like little mini games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of games like this that my daughter plays on Roblox, where you do have these tycoon things where you have to, mm. you know, build your burger franchise and feed the customers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a pretty cool concept. And Stephen Hartford did a couple of these uh, manager side games. He did a game called Star Trader for computerware as well, which is a space trading game, which was a bit more common than something like franchise. Um, and he did some other games, too. When I first saw um, the screenshot, it almost looked like Interbank Incident is what came to mind when I f saw it for mm -hmm. a millisecond there. Uh, yeah, the coloring is definitely very yeah. similar. Um, no, one thing that they both complained about in this one, and I have to agree with them, um, this is a game that really would have lent itself to being keyboard controlled to do your menu selections. But instead they made it, or Steve made it an analog joystick. So when you required a joystick to play a strategy game. Now the only place the joystick really makes sense is on the little mini game mm -hmm. where you're trying to serve because you're running around. But on selecting the menus, I would have preferred the keyboard too because, because of the way he set it up for the analog, you can easily you know jump ahead by accident and select the completely wrong thing ah, and you have to try to back out and stuff. So, because I remember having that problem myself when I was playing it back in the day. So, I have to agree with that. The game itself is actually pretty good. Otherwise, and, no, I mean, you know, back in the day, we were more used to the analog sticks too. So, of course, it wasn't as big of a deal for us. But for modern people who are used to today's controllers, it's, it's a bit of a barrier. Yeah, and it's control. it's not one of the deals where you can just plug in the uh, the twenty six hundred adapter. It, it won't accept that at all. You must use the analog. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's based on the analog position. It's like space assault from Tandy. You know, where the position of the joystick is where your ship shows up relative to the screen. It's not move left, move right or in this case, move up, down through the menu, it's like you immediately jump to the position. Which, once you get used to, it's it's not too bad, and we all did back in the day, but for, for modern people not used to analog sticks, that's definitely a bit of a chore. Anyway, sorry, so Stevie, you were saying? Well, I was just asking, is this, like, this is turn-based, it's not real-time, right? So if you, if, you, if you took an extra two minutes to switch to your menu, it's not going to affect the gameplay, right? No, no. Because I would imagine, based on that mechanic, you kind of have to really make sure you're highlighting the right choice. Yes. Look at it and then press the button, right? So you don't like you don't want to. Yeah, the game basically does. It, it's turn-based, where you're doing a week at a time. So okay. you're advertising your wages, your uh, your your food purchases, etc. Um, you know, you do all your moves for a week, and then every four weeks, I think once a month, you do the the mini game where you have to go actually serve the customers yourself. Which actually, I think more fast food restaurants should actually really do in real life. <laughs> and Frederick is asking, would it use a mouse any better? Um, it, it might. I've never tried it with a mouse, actually, to be honest. That's not a bad well, idea to Would try. that theoretically work? Yeah, it's, um, the mouse is analog, too, exactly the same as the joystick, okay. except it would be more natural for this kind of a menu selection. Sure. Yeah, the mouse seems like it, it's less likely to drift because that steel ball was so doggone heavy. Once you were in a certain position, unless you applied a lot of 
manual, uh, you know, movement to the mouse, it's not going to, it's not going to drift yeah. too much, you know, because of the, yeah, the Coco mouse had that steel ball. So it's yeah. definitely not a game you want to rage quit and throw your mouse. That's a, that's a great uh, theme, right? Management, management simulations, right? Yeah. 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 It's a, you know, it's funny. Uh, these are all over the place, like you said now. But back in the day, it was it, the the industry was dominated by, us, particularly in Europe, you know, the the football, the soccer management sims and stuff like that. But even the early computer games, a big feature was just being able to manage the team without actually having to play yourself. So, right, right, yeah. I, I do remember like the late seventies, early eighties, like when the Galactic Saga on the uh, the Apple II, and then you know, ported later the Atari and, and Commodore and stuff. And there's ports to the Coco II, which I still have to put on my website. Um, but the space trading games were quite common. That was a simulation. Even text-based ones on BBSs and stuff. That was a fairly common thing. But this was kind of a unique take on it, doing something like this. We also had the ones um, where you have to manage, you know, me- medieval cities and stuff like Viking and Erland and Castle Greymoon, where you're, you know, you know, rats are eating all of your grain, so you have to you know, buy cats and you know that kind of stuff. Another unique one on the Coco that I sh- was thinking of suggesting to, but it would have been more visually boring because it's a text-based one, is uh, Gangbusters. Um, I don't know if you guys have played that one, but that's the one where you're trying to become the head gangster. So you have to, like, you know, get contracts to kill people. Later in the game, you can kill each other. Um, plus, you're, you're managing, like, whorehouses, all kinds of stuff. It's oh. pretty interesting. And this was a mainstream game. It wasn't, a, you know, an underground one like Madame Rose's Massage Parlor or something. So it was kind of an interesting take on the 1920s. It's neat. It's a neat looking game. Yeah, it's a very, very well done visually presentation-wise. And Stephen was good at that. He did a lot of good stuff with color, given the Pima 4 artifact palettes. His uh, Star Trader has a lot of color to it, too. Over 45 zillion sold. That, that sign said <laughs> 45 zillion. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, well, that's a funny thing. Like, McDonald's used to keep upgrading. They were millions sold, sold. Then they started doing the old every 5 billion. They'd bump the number. And once it hit yeah. 99, they said, ah, screw it. It's so many you can't even count. Yeah, so never right. mind. So- Billions and billions. Yeah. yeah, I'm waiting for the trillion sign. That's right. what I'm waiting for. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and then I'll just just to give a bit of equal play here. This is uh, Aerobiz, the one that. Uh, oh, on a Super Nintendo. Picked. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty good scrolling effect there. Yeah, that's the special uh, mode seven effect that was mm-hmm. a big selling point for the the Super Nintendo, and yeah. this is of course a, an airline management game. Uh, hampered, you know, in much the same way as the Coco by being controller controlled. Uh, all of these types of games really lend themselves best to the mouse and a keyboard, really. <laughs> John Jones is asking, is there a $15 an hour patch available for that restaurant <laughs> franchise <laughs> management? <laughs> Actually, if you want, you can pay your employees $15 an hour uh, you in the can... game. You'll go broke quick. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> Actually, what was it? But what I'm trying to remember, wasn't it Aaron who said he first he tried to be so cheap with the game, or was it Brent? It was Brent. He tried to be so cheap that <laughs> he wasn't actually producing food. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't Shockingly, that did not lead to uh, to fame and glory. That's yeah. <laughs> like you, you could you could be the slum lord of Monopoly by buying all the purple properties and building right. those things up, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but for airline management, there is actually one Coco game uh, actually called Airline. It was by um, Adventure International, Scott Adams' company. Same guys who did all like Pirate Adventure and all that kind of stuff. 
<clears throat> and it was it was graphically based, but it was it was it wasn't managing airlines quite like this. It was managing just you know airport routes between things and then setting it up. So much much simpler concept. Also oh, done uh, let, let me interrupt real quick. I just realized something, because we do not have Mark D Overholzer on the show today. Mark is usually Johnny on the spot with posting the link. So as Curtis talks about something, Mark Overholzer would usually post those links in the live chat so people could check out the um, YouTube video or whatever, you know, the link to whatever we're discussing. So in lieu of that happening uh, during the show, just so you guys know, those links are always available on our Discord server. So if you go under the Coco Talk area, I believe it's called um, News Summaries, uh, they're actually already there. So if you were to look at the News Summaries um, channel, you'll find the today's date, which is May the 15th, and you'll find a text file with links to everything that's being covered in the news that L. Curtis Bull creates for us. So sorry about yeah. that. Thanks Curtis. for reminding me because I'll, I'll post the links. I know Mark usually posts a little like surrounding text and stuff to make it yeah. nice and easy, but I'll, I'll just blast the links. Just the links. So keep can. it simple. Yeah. Uh, cool. No, this is this is a great looks like a great theme. Something you don't see uh, too often, especially, you know, it's it's interesting yeah. that this, you know, especially in the retro days, it's a lot more common now. seems like these um like you call the tycoon. Yeah, and in the modern day, they've definitely expanded to like like franchise was at the time. You know, outside the standard. Almost space even trader. like some of the Sim stuff, like Sim City. You know, where you just you keep yeah. keeps building yeah. on. Something. I mean, that, that, that's another that's a question that you know they talked about at the beginning of the show. Like, what exactly do we mean when we mean a franchise game? Right. Where do you draw the line? Is it something like Sim City, or does that count? Or is it something like even Populous? Uh, you know, and so. It's, it's, it's hard. You, you really have to make your own call. But I think all of those sort of count. You're sort of managing things from afar. Uh, yeah, although yeah. with franchise, you do have some direct control in these mini games. So it's yeah. sort of a mixture. Yeah, I like that. And it's, that adds a little something. So it's not just repetitive strategy all the time. There's a right. little bit of uh, skill. Yeah. I remember the first time I played this back in the day there, I hadn't fully read the manual. So I didn't even know about the mini games. So I was just you know, playing. I'm doing all my strategizing and stuff. Because I I, at that time, I liked playing Viking Erlandel's management style games. It's mm-hmm. like graphics. I thought, cool. And all of a sudden, this mini game, and I have to run around in real time and try to serve, you know, before the people just give up and lead down the hallway. Um, that, that was a kind of a surprise because I wasn't expecting that because none of the other, you know, strategy games at this had that type of thing. So that was a cool one. Unbelievable. Next Jay- up, we have sorry, Jamie Cho, that's all I was going to say. Okay, yeah. So we've actually covered this game before. Space Bandits, which got digitized sound, it's got digitized graphics, it's using the Dino Sprite Library. It's the first, you know, full blown release besides from the author of the Sprite Library itself, which is Richard Godekin, I believe. And uh, this is an update. So I actually asked him because it, I briefly played it and it looked identical, sounded identical to what his early release was. So I asked him, like, so what's what's different about this? And he did mention he finished up coding level one. So what he's planning on doing here is level one consists of the five waves in this game. Now, the first wave is basically the same, and it's the screenshot you see here is basically the same. He does say that uh, levels two to five are quite different from the previous release. And the game actually has an end now, and then there's going to be a sequel game, which is level two. Mm. And he said there's a teaser for the level two at the end of level one. So when you get that far, you'll get a teaser to the next episode. So I didn't get a chance to play it far enough to even see you know the second screen yet but uh definitely if you guys want to take a stab at it later and and nick Moroda, for you uh this might be a game to to cover now that he's officially released the final version of it at some time in the you know semi-near future i know you've got some other stuff planned plus we've got our crossover episode with uh boat and aaron here coming up too so yeah for those who don't know jamie cho has kind of 
Uh, I've been familiar with his name for a while. Uh, he's kind of popped up every now and then and shown off some really cool things. He did a, a presentation at Cocoa Fest a couple years ago, uh, specifically about doing stuff with Dino Sprite. And and Dino Sprite is and, and whenever I hear Dino Sprite, I, I immediately hear in my head Jimmy Walker. Dino Sprite, right? So, um, <laughs> showing um, your age there, Steve. Yeah. So, but um, so it's a, it's a library for the Cocoa Three that's got hardware scrolling and all kinds of stuff built in. And the demo, you can you kind of have this big giant bouncing ball bouncing through a maze, and you can pan around this giant screen. So. Dino Sprite's a tool set that's been around forever for somebody to potentially use to um, to produce something with. And one of Jamie's presentations at Cocoa Fest was he was showing like how you could do it, and he even had set up a Linux environment where you could what, what's the Linux tool chain called Docker or something like that where you could work on a project and share it with other people. There was a name for it, I don't remember what it's called, but so he was showing this off and and um, showed how you can make a real easy tool chain in in linux and share it with people to, to kind of get a team together to develop on things and then he had done a demo doing a quick mock-up of the game uh ghosts and ghosts and goblins that capcom game with the guy the knight that throws his little spear and stuff and so he threw together a real quick demo showing how potentially easy it would be to make a good hardware scrolling you know arcade platformer type game using this tool set and so now this is, and I believe this is based on this game already exists. He didn't invent this game; he kind of ported this game, right? This game exists on another platform, if I recall. Well, he's, the, he the actually Space made his Bandits. own Mac version, which you can download here as well. I don't know if the game but, itself is original. I, I think it's I, somewhat original. Okay, I don't know if this was ported from another platform that he ported to the Coco Three, or he created this from scratch. I'm not sure. But um, well, he's got he's got a credit screen added on this one, and he's got credits like so and so created the graphics for the ship, and so and so mm. created the graphics for the aliens. Oh, okay, okay. NASA is credited with the digitization of the Earth and the Earth and stuff. Okay, gotcha. The sound effects are from various you know open source sound libraries and stuff too. So I so maybe it is original. I don't remember. I remember in an early posting, <clears throat> I thought this was being this was a port of something, but I'm not sure. But yeah, so yeah, Jamie's been doing some really interesting stuff in this space over the years, and this looks like a first like full product that's being released yeah. right and a couple of things i forgot to mention so <clears throat> as you can see on the top of the screen you can download the disc image uh, right from facebook i'm hoping he gets it on the archive soon too for the new version and then he's also got his mac version because he actually made a common tool set so it's actually playing the same game basically on your mac natively and then later on in the comments down here he actually made a 639 enhanced version Ooh. Um, which you can download as well um so this game is actually comments. so this game is actually complete then curtis like this yes so level one's its own self-contained game. That's all yep. done. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that that Dino Sprite library is incredible. Like like Stevie mentioned, it has hardware scrolling support. It has multi-sprite support, animation support, background digitized sound effects support, that background music support. If you want, he didn't use it in this particular case. It's quite the extensive library. So if somebody wants to tackle a game and not have to worry about making all the little bits and pieces to do all those things, and wants you know a generic set of library tools to do it. All you have to do is come up with a game around it, basically, in assembly. And you can call it from C, too. He was experimenting at one point, uh, running it from CMOC. I don't know how far he got with that, but uh, it's, it's a pretty good it's a hard. Problem. It's a hard game. <laughs> it's not easy. It looks good. Yeah. Keyboard or joystick. It works with the Orc 90, too, if you have an Orc 90 card, or the built-in sound. And the 639 version apparently plays a bit of a faster frame rate and a bit smoother. Both available for download on Facebook. Next up, we have two Jim Gary updates. So the first one here is a port of a game originally for the Commodore Pets. We're going way back. Uh, this is originally published in Cursor Magazine in 1981 called Maxit. 
this is not a game I'm at all familiar with or how to play or exactly what to do in it. So I don't have too many comments on it here. Okay, looks um, like Sloopy's picking up on the links for us. Thank you, Sloopy. Sloopy's picking up Mark Bosley's Slack. Oh, good. I'll, I'll, I'll quit just posting. <laughs> not, the not Mark Overholzer. Yeah, because Mark Overholzer is not here today. So thank you for posting the links, Sloopy. Oh, the hell is this? Looks like a game show. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I like. I probably could read the directions. I just haven't had a chance to really go through it. But uh, obviously, a strategy board game of some sort. And then after that, he did an update to his poker game. Uh, this is one we showed last week where he's actually getting some suggestions from from people reading the post about possible color set changes and stuff like that. So this is kind of where he's finalized it to the colors that he wants. So he went with the full inverse green so that the text doesn't like, blare. Oh, yeah, with the, the cards. Background. Yeah, I like that. That was a good choice. And it does look like the felt you would find like on a poker table or a pool table or something. Oh, not a, not a bad little poker game for the MC10. And of course, because of this one's totally in basic, you could obviously port this over to the Yeah, and I, I like uh, I like the the card symbols that he's come up with. The, the diamond, the clubs, the spades. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, those are both available for download at his page. Um, I think he might even have them on Facebook too. So. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that kind of inspired my kabam. Between seeing stuff like this and seeing like what uh, Erico has been doing in this space, you can do some really, you know, some cool stuff with not so many pixels. You know. Yeah, <clears throat> and it, it's kind of like the you know the basic ten line programming contest or two line programming contest where you're you're working within such constraints that you have to be really innovative to get around them. Yeah. And, you know, doing MC10 or even the Coco on those low-res modes is kind of a way to, to inspire that. And the hearts, yeah. So you can you can, sell it, you can see the difference between the diamonds and the hearts. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. Want to kill sheep now? <laughs> <laughs> Jim <laughs> Gary. Next up, we have a uh, Cuthbert Dragon's been busy again this week doing a ton of, you know, his standard uh, Dragon 32 on real hardware with his uh, window pane reflecting in the background on its screen at all times. Because I originally thought this white line was part of the game. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> but basically, uh, he did a whole bunch. He did probably about two or three dozen games this week, most of which we've seen before. But there's a few I had not. So I wanted to highlight a couple of these. So this one here is called Home Base. And you launch off this little thing you can see in the lower right within the play field, and then you have to go shoot a ton of stuff. Underneath that line that's not part of the game. <laughs> what are those things bouncing around up there? I have no idea. Bubbles? Bubbles. I have no Things clue. you have to shoot. Things you, yeah, have, things to you shoot. have to shoot. There you go. Be harvested. Th thanks for the technical explanation, John. <laughs> It basically looks like a shoot 'em up. You're you're that kind of guy riding in a big bubble vehicle yourself. Um, I think you have kind of shields too. It looks like. Yeah. I'm not sure if you if you maybe if you get the shields hit too many times you die, or maybe if they get hitting you on the two sides where the openings are for your gun, maybe that's how you die or whatever. I'm not yeah, sure. there's a shield number. You're out of shields. The next hit. Oh, on hit. the right there. Okay, yeah, just saw that. You start with 24 hits. Yeah. And you have so many seconds to escape out of the, the hatch when you start over your next man. So you can choose when you come out, but only within five seconds. So you've got you know, a little bit of feature option there to come out where you're protected. 
Oh, it looks like you can recharge your shields by landing on that blue pad. Yeah. It, it looks like an original game. I, Stevie, I, I haven't seen an arcade game like this. Have you? Mm, no, I'm... The only the thing that it reminds me vaguely of something like Robotron, where you're you know you're one thing and there's many things for you to shoot, but you can only shoot in two directions. It seems like either left or yeah, right, right? Uh, that that's what I, I was thinking, Robotron, but with less freedom. Yeah, of less freedom of, movement. of, of, of you're yeah. shooting, of less shooting, of shooting. Yeah, Robotron is one of the greatest games of all time. That we can agree on. Yes. The whole Lancer buzzard bait thing. Hmm. What is the? I'm sorry, Curtis. I might have missed when you explained this. What? What do the 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 long thin line and the blue uh, rhombus? Yeah, the, the blue is a place where you launch from. It's also where you can recharge your shields. The white okay. line is a, is a reflection of his window behind him, <laughs> <laughs> with okay. the shutter drawn down. So that little scape of light. Because yeah, that confused me. I was starting to figure out what the hell. He's right one right through. It doesn't seem to be doing anything. Then I, if you look in the up, up near above it, you can see the top of his window very faintly. Yeah, it's like he's got a Venetian yeah. blind. Yeah. 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 So that was one of the new ones I had not seen. Oh, before. and that, that was you losing your uh, shield completely. Here you can see his blinds are up a little bit slightly, so he's got a bit of a bigger white bar there. <laughs> the day has progressed. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so this one here is called River of Fire, which is a graphical adventure game Ooh. in P-Mode 3, and it switches color sets depending on the scene, so you actually it uses all eight colors, just not all at once. And it has a rather nice animated intro. River... Of fire. So that's obviously like volcano stuff coming down. Ooh, look at that. Ooh. A graphics adventure for the dragon. Ooh. And animated, you know, graphics in the scenes. Yeah, kind of reminds little, me of Mark Data products. Pump. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not used to seeing graphics adventures with this P Mode 3 color set. color set at all. They're usually all using the high res stuff. But you got to remember the dragon didn't have artifacts. Yes. In, in your case. Yeah, so the it, kitchen and switches. And, and the font's good. It's a mixed case font. Uh, you know, so you can read the text fine. Yep. And what? quite a few of the, uh, the the scenes actually have animations on them, as you saw you know earlier in some of them here. I hear the nurse is doing something with her hands, like, you know, in the crib part. Yeah. That's kind of hard shimmering. to see. It's kind of hard to see the purple on top of the... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if he's animating that to make it look animated because it's hard to tell in the cap. Or if, or if it's that the was, TV. You know, the artifact, it, yeah. you know, the, the uh, differently done artifact colors that they got in Pimo 3 on the Dragon for Pal. Nick, do you do you recognize that that would be? Yeah, like that color there looks completely odd. That's got to be a Pal artifact or something because that color does not ordinarily, these colors don't ordinarily exist in NTSC. That almost looks brown on the, um, and you can see different shades of brown and orange there and kind of green and teal. So yeah, it's got to be some pal artifacting going on there. Yeah, maybe some dithering too. Yeah, some of it could just be the way his camera's capturing. And Daddy Burrito's pointing out that the screens load very fast. That is true. Yeah, like that water yeah. scene there. You see one. I, I think they're all preloaded in memory, and it just renders it. It's kind of like the Montego ah, ones. Like okay. When you load, when you loaded thirty-two. Oh, what the off, hell's right? going on here? What in God's green earth is happening here? Foul fumes limit your view of the ridges between boiling mud oh. subs and beams and gathering. Yeah. Oh, man, this is nice. Are they, the so I mean these screens are loading in real time, right? I mean bam bam bam. bam. Yeah. That's incredible. I, I'm guessing like Mark Data compressed their graphics so that you could load it all into one 32K machine. So I'm thinking what he's done here is the exact same thing where he's basically he's got a way of pre-rendering it and then he just has an MLT that draws it real quick. 
based on like you know drawing points and stuff like that and, and painting in between patterns etc as opposed to loading a raw graphic because you're right you'd need a disk drive or several disks to do all that or there's a, a bunch of pages in memory and he's just changing the offset maybe he's got too many screens to fit that though even on 64k so yeah. and mark added same thing i mean you'd have like you know 60 scenes you'd have to go through with animations yet and fit it on yeah, 32k oh, that's so true yeah. and it seems like it's on a fairly even boundary so it might be doing this is p mode 3 which is about a 6k screen still though, or 3k screen yeah. is it yeah no he's only using half of the graphics obviously each screen yeah. only needs three but yeah so he's probably doing a stack blast of the uh that's what i was thinking 3k too. must be stack blasting it yeah he could be doing that, or he might be rendering it. He's got a separate 3K where he just renders it there, and then he blasts it on, so it doesn't. Have, you don't have to so see, you don't see it. Yeah. yeah, right. Like fractalist stuff. Kind of like uh, page copy type thing. Yeah, uh, that's what exactly what fractalist does. Yeah, it draws an 8K screen elsewhere and then blasts it onto the screen. That's very cool. The last one's another adventure game. This one's called Dungeon Destiny. And this looks really good with the uh, the true kind of RGB right, monochrome without artifacting, yeah. right? Yeah, pure pure mono with very little. Oh, but here we go. Now we get some colors. See, this is kind of what I am envisioning in my mind is a kind of partition screen for an adventure game where you have your, like, your directions are always on the screen so you know. Yeah, and that idea came to me from looking at a lot of these dragon adventures, how they took that genre and kind of just turned it a little bit and put a spin on it. Um, the fact this has graphics is even better. I'm not looking at doing graphics right away, but I do want to have some static locations on the screen where certain content is always there so you don't have to keep re-typing in look all the time to see where you are and what's available. So this kind of screen arrangement idea is something in the works that another project that's in my brain to produce one day. And the yeah. smaller graphical section makes it easier, you know, quicker to render. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that, I'm thinking uh, this one might actually be done in basic too, because it, it looks like the paint command. Yeah, the paint command. Basic. Yeah. Well, now the text that, looks fast. Uh, Go ahead, James. Yeah, uh, isn't that how wizardry on the Apple II and other systems worked as well? Though it had the uh, different sections of the screen for commands, yeah, monsters, and, for the and, graphics stuff, yeah. and monsters and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a very nice presentation. I mean, for especially for the earlier days, like when this came out. But it looks—it looks to me like the the uh, the text is being drawn with an ML routine because it's drawing yeah. the text pretty fast compared to like a draw command basic would. But the actual drawing of the graphics for each room looks to be like you know it's drawing yeah. a, a box and then drawing lines and painting and stuff. So it looks like that's basic. Or he's calling be. basic routines. Yeah, they might be doing ROM calls. How how common is this particular GUI? You know, you've seen a lot of of games where it's you know text on the bottom and graphics on the top. But as far as having just, you know, maybe an eighth of the screen being the graphic, are there any other games that are like this? Not too many. We've had a couple in the past, and it seemed to be more common on the Dragon than the Coco. Um, most Coco games did the divide by half, like you right. mentioned. You know, I didn't like, know if it had to do with the graphics modes, you know, and coordinating off different sections of the screen or if it was something else. Yeah, they're both, they both have the same graphics hardware, so it's just really more developer choice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Karen's nice, saying nice uh, Mouse Maze might be one, which is a title I'm not familiar with, though. Mouse Maze is uh, Sockmasters. Okay. The one game he's actually made. Ah, and Frodo is saying there are some like this on the Spectrum, too. So that might have been a UK um, design choice, yeah. I guess. Okay. Yeah, just sort of a trope. Yeah, I like it, though. No, but I seeing yeah. some of this stuff, which I've only seen frequently in the Dragon space... Kind of gave me some, planted some seeds in my mind on something I want to do uh, for a, a split screen adventure, yeah. you know, text adventure 
engine. Fred, Fred Provence is mentioning the seventh link, which is kind of our Ultima three Coco three clone. Mm. And that does, I mean, even Gates of Delirium had the screen divided into a couple sections. So you had your moon gates in the bottom, you had your map view on the left, and then you had your command and your status of your players up in the top right and the commands in the you know lower right. And Seven Link kind of does the same thing. It even has a little window for doing the 3D dungeons and when you get into the dungeons and stuff too. So yeah, I guess that's kind of somewhat similar. Though those aren't text adventure games; those are role playing games. Okay. Okay. We got okay. we got a lot of show to cover today. All right, what else we got here? Oh, oh yes, Geiger Punk. Now this one, unfortunately, he's not as humorous as he normally is. He's actually you know, legitimately playing Frogger. I mean, he does some mistakes, like he picked the. He's playing with analog joysticks. Now I don't know if you've ever tried the analog joysticks on the official Frogger here. But one of the things it does is it, it tried to simulate an auto-centering stick in software, I guess the best way to describe it. So you, if you want to run up the screen, you don't just put the joystick up and run. I mean, they wanted it to make it easy so you don't accidentally jump into a car or something like that. So what they did is when you move the joystick up, down, left, right, it'll move one square in that direction. And then you have to move the joystick back to the middle to reset it and then move it again. Oh. So if you want to run up, it's like up, middle, up, middle, up, middle. And then, you know, to try to simulate a, a self-centering joystick. I personally just played on keyboard because yeah. I find that annoying as hell. That almost sounds like crazy climber where you had to like use the two joysticks and simulate the up and down climbing of your hands uh, to climb the... Well, I think that was a little bit like the arcade. Hello, it's you? been a long time since I played oh. it, but... But this this tune just gonna keep going. I thought I'll I'll wait until there's a gap and I'll say hello to you. Nope, it's just gonna keep on going. Keyboard or I, I better zoom in, I suppose, because like I still like his presentation with like the uh, Tetris no, blocks, the lava, and the lava lamps, lamps and everything lamps. else. Yeah, yeah that's, great. that's great. That's great. I don't know if he knows Neil, but that that, that aesthetic that reminds that me of Neil. And this does not have any uh, glare from nope. a windshield in the back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that this is a, this is an LCD it display. Joystick has gone to the left. No, it looks like it's one of those old-fashioned no, round old... CRTs. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yep. He's yeah. just got this weird case on. I just didn't know if he maybe he put a frame around it or something uh, like that. Yes. It really looks good. It captures Somebody well on the camera. Somebody actually made so a TV like that. That's off to him. Yeah. I mean, to get all of that in focus, look how good the lava looks. Yeah. The lava lamps yep. and the screen. That's incredible. Yeah. He's actually done a behind-the-scenes video where he actually shows you all his equipment. He's got shelves and shelves of old computer equipment. He doesn't just do Dragon stuff. He does other machines, too, mm. in that time Who period. Who is this so. guy? Uh, Rob's Retro Randall. So Rob Geiger Retro Punk Randall. Is, Geiger Punk is what Geiger his channel is called. Yeah. And it was a request off of his uh, subscribers there. So. But normally he does very... I don't know if you watched his videos before, Boat, or seen them on our show, but he normally does very humorous... Because he basically sucks at the game. He doesn't read the directions half the time, so he's trying to figure out how to like play me. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, it's much funnier because it has a British accent. So. Right. I mean, what, is, what isn't funnier with a British accent? Yeah. <laughs> you just hear that, and you just immediately think Monty Python, and you're, you're in. Mm-hmm. Okay, Does anybody else have a lava lamp in their gaming uh, room? No, my one lava lamp I used to have actually broke. Uh, cat mm-hmm. knocked it over and the, broke it open. The closest so I thing there. I have right now is an RGB version of that. So this is like a little RGB uh, light doohickey that, I, that you can have it cycle <laughs> through different modes. But yeah, it's so not like a hue light or something or what? Yeah, I don't know. It was sixteen dollars <laughs> on Amazon. So <laughs> got a real one. I've been there. I've been there. You big spender, you. Yeah. Spend a little too much time shopping on Amazon, huh? Not enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is a guy jumping stuff with a horse. Yep. I will mention Frodo mentions he th- says that's a Philips TV. So that case we saw with the weird. That's a, it's like a round. It looks like a space helmet. That TV. 
Like that is not, that's not a homemade case. That actually apparently is the original Philips TV. So that's awesome. Yep. They made that. Oh, you've seen it before too, James? Yep. Oh, cool. What was that from the sixties? That just has a sixties aesthetic screaming out of it. I don't think it was sixties, but yeah, it was, uh, I've I've only seen it in pictures a few times, but yeah, it, it somebody actually made that because that just reminds me of the '60s when everything oh, yeah. was it's, plastic. It, it, oh yeah, you it, had it's, it's very mid-century modern. You had that uh, the phones that you know were kind of rounded, and you picked it up, and there was the the dialer on the bottom part of the the uh, yeah where you spoke this, yeah kind of getting. <laughs> The rotary dialer. And Trying to get yeah. real mod with some of our stuff. That, that's back when they thought that we yeah. would just throw plates it, in the it, garbage. It kind of looks like in, something you'd yeah. see in Clockwork Orange, you know? So, uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got here? Horses. Hey, next up, we've got Robos from Poland. We've covered a couple of his because he's been doing a lot of Dragon gameplay videos, too. And he does them by letter most of the time. He sometimes sneaks an extra letter in there. So he did three uh, this week for the Dragon. Uh, the first one we're showing here is the S. Now, quite a few of the games we've seen before. There's a few here I do want to point out. I will not play the strip poker game for obvious reasons because we're trying to be family friendly most of the time, except when I slip up. Um, and it's basically pretty similar to the one in EOU. So if you guys want to see what it looks like, that's pretty well it. Uh, so the first one here is called Show Jump. Jump! Woo! Jump! Woo! So this is this is very similar to the Evil Knievel uh, game for the old uh, black and white arcade game. <laughs> yeah, that was the one with a motorbike instead, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's cool. I got the second level from the bottom. There's even got a water pit yeah. to jump over too. Yeah, that's uh, like the actual competitions, except two D. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't knock the bars off like you see on the. Nice. That's pretty cool. Well, it counts the balls. Okay, next one I want to show is Sky Joust. Sky Joust. Which is a uh, ripoff of a Joust. So here, next, oh. another Joust for you to play with. Sky Joust. Oh, that's like a castle in the background. What's that? A castle in the background there, huh? Boy, you didn't last long there. Personally, I don't think this one stacks up the Lancer or Buzzard Bait or. Well, because you're shooting at them. You're not oh, even like. Pretty you know it's better. I'll put the volume down here. It's taken everything that was good about this game and not used any of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those lines there are the platforms. You can rest on those platforms. I see. Yeah. Okay. Wow. But you're shooting at them. It's like joust no, with lasers. Lie. There are times playing joust. I would like to be able to shoot somebody. Freaking lasers. Freaking lasers. <laughs> well, he, he kind of got the graphics okay. but Graphics aren't bad. It's like, why should I bother worrying if I'm going to boink them from above when I can just shoot the crap out of them from across the do screen? Do you boink them from yeah. above, too? You can do either? <laughs> I, I don't know. Honestly, I've never seen this one before, so... Yeah, I've now never what I'd like to do eventually is take like a buzzer bait or lancer and patch it so that my player does get shots, but the other one doesn't. And then play the player. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll play it normally for a bit, and then all of a sudden I'll just get y'all let him start winning, and then I'll just shoot the crap out of him. That's a surprise. There you what go. What is this? Hey, Erica's out there. Hey, Erica. 
What? What? What language? Oh, language. Uh, language. Uh, language. <laughs> We're working blue. Here's right. your Speed Racer in P mode three. Just oh, oh wow. Oh, the only way that game could have gotten <laughs> any better. Yeah, the only way that game could have gotten better was to do this to it. <laughs> could have been a Puyan palette. Oh uh, yeah. Woo. So nice of them to uh, even change the numbers so that you can read them on the speedometer. Okay. Next one up is Sporting Decathlon, which is a basic game too, I think. Uh, doing decathlon events, kind of like the one I did. Can your computer later. use that poke? Yeah, some of the earliest Cocos couldn't use it either. They actually had to clip some capacitor. Other the machine would freeze when you tried to double speed. But that was like back in D-board era. Oh. Yeah, that was a very uh, art- early <laughs> article. <in> the <laughs> uh, oh, this is cute. Curtis, you've never looked so good. <laughs> Where's the chariots of fire theme? I'll see if I can play that later on during the EOU demo. <laughs> you have run well, out this of is a bit energy. different. You have energy you have to keep track of, and you lose energy every time you run into something, so that you. It's it's not just a strict time thing. Well, you at, least you don't, at least you don't get sent back to the title screen when you die. You just yeah. move on. Oh, this is cool. This is very decathlon ish, right? The decathlon-style games were very popular at this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Joystick breakers. Oh, yeah. Well, that's cool. Or, or keyboard breakers in my Go. case. Yeah. Yeah, this is cool. Very ambitious. But for basic, it's not It's a com- very ambitious for basic. Yeah. And all the heads-up displays going on here and everything, the, the fonting. That's kind of impressive for basic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I had to cheat in mine. I had an ML routine to do scrolling, so at least there was a little bit of a boost. But Cool. Okay, so that one... Um, wasn't working. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Crowd goes wild. Dun, 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 dun. So next up we have is W and Z or Z. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. Mm, this looks a little bit like Downland, right? Yeah, this one's called White Crystal. Oh, this is another sure basic one, I believe. It's not green. Oh, I like the animation on the guy. I like the animation on the guy. Ooh, scary. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You shooting. It's the evil overlord of... I like how he yeah. climbs. Yeah, the animation kind of reminds me of the Intellivision Man. You know, it's... um, mm-hmm. Dude, It's very... Yeah, that was what absolutely. I was thinking. Yeah. A little flick... Ah! Oh. Oh, and he's falling. Ah. Uh, <laughs> that is cool. Yeah. Okay, so basically, this overlord creature appears at, at certain set intervals, and he always shoots left and then right, and then he disappears. So basically, if you, you have figure to, out the timing, you know when to hide on the ladder. Yeah. Or whatever. And ding dong. And I'm, I'm that, assuming you, that's a treasure chest you're going to try to pick up over there. Oh, he oh he just barely escaped there. Get the treasure, dude. Yeah, I wish I could do something about the flickering. That's basic, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if works. he page flipped, he could have got around that, but maybe it took too much around. Well, that's a memory thing, though. And his sound uh, effects are definitely not basic. He's no, the sound effects are good. Not really. You only need two pages. It's only 12K. I did it on that. Uh, Actually, I think this is P mode 1, so it would only be 3K, so it would be 6K total. Yeah. I did it on that Space space Invaders demo I did in basic, and it was it was rock solid smooth. And I was doing it. Oh, what happened? And there he fell off the ladder yeah. or ran out of time. I'm not even sure which. I like that. Anyway, yeah, it, was, it was a bit of a cool one for basic, I thought. Absolutely. Uh, and next, uh, this one we've seen the title of before. Uh, so they had uh, the dragon had its own clone of Zaxxon called Zax's son. 
Oh. <laughs> Zax's son, huh? <laughs> Which had a bit of a different theme. It, it's a helicopter. Hmm. Oh, and we've shown this world boxing that, before. Okay. Looks like a couple of horseshoes going at it. Well, yeah. Uh, Very similar to Activision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does look like Activision box. Yeah. It was family friendly. Yeah. Yeah, right. It was written in basic, too, if I remember correctly, too. Oh, so. oh okay. Okay. Oh, that's that pretty good. Cool. Yeah, we have. So that's an interesting take on it, anyway. Yeah. There's, yeah. Now, is there, eleva- is there elevation, cool. too? Okay. Yeah, the alt one is your altitude. Okay. Because you don't have a shadow, so you have to monitor the number there as to what your height is. Okay. Well, so you're you're constantly looking down at that and back up. Which is screen. annoying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you should have at least put it on the side. Where the alt. This is not bad. Is. This is not bad. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's nice that he did about a different different take because every other Zaxxon clone looks. It's got like it's eight. got the proper isometricness to it. Yeah, and I mean um, the scrolling is smooth. Yeah, well, that was a neat effect when he died. Yeah, and to avoid it's kind to of a doom approach to isometrics. Yeah. Okay. And um, to keep it bright. simple, it's all on a blank black background, so he doesn't sure. worry about. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't have to worry about trying to scroll everything else. You, can't uh, you know what? It, what what this doesn't have is a lot of return fire. I guess there's a couple of missiles. Okay, there. I yeah. take it all back. <laughs> yeah. Well, if now, you think so. about it, even when you look at Steve Bjork's Zaxxon, it's everything is on the same static blue floor and red stripes too. So it's still yeah. very linear, uh, the movement of it. Um, yeah, it wasn't until he did uh, Z89 that he actually added some you know, yeah, more yeah, 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 descriptive uh, floors and yeah. stuff. So. But no, this is not terrible at all. This this captures the essence of the game, yeah, and it's a good. somewhat of a unique take on it. Right? Oh, sounds this pretty good too. Yeah, this one I, I was watching him. You you tilt this line to steer the ball around, but I don't know what the ultimate goal is. If you're uh, probably to, to get it in that hole, it's probably like one of those you puzzle games, like getting the marble to get the marble into the through the maze to fall through the yeah. hole type yeah, thing. Yeah, that's not what he did during this demo. He plays it for like a long time. Okay, and he just, you know, gets it over. Well, he's he's getting his money's worth out of it. Yeah, yeah. will yeah. the fun ever start? Precisely. You nailed it. Oh, that's cool. I get the idea though. That's clever another it's, it's basic it's in too, basic yeah no, that's impressive as a guy who barely knows basic himself i'm impressed with this so <laughs> yeah cool stuff cool yeah. and then the last one here is is uh is our one ken Kalish. is this ken Kalish? game over no this is uh, we've seen all these before but this is the first real gameplay video i've seen of return of the beast which is actually done by oh who's it is it Stuart? oh Stuart orchard's game yeah Okay. Which has like great music in it, and on, uh-huh. not during gameplay, but during its credits and stuff with digitized its instruments and things, and you know really good scrolling, etc. So I thought I'd actually play it because a lot of us haven't actually seen real gameplay, just a little demo. Okay. Yeah, just seeing those fonts reminded me of Ken Kalish. The shadow font reminded me of like a Ken Kalish game. Yeah, this Which is. Fast forward a bit here because here he's still figuring out the controls. So I'll get it. Exevious. Yeah, yeah, but multi-directional. But but scrolling left yeah. and right too. Not yeah, just like eight eight directional scrolling. I like the sound. Yeah, and the whole screen dissolve effect and everything. Yeah, because the sprites are larger, um, even the four-color palette here does not doesn't seem off. You know. Why do you think the? Um, do you think that's just an artistic effect? Uh, the score sort of tremble like that whenever it, it adds to it. It's, it's it's sort of like it's ticking up all of the numbers in between. Uh, I'll have to see it again. Oh. 
maybe. Maybe like it's yeah. uh, like a spinning odometer or something. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's and the varying palettes gives you this different, you know, flavor to each. Yeah. Sub level too, which is kind of cool. Even though it's the graphics. Yeah, the, yeah. You know what you have to do to get to the next level? Probably kill everything on the level. Okay. Or kill certain things on each level. Yeah. Now, sure. yeah, very well done. Very smooth scrolling. Like almost on a pixel level, the scrolling here. Yeah. And, and I think a, this is a P mode one too. Maybe uh, Kieran can correct me if I'm wrong. Game over, puny human. That's cool. That's nah, super ultra buttery smooth. But Look here's that. Uh, I'll turn that out here. I mean, for a dragon back in the day, this would have sounded incredible. Oh, yeah. You'd crank this thing up. Who needs a freaking Sid chip? <laughs> I mean, honestly, how many how many voices do you think this is? I believe Karen explained the engine, it does three at a time, three digitized samples at the same time. It's almost like a mini mod player. Right, right. That's really good. Oh, yeah, this is jamming. And this is at 0.895 megahertz in software. So we didn't really get anything like this on the Coco side, right? I mean, there's no there's no oh, game no. that has a title track that sounds like that, right? No. No. Um, I'm trying to think. We've had some, like, you know, multi-voice music in the but background, like Crazy Paint or Grabber, but not, not digitized. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't really start happening to the Coco 3. Okay. Like Contras, like your, what you chose as your theme for the Coco show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, Sox mod player, of course. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that we had that capability the whole time and just nobody ever really figured out and tapped into it. Karen can give more details because apparently there's there's a few games we found that Dragon that ship stuff like Shale And I, I think Karen had done Fire something Force similar in his Dungeons game where he had some type of software-based um, kind of mod tracker player, and then he ended up doing like a, a GMC version of the same thing. Um, yeah, for and, Dungeons. And that, yeah, Dungeons, and yeah. So. And and uh, Fire Force we showed not too long ago also it did use that same engine and it has the same you know running soundtrack except that one has a much longer song like it's unique for about a minute I mean it's got repeating patterns but the song is actually a full minute long and this is all crammed into 64k along with all the graphics and everything else yeah that was pretty cool no again the other ones uh, yeah the other ones we've all seen here like Rommel 3D Robin Hood and Movie Robo we've covered all those so alright that is the end of the game on news this week all right. Well, I bet we'll just take one brief commercial break, and then we'll jump into news news and um, the ease, ease of use update, and who oh, knows man. what else may happen. So on that note, what are we going to play here for our commercials? Because we have, I have not run a commercial in probably two or three weeks. We've run commercial-free for so long that, um, hmm. Fletcher. Fletcher. <laughs> Fletcher, you can't go wrong with Fletcher. By by demand, by popular demand, we're going to run a Fletcher spot. We'll be back after these words, boys and girls. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved 300 dates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant, 
would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbie the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at cocoman.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. Right. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing dagger with like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with no Christmas. And now a Muppet News Flash. Okay. L. Curtis Boyle, take it yeah. away. Hey, so first up, and uh, since John's actually here and, and uh, Aaron is in the chat, I thought I'd give them a big congratulations on the 300th episode of Amigos. Nice. Uh, oh, that's the pretty good, Curtis. The show that started their massive online empire. Um, okay, it's massive, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you guys did a, a special episode here. Now, originally, we were supposed to be in person with each other for the first time in, in you know, over a year. Yeah, uh, but in, Aaron ended up getting sick and didn't want to infect you for some reason. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was unfortunate we weren't able to be together. But the show went on, and uh, it was a glorious. You know, Aaron uh, spent uh, many many hours going back over the past three hundred episodes, pulling out the best clips uh, from the past five years. Uh, we had a trivia segment starring our uh, master moderator, Pixels at Dawn. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a good time. You know, 300 episodes is a long time to be doing anything. Uh, we never miss a week. We've done 300 weeks in a row without missing a week. And that's just, it's, 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 uh, it's the longest I've ever actually been able to do anything <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so 
Um, thank you, Curtis, for, for bringing this up. This isn't, you know, obviously Coco related, but it, it was a big deal for, for me and Aaron. And the, uh, well, it, it is a little bit because you guys actually mentioned that, you know, originally you started with this show and then you added ARG Presents, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of a generic one. But then you mentioned that the other shows you created since, including Spectrum Show, the Coco Show. If it wasn't for Amigos, we never would have started the Coco Show. That's that's that's, that's true. <laughs> Wide World of Retro says that was a fantastic event that was enjoyed by millions of viewers. So. <laughs> <laughs> Second only to the royal wedding in 1981 and the finale of MASH. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. The one thing I did want to mention here, too, is that you've got this uh, promotion you're starting here for your next Yeah, so every year we do uh, something to mention called, that. Yeah, we do, we do something called Amigathon, which is a 12-hour uh, charity event that benefits uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. We've been doing this since 2017. We've raised uh, almost $12,000 over the past five years for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And this year, uh, last year was actually the first year that we sort of opened it up. We had uh, Neil from RMC uh, and uh, Amiga Bill do a segment. And this year we're, we're sort of blowing it wide open for uh, you know all of our friends that are sort of luminaries in the uh, retro community, including uh, Kim Justice, uh, Ravi Abbott and Dan Wood, they're all going to be doing segments and or pre-recorded videos uh, to uh, to help us raise money for these uh, these sick kids. So uh, that's coming up on uh, July 24th. So still still quite a ways away, but uh, we wanted to get the word out early and start marking your calendars. Even if you're not into the Amiga, as it were, um, this is it's it's still a great event to be part of, uh, benefiting a great cause. Yeah. Plus, I mean, there's a lot of overlap here. I mean, Nick and, and others have had Amigas or still have Amigas themselves. Sure. And not everybody. You know, strictly on one platform. The only reason yeah. I am is because I'm a cheapskate and I already have these things. <laughs> and also, I, I'm so busy developing for them, I don't have time to do anything else. I will mention, like they do, you guys do a lot of the humorous things that have happened over the years. And, and my favorite part, and I'll let people actually watch it, is watching boat being drunk you know trying to record a show and actually aaron dug out you don't, have, ended to, up you don't to... have to watch the video to see that happen <laughs> well actually we're watching it right now live in real time but <laughs> but yeah there was one episode that's rather infamous i guess for you guys yeah. is that you were a little bit too hammered and they ended up reshooting it so aaron dug out some of the old footage yeah one of our one of our australian listeners sent us some really really good single malt scotch and I downed about half that bottle <laughs> over the course of the episode, and, and you can you can see what happens. <laughs> so there's a teaser for you guys to go watch the episode. Is that the one where you called your show Coco Talk? Oh, the, no, that, that's that's every episode of Amigos. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, I like those accidental promotions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I did want to point out the, the charity event because that's something worthwhile, no matter what platform. Absolutely, on, so. absolutely. Next up, we've also got John on the call, so he can talk about the uh, multiple things he did here. So uh, the first one was you put up a 20-minute tutorial, um, kind of like we talked about uh, last week, explaining how you got the 80-column mode to work and you know writing it in the assembly language. Because there's a lot of documentation and there's a lot of books and stuff that have been done on the Cocoa 1 and 2 assembly language and how all that stuff works. Not as much in the Cocoa 3. There's uh, Lawrence Tepolt's book, which was an addendum to the original Cocoa 1 and 2 book, and there's been some online stuff, but not, not as much, not anywhere near as much. So it's a lot more foreign to a lot of people. And there's a lot of new things to learn, like how does an MMU work? And, you know, how do you use DAT registers? And how do you set the gimme up? Because that's got some totally different things. How do you do attribute bytes on a text screen? Because if we didn't have that before, and, and et cetera. So you did this 20-minute video here. And then you had some comments from Robert Galt and a few other people. Um, I think Robert kind of misunderstood the point of the original video. So we kind of helped him explain that. Yeah, but he... he, uh, he did, he's he, legitimate. 
I'm but, glad he definitely pointed that out, though, because he reduced all this code here to a simple jump to, you know, three byte JSR and then two bytes for the memory location. And uh, so it, um, uh, you know, it's it's the easy way of doing it, you know, but it's kind of like I want like you're like you said, the whole point behind it was to try and get behind the uh, hardware. Yeah. The hardware of actually how it works, and 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 I did a little bit more too. I well, the the actual jump clears the screen too, so I'm doing that in here as well, and I'm printing the fact that it's 80 column mode. But yeah, it was a couple like two or three days of just studying those. Uh, the the, the T Pult books have all the info, but uh, it's kind of cryptic. And yeah. he talks about the video mode register, but then he doesn't have the actual address. So you got to scroll back up and go, oh, the video mode register is FF98, and scroll back down. And so there's a lot of scrolling back and forth. That's why, like, earlier you saw my notepad. I had just taken, like, clips out of that T-Pult video and, uh, and pasted it on there and then edited the PDFs, marked them up, and put the memory addresses on there so I could keep kind of keep it all straight and in the end i did i did figure it out i did find that mode that you said you used in uh uh os9 where yeah on the boot a, screen yeah the 80 column mode that doesn't have attributes and when i found that i was like wow I said, what did i do <laughs> where's the attribute by that right i think um, the problem is people who understand things they don't make the best teachers right and so because they, they already know where you're going and they already know the best way to get there at least in their mind what the best way to get there they don't understand the intent that this isn't designed for somebody who already knows how to do this this is designed for somebody who's learning and sometimes it's better to learn things inefficiently but to learn them more thoroughly the than to jump into shortcuts you know and yeah. and, and i learned exactly. that because i've spent over a decade teaching people you know network engineering and just because i know it I can't, I, you can't, it's it's not a good strategy to teach shortcuts. It's better, it's like in music, right? If you understand music, then, and, and anything else, once you understand it, you're going to figure out the shortcuts. The shortcuts will present themselves when you understand something. But to only teach the shortcuts and bypass the process of the deeper understanding is really a disservice. And that's true of anything in life. And yeah. it's true, it's just, uh, my philosophy of teaching is to teach the core material and the understanding and then shortcuts will the shortcuts will just magically appear mm -hmm. you know so and one what? of the one of the things one of the takeaways that's in this video is i'm showing here how i did it in basic by just using pokes and such and if you can do it in basic by poking once you've got that wrap your head wrapped around that then you can go do it in machine language and for me it's a lot easier because i i know basic really well and all you're really doing is using pokes so if you know the poke statement then that's all you really need to know uh and basic other than that is fairly simple uh and so i poked my way into the 80 column mode poked into the uh palette registers to change the colors and then at the end here i'm poking uh into the attribute bytes and if uh if you hit play You'll see on the next screen, it'll show like different background colors and flashing and underline and that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Like here's a, a blue background, and uh, and as, as it goes on, you'll see it'll turn on underline or turn on flashing or both and such. Yeah. No, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think Robert Robert misunderstood. Like he he viewed it as you're trying to clear the screen and set up a mode. And here's the quickest way to do it: just call the basic ROM call. Yeah. Right. The thing is, if you're going to write your own game, I'm sure Nick will attest to this too. 
if you're writing your own game, you're not going to be using the ROMs for anything because the ROMs are horribly inefficient for almost everything. I mean, even the screen, clear screen routine there runs literally eight times slower than it should be if it was properly optimized, if you really need fast. So, I mean, doing it your original way, like you did in this video, showing how to do it from the hardware level teaches you how all that stuff works. Yeah. Call, calling the ROM call doesn't teach you nothing, and then it restricts you to what the ROM call can do. Yeah. And so. I made the statement that, you know, my stuff isn't necessarily the most efficient way of doing it, too. I'm just figuring out yeah. how to do it. So I'm yeah. sure a lot but of But if you don't learn is, how the hardware works, you never right. will be able to make it more efficient. You're just calling a ROM call. It's like making an API call in Windows. You're stuck with whatever the API call limits are. Right, exactly. And this way you have raw control. And that's, I mean, Nick Nick never uses ROM calls. OS 9 does not use a single ROM call except DOS to boot. Um, and I after that, we shut it off anyway. Too. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I did appreciate what Robert was saying, but it was not the point, at least not the point when we talked about it last week, what I was yeah. hoping yep. you were doing when you did this tutorial. It was just to show how the hardware works. If exactly. you do this, this is what happens. Cool stuff. Yeah. Now, of course, that's not all you did this week. So um, this one, you revisited it, and you kind of did a cross-dissolve. Is that the best way to describe it? Um, this is the... No, no, this is the... I think this is the one where... Um, uh, Oops. This is the one where uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> Wait, this, this, is play. Where... this is the first one where it fades everything oh. out. Yeah, it yeah, takes no, whatever's you're... on the screen and gradually shifts it through the character set in color blocks and stuff until it turns into a space. You cross right. through the screen. Basically. Okay, yeah. And then what I did was I was watching an 8-bit guy um, video and I noticed it doing that same dissolve except instead of clearing the screen it was revealing his logo and I was like oh that's pretty cool it's the same routine except it's not clearing the screen it's revealing another screen so I wrote this basic program that you see running right now as a simple editor to um, to create a graphic screen and then when you hit the act key it copies it to E00 which is where the PMO screens start and then I do a save M out to the hard drive to basically save the graphic screen. And then the next routine that I wrote, and it's funny because I went in, I took the initial screen clearing routine and I modified it to do the reveal. And, uh, and it worked on the first shot. I mean, I when I assembled it, there was an error. I went and fixed that. Uh, I was trying to compare the A register to the B register, which you can't do. So I just wound up comparing the A register to the to the graphic memory, the actual memory location. You can on the six three zero nine, just so you know. Uh, okay, you really <laughs> <laughs> cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, anyways, um, after I got it to assemble, I executed it, and lo and behold, it worked on the first. first yeah, that shot. never happens. Yeah, and when I saw this, I saw it get this far. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> and I just, I and, was so and wicked fast too. Yeah, yeah, I was impressed. Oh, yeah, because I took the delay out to the, the other. Can screen. I ask a dumb guy question? Sure. You know sure. how the cursor flashes between several different hues? Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it's, yeah. Would it be possible to actually extend that to make the Cocoa Talk, you know, what you've displayed on the screen flash in that same sort of way? Um, Not yeah, automatically. With a routine, right. Yeah, yeah you, with a machine yeah. language routine, yeah. You could. Okay. Yeah. You could animate. That cursor is using one solid graphics block, and then just on a time basis, it's replacing it with a different color graphic block. Mm -hmm. And so to make all of the whole word Coco Talk, he'd have to repaint all those blocks each time oh, uh, to make it I look see. like yeah. it's cycling through colors because there's no uh, palette capability mm -hmm. in a Coco 1 or 2. 
Um, Pogo 3, you could cheat and use But a lot of games use a semi-graphic screen similar to this, and because in a semi-language you can blast low res on the screen so quickly, you can make it look like it's flashing through colors. Mm -hmm. uh, it's fast enough to do that, but it would have, you'd have to constantly keep redoing it. Okay. Sure, kind of like the, the marquee thing uh, that uh, Steve York does in... Uh, in the data stuff. Like shooting stuff. gallery. Yeah, shooting gallery and marquee, how yeah. like, the stuff were kind of ro rotating. Yeah, you'd have to keep redrawing those and offsetting yeah. them and stuff. Yeah. I was thinking about like water effects and things like that. You know, you could look... You, it would be almost like, you know, the sun, the sun reflecting off uh, the water if you could make it flash in the same way the cursor does just sort of naturally, you know, on the Cocos. Yeah. No, you can definitely do it with a routine. And this screen is small enough that you can yeah. do it pretty well, quick. On a Cocoa 3, you could you could do palette-style animations because you've got the ability to shift the, the colors that are Yeah, we just pick screen. a color number, and then you just keep changing what color is pointing to it, and then everything on the screen of that color instantly changes with one poke so that you can be pretty simple. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, it's cool. So it's like I'll give you a perfect example to you know drive my point home when it comes to it's uh, teaching and learning. Sometimes it's it's better to learn things the hard way and learn it inefficiently to learn it better. But you know I, I I'm getting ready to start learning assembly as I've been saying for the past five years now. I'm so close. I'm so close now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but you know I would almost rather start learning from you, John, on day one than saying day one, hey Simon Jonason, you know teach me your wicked mad ways. You know what I mean? Because he knows things so well and so optimized and so out there that it, 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 I, I want to end up knowing what he knows, but I don't want to start learning the top tier stuff. You know what no, I mean? No, it's like, I, yeah, it's like so. trying to learn how to write songs and somebody <laughs> just teaches you the tab. Yeah, exactly. And and I always it, use that example too. Like when I, I learned how to play the trombone and once I realized there were six positions, I started writing the numbers above the notes. I played by numbers. I never learned how to read music. There, you know, there, so. there, there are seven positions on the trombone. Okay, well, I remember six. So, <laughs> and it's just so. Low B natural. Spoken like seven. a music teacher. Yeah, this one, you know, goes, this one goes to seven. <laughs> you know what's interesting is uh, a friend of mine was uh, taking some kind of assembly language class in in, in uh, college, and I was talking to him about it, and, and I was like, what are they teaching you? And all they were having them do was just punch numbers into a computer and then hitting execute. And I'm like, well, what are you learning from that? <laughs> right, no, right, you're not right. going to really learn anything from that. And he goes, nothing. He goes, we've been doing it for two months and I haven't learned anything. Right. And I said, well, let's, let's do something. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And we settled on displaying a number, like taking a number in a register and displaying it in decimal on the screen. Okay. And I didn't even know how to do that. And him and I talked about it together. And he came up with the idea of dividing it by 10 and chunking off each digit individually. And that wound up working. So we wrote a routine to display every number from zero to sixty-five, five thirty-five, and uh, when we hit, when we went to go execute it, it he goes, "Well, what's going to happen?" I'm like, "It's going to go zip. It's going to be done counting from zero to sixty-five, five thirty-five in about two seconds." And sure enough, it was. We were doing it on a four eighty-six PC. <laughs> and, uh, it was done before you knew it. Yeah, and he looked at me and he said, "You know what?" I learned more by just writing yeah, this simple yeah, yeah. routine and, right. than I've learned in that class for two months. I'm like, well, you're never going to learn anything punching in pre-assembled code at hitting execute. And just, yeah. Is, okay. is there anything left, John? I mean, is there any? Are there any worlds to conquer on the Coco that you really haven't you, you'd like to do? Like, what's oh, your geez. grail? In you you talking like, about John specifically, or the world yeah, at yeah, large? Yeah, yeah, oh, I mean, John I know, because okay. obviously, you know, you've been able to do all these crazy things. Is there anything left to discover? Oh my God! Yes, I'm. 
I'm like way at the, I'm just above where Stevie's at. <laughs> Cause you know, like Stevie said, I've been trying to learn for five years. I've been kind of learning. Uh, no, Stevie's been trying to start to learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've started. I'm but fixing I've, to I've get ready. At that starting stage. I've kind of been at that starting stage for like 30 years. Yeah. And I even said like when I modified this code and it worked on the first Git, I was like, I smacked my hands together and I was yeah. the happiest camper in the world because I was like, I can't believe I actually, you know, modified some code and it yeah. actually worked on the first. Because honestly, you if you almost want things to not work because you learn more from your mistakes. If something worked right the first time and you always got everything right, you would almost wonder, am I doing something wrong here? Right? Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> so much more for me to yeah. learn when it comes yeah. to machine learning. It is nice doing that once in a while because otherwise you keep yeah. going, I'm just not learning well, this. It's taking me 15 tries every time to do something simple. But if you get that yeah. one, you know, the one thing that worked first try, it's like, I'm, I'm getting this. I'm, I'm understanding right. it. You'll, well, of course, yeah. make more mistakes well, in the future. This, but, get to sure. give John uh, like an analogy since he's a music guy, right? So... Think of the Coco as an instrument, right? So it's got a finite language. It's got the hardware is the same, the language is the same, but everybody's going to use that instrument differently and and do different things with it. And so it's, you know, and that's really kind of to answer your question, right? It's like, yeah, everybody, there's only six strings on a guitar, unlike the seventh note on the trombone. But, um, you know what I mean? Everybody's going to do something different with that guitar. And yeah. anybody yeah, who plays the guitar so has, you know, has any guitar player ever accomplished everything they want to accomplish? That answer right. is probably never, right? So You're absolutely right. That, that's yeah. why I was curious. You know, everybody sort of has a different end, maybe not end goal is the wrong word, but just, you know, something that they'd, they'd really like to do that they haven't accomplished yet. And that's why I was All right. About right. what John's particular well, thing is. Well, look at it. Look at it this way, but I haven't. I haven't completed a full game. I'd like to do that. That's my yeah, like goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great goal. I'm, I'm yeah. good at, at eventually getting to the end of creating a routine. Like this is a real basic routine. It's like 53 bytes or something mm-hmm. when it, when it's compiled and everything and or assembled, and uh, and so I'd like to, you know, do something a full game from beginning to end. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I'm not anywhere yeah, near as good as I'd like to be. So that's <laughs> that's all I'm ever going to do is make games. And I, eventually I want to learn assembly just so I can make my games faster. But some of the things that I want to learn is like right now the only way I know how to do anything is just to use random number generators and compare things. And that's all my logic and AI for like – and I use AI in very large air quotes, right? So there's got to be a better way to program patterns for your enemies to do things. And, and that's something my brain hasn't even – tried to conceive yet and so i look forward to not only making games and making them run faster as i learn assembly but then figuring out how to make smart enemies and ones that aren't predictable and aren't completely random and stupid and so those are some of the goals that are would be, will would start to unravel themselves for me when i start making games in assembly language too um yeah and, and for me it's, a bu- it's at- just a bucket list thing you know to to do so I am pretty good at basic. I've been doing basic forever. And like, I wrote the editor to make this screen that you see here. I wrote the editor so that I could quickly make this screen. And I wrote that in like one sitting. It was a, you know, like half an hour, 40 minutes maybe. Um, and it is a full editor. You, you can move the, move around with the arrow keys and type text and uh, create these blocks. I think I might expand on the, the program eventually too, but it was just something to whip something together because I needed a graphic screen to dissolve to, and uh, so I made that editor so I could make a quick screen and save it out. Hey man, yeah. I played in a rock and roll band. I knew A, 
A. Uh, let's see. C. C. A minor, F, and G. Let, let, listen, Ron, all you need F is four chords in the truth, man. Yeah. <laughs> 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 sounds like a professor of rock. But you know, what, you know what I think about, like, is like, I want to learn assembly. I'm going to learn assembly. I'm going to do something just to prove I can, kind of like John, you have a goal, right? I want to make a game. But when I, then I think about it, like, the, you know, look at, like, what Nick Morentis does. Look at what some of these guys who are doing things. Um, no matter if I spent from now until the rest of my life, I would never be on that level of somebody like Simon Jonasson or Nick Morentes or some of these just incredible things. And it's not a competition. It's not that you need to be, but that's not even my goal anymore. My goal is just to learn it and do it to say, yes, this is something I wanted to do when I was a kid. Now And now I've done it. And I don't know. Once I've done it, I don't know how much longer I would spend in assembly. I think once I've done one or two games or maybe even one game, I might say, OK, done. I did it. I proved that I could do it. And now it's on to something else. You know, who knows? So, I'm, but because I haven't started, I can't tell you where, where I'm going to go with that. So, yeah. I'll just mention a, a quote here from Sixty, uh, Karen, in the uh, chat room here, because you mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it's really hard to learn from somebody that's super technical and understands all the ins and outs, like a Robert Galt or it's yeah. like Jonasson, because they're at such a high level. And he goes, damn straight, I always have to stress very strongly that I'm a ruddy, awful teacher. <laughs> and that people that can teach are amazing. So oh. that's, that's oh, a, I wouldn't say Simon, And I wouldn't even say that Thank Simon's you. a bad teacher because I've never been taught by him. I know he's helped a lot of people. What I'm just saying it, is, is that if I tried to learn his techniques first in learning the yeah. shortcuts, that's not, that would not be the best long-term strategy for me. I don't want to learn the master technique first. I want to learn the basics and work my way up to the master level. Yeah. Well, you uh, would Simon's like... A- Simon's like beyond more than willing to help. Too. Oh, absolutely! He's, he's one of the he, one of the greatest mentors we have right now. Yeah, he loves but, to help too. Yeah, go ahead, Rick. But if you if you try to follow someone who's that smart, you end up being a cargo cult programmer where you're just throwing stuff because it worked before, and it works this time, and it doesn't really belong there, and it just fills up your your computer with <laughs> crap. But it works. Yeah. So you keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> and I will say, Simon, he actually. He forces you to try to learn on your own, and I think yeah, oh, yeah. he learned yeah, from he won't, he won't hand you. was teaching yeah. him stuff, and he, he would give him a hint. Right. Like, think about it this way, and right. then let him figure it out so that he's doing the learning. He's not just, you know, by rote going, well, just do this. This is better, you know, type. Right. That's the, that is the Socratic do, method. Yeah, Ron. Ronnie Chong. Yeah, I, I used to take programs that were already written, man, and I'd play with them. Change this and that. And then, well, change the byline. Well, what change. happened there? You know? It looked like this Coco Talk screen. Yeah. Yeah. Now it says Ron Talk. Well, like ROM hacks is what you're talking about doing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I ROM hacked. Uh, I, I always thought that Space Invaders on the Atari 2600 was one of the ugliest versions of Space Invaders ever made. And so I ROM hacked it one day to make it look like the actual Space Invaders characters. And it was, I, you know, there were a few compromises I had to do, but you could do it. It was, you know, it looked good, too, at the end. Yeah. And the next one here is the last well, one that John man. did. Um, so this one here, you put up a video done purely in basic um, as a challenge of people to figure out exactly what you did and, and how you did it. And then I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. The person lives in Germany, I believe. Uh, Kathy Seit? Uh, uh, Kathy, Kath Sita, I think is her name. Okay. I looked up the pronunciation, actually. <laughs> so, so I think it's Kath is her first name and Sita is the last name. And I didn't mention whether I was – I actually asked, am I doing this in basic or assembly? Oh, yeah. And people were guessing. 
Uh, and uh, who was it? Paul's shoemaker or somebody said you st- you're sticking a, a screwdriver into the ram. That'll do it. Too. it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting little uh, little tidbit I came up with, and and Kath totally nailed it. I I even mentioned you know somebody will probably figure it out, and uh, sure enough, Kath had uh, had it figured out. She remembered the memory location. After 30 years, she still remembered the A929 because the CLS routine, the first three bytes are load the A register with, or the first two bytes are load the A register with 96 or 60 hex, which is the space on the 32 columns. Okay. And uh, so if you just poke into A929, whatever character you want. And then run the CLS command. Yeah, that's it. And so I was just. I, I was poking a number and clearing the screen, poking another number. Ah, I was gotcha. generating two random numbers and then poking back and forth. And, and, clearing and the that's screen. one of the things I noticed, too. When I was working on Kabam for the Coco VGA and I was using the semi-graphics blocks and I had changed that last solid block to be the different bombs and barrels and stuff, when I did a CLS 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, I was filling the screens with uh, symbols and not solid blocks anymore because I over, you know, I reprogrammed the semi-graphics characters, which showed me that, yeah, basically the CLS came out was just stack blasting that byte onto the screen. Or maybe not yeah. even stack blasting. I'm no, not sure if it was no, a loop or... No. Yeah, so it, it wasn't an unrolled loop or anything, huh? So, um, yeah, it's just a loop. So, yeah, yeah it's kind so of interesting. Has anybody, has anybody got the 500 peaks and pokes book and put it down next to your cocoa and start punching in a lot of those things and look and see if it does it really works yeah, yeah. i yeah, had the book too. i i actually i don't have it near me but i do have a physical copy and i refer to the uh digital copy quite often when i'm playing around for my basic stuff yeah it'd be a lot of fun yeah yeah you're kidding you can do that you're right <laughs> yeah i don't know how i did it back in the day but i was able to make p-mode four screens look like text screens you could change it to where it looked like it was you know your green and black uh, vdg screen but it was p-mode graphics and if you did things right they still looked right on the screen uh, I, I disabled uh, the break key and the enter key. Yeah, and, yeah. And <laughs> I couldn't do anything after a while. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hit that reset button. Key. Yeah, <laughs> hit the that reset wouldn't work button. Either. Yeah. Now, I will mention one one interesting thing that she brought up when she was actually talking, like explaining the other technique, is that they used to use that for breaking copy protection on some of the old Dragon games in Europe. Because oh, she yeah. mentioned that there was a, like, you, if you remember the Microdeal games, generally put that picture of Cuthbert and Microdeal up in graphics. Yeah. And to clear that screen, or to clear some of the screens in the background, they'd call the CLS command in their autoloader, which you normally couldn't get around. So she just patched the uh, the CLS, CLS routine command. itself to do a save M once the whole program was loaded. So it bypassed the copy protection super easy. We just loaded, run it, and as soon as it went to try to call the CLS call, it just, instead of doing a clear screen, it actually just saved M the, the game out. So that was their way of getting around copy protection. And then, that you was could, genius. then you could load M the program change the poke back so it's not save emming anymore and then resave it again and you've got the whole program on disk yeah yeah i thought it was a pr- pretty cool technique so that was what she was remembering from the cls yeah. times. like she knew it inside and out to wow. that kind of stuff. That's, yeah. cool. that's why she knew yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's that like cool. going to copy parties and finding out some of the stuff didn't copy <laughs> what I actually yeah, asked well, I remember her. the days of using like spit and image and stuff, and that was that was a crapshoot sometimes at work, sometimes yeah. it didn't. I, I actually yeah. asked her, I said, did you have to look up that A929? And she's like, no, I remember that from 30 years ago. And then she cited that 
why she remembered it was because of that copy protection right. break. Uh, she goes, but if you ask me what I was doing 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like old movie quotes and song lyrics from a long time ago will never go away. So, <laughs> yeah. So next up, Sheldon McDonald, who we featured because he did the uh, PSG and GMC versions of his Treasure Island defense game on cartridge. Um, it's now working on, and Nick has been doing this as well on his uh, thing that he's working with Jim Brain on, uh, for doing a flash ROM bootloader for the PSG cartridge in this case. And eventually will support icon data, long file names, and booting programs other than just ROM images. But he's showing the progress he's made here. It's a little two-minute video, so I'll just play the whole thing. Hello, Sheldon McDonald here. I'm just sharing some progress uh, creating a bootloader for the PSG uh, sound card. Uh, for now, the loader is obviously on the SD card for now, but it will be on the ROM card afterwards. Um, so this is just some little bit of progress I have so far. Um, I just put two ROMs onto, onto the cartridge for now. And I'm just testing, number one, that I can actually read the file names on there. And there's actually icon data as well. But the first chunk of this that I'm doing is going to be in text so I can, you know, work on it and make sure everything's going good. And then uh, then I'll show the graphical environment after. Um, but yeah, uh, just this quick little test here. I, uh, I didn't boot on the... Uh, PSG card actually booted off the SD card and so this is actually showing me information that's on the PSG board okay so it's pulled up two files and I'm gonna just select uh, Megabug and you'll see that it'll load off of the proper banks where it's currently stored cool yeah even got some sound. Or can you go back? And then, again, loading off the SD. Okay, this time I'll pick my game. I'll press 1. Cool. Cool. So that's basically some of the progress I've been getting so far. And I've also uh, successfully written to the ROM banks now and formatted it by sectors. So everything seems to be working really good. Um, maybe we'll have a, a loader soon. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. Now, Nick Marentes, are you still on the call? Uh, yep, just woke up. Because <laughs> you're kind of doing the same thing with the MP3 player card flash ROM thing with Jim too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's almost exactly like what Sheldon's doing. So that'll be two different cards that will support this, this flash ROM technology where you can update games and add games onto and then just select from a menu. Ease and of use. <laughs> and both of them with bundled hardware, so you can actually make a collection of games that support the PSG or support the MP3 player too, so that's kind of cool. You know, it makes you brave when you're going to sit and play with the computer and um, put some basic stuff together and fool around with it. Is um, Someone told me there's nothing you could do with the 
your computer keyboard by typing in stuff that's going to ruin it. And I thought, oh, that's kind of like when you go to a movie, it's just a movie. It's not real <laughs> totally. life. You're not oh, going to die. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. that, that's true on probably... the Coke one. Most computers, but there is some of the older computers that if you did certain IO address stuff, you could actually physically damage the computer with a program. No. Right. Yeah. The, the pet, you could half the divisor to the screen display and half it again and half it again and half it again until the smoke came out. Well, I could, yeah, well, I could also, you could probably, uh, I could probably smoke your, uh, your cassette relay if I wrote some interesting uh, assembly language code. I'll make a nice buzzer. Yeah, yeah. Just bzz, yeah, I guess just if you did fast, like Battle Stations it. uses it to do that fake Morse code stuff, but it's not hammering it that fast. Right. I'm just saying, if you did it as fast yeah, as you could. Commodore, you could uh, play music with the drive heads, and that would uh, cause them to go out of alignment, possibly. So, yeah. so, so movies can hurt you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had some that have given me headaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Some have made me vomit, so obviously. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, what do we got here, Curtis? Uh, next up, a retrocomputing roundtable. Um, they just, I don't know if you guys watch that show. It's, um, it's typically a podcast. All kinds of retro. Yeah. Yeah. It covers all kinds of retro. It's, it's uh, there's a lot of Apple uh, accent on it, I guess, because most people on the show have grown up with Apple IIs, etc. Uh, but um, the one they picked here, I think Blake was the one who picked it, but uh, he found a Cocomax, and they go through eBay sales of you know various bits of retro hardware. Sometimes really hard to find stuff, and the one they decided to bring up this time was the Cocomax cartridge, which is the high res. Uh, cartridge for the joystick or mouse to give Cocomax full analog resolution that matched the Coco 1 and 2's high-res screen. So instead of the 64 by 64 you normally get out of a joystick, you get this actually 256 by 192. And uh, Blake was getting really tempted to buy it for Cocomax and Cocomax 2. So they actually do a fairly long discussion on it, and I was actually in the chat, so I was you know giving them some you know um, corrected pointers and stuff like that from you know having worked the hardware myself. Um, but I'm hoping that they'll start. They, they occasionally cover Coco stuff every once in a while, so I'll try to bring them up when they do. And I'm hoping that they'll actually start de- delving into it more. I'm trying to watch the show and getting active in their chat. They're not more. always live like this. Typically, it's just a podcast, an audio podcast. No, it's right? live on YouTube now. Pretty well. Was it every second Sunday? I can't remember. The, oh. the, the problem they have is that they don't pre-announce when they're going to do it. So you get this. You know, if you're subscribed, you get this flag saying we just started, and then you miss the nah. first couple minutes. Okay. So. Uh, I they've only, actually said I they're going to try them. to start. Okay, they're going to try to start doing uh, pre-taping uh, times, like hours ahead, so you get a chance to actually catch it live. But yeah, it's basically every Sunday afternoon okay. or every second Sunday afternoon. And it's a good show. It's it's an interesting show. Next up, I was hoping Tim was going to be on the call today because he probably could give us more. Because I know he's updated this a few times, and I haven't been able to catch all the updates here. But basically, he's going through a bit of a bug, and he was trying to fix Arkanoid. Uh, because MAME was not reacting to the background sound in Arkanoid properly. So, and he was basically, it's its having to do with the uh, Coco 3's Gimme RQ timer, and he does some tests here. And I, he's tested on the 86 Gimme. I don't know if anybody's managed to test this on the 87. I do know the timers do react a little bit differently between the two. And Sockmaster's kind of you know documented some of that in the past, um, the timing difference. So basically, it has to do with setting the timer to zero, which... According to most written literature, we'll say it'll shut the timer IRQ off. And on real hardware, it does nothing of the sort. It basically will trigger an IRQ as soon as you enable IRQs every time. Like it's basically a zero count. It'll just bang as soon as you, you know, enable IRQs again after what? unmasking them. It's it doesn't, just firing. 
it doesn't actually turn the IIQ off. It stops the timer. Yeah, and then basically the timer triggers every time. Yeah, so if you've stopped the timer, then you're not going to get any IIQs if you've set it up that way. Yeah, because yeah, as he says here, documentation with Cookie Harbor said this should stop the timer interrupt, and that is what MAME did. That is not what the real hardware does. On real hardware, you get an immediate reasserting of the interrupt when the timer value is set to zero. On the second interrupt, the sound system is properly initialized. Real timer values were being written, and samples are being written to the DAC. So basically, he's fixed it in MAME, so I'm not sure when the next release of MAME will be out. That has yeah, it's really, I mean, and this is a testament to, number one, uh, Tim's tenacity to discover this, and then not only be bothered by it but want to know how to fix it and it just so happens he was i was in discord when he was talking about it steve bjork just happened to pop into discord and tim's like hey by the way i noticed that mame doesn't handle arkanoid uh a certain way like at the coco 2 things sound right but in the coco 3 it doesn't and steve says well in the coco 3 i'm using samples and it's working off of the h sync and this and that so steve basically explained how he did what he did for the this noise on the Coco 3 version versus, and Steve just happened to show up, and it's like one of these things. It's what happens on Discord, right? So Tim was talking about it. I, I noticed this. I'm trying to fix it. Steve just happened to pop in. I was an ear on the wall the whole time it happened, and Tim's like, oh, wow, that's really that's really useful information. That's going to help me solve this problem, and, and Tim did it. So we are very fortunate to have somebody like Tim on the MAME development team who is a COCO champion, you know, that wants this hardware to work the way it does as well as it does and, and continues to work at getting it done. So tenacious T, man, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah, he no, does no. mention here these tests and he's included video files in the zip. If you download it, plus this program to try it on your own machine, we're down to 86. Give me, and I think he wouldn't mind some people that have 87 give me to download it, maybe record a video and see if it does anything different or you know causes any issues i, I think the timing interrupt if i remember it's one cycle off i i think yeah. simon or uh or nick you guys might know you probably play the timers a lot more than i have so i think he said on the 87 gimme the sound in arkanoid works fine and so the it was a problem just on the 86 but go ahead simon it's either one or two cycles out. You can look at Sockmaster's website, actually, to see the difference. Uh, it's got an explanation of the timer on Sockmaster's uh, gimme reference. Okay. Because um, yeah, I did remember there was a difference, and he actually, that's the way he, I think he detects which gimme you have installed through software. Yeah. He's using that, if I remember correctly. Another thing we'll do here, I know it's out of context, but I'll just do this uh, because it pained me because I was building a computer with my son here um, and I could hear the YouTube chat and you were talking about Cafe Cita. Okay. Um, is that the proper pronunciation? Cafe Cita uh, is Tormod Volden. Okay, Tormod Volden, who done uh, the PAL version of um, Dragonfire. He's just using his wife's profile Oh, okay, Tormod. Oh, okay. He's using his wife's profile because he doesn't have a Facebook account himself. Ah, okay. Ah. So, okay, yeah, because he's also one of the guys involved with Nitro Stein. He's one of the gatekeepers. Oh, of the, so when, the we, when we see something posted from Torsten Dittel, that's actually Tormod? Is that what? No, or, no who's Torsten? Kathy. Oh, no, who's Torsten Diddle then six he's just mentioned to? Uh, let, me just, let me just work this out. Okay. <laughs> Not Tormod. And not no, 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 it's it's yeah, it's Torsten Dittel. Okay, that's why it says Depple Vision on the intro. Depple Vision. On okay. The, uh, that's yeah. That's 
Dittle. So he's just using his wife's profile because he doesn't have a Facebook account himself. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So I just needed to set that straight because I oh. was sitting there. I was sitting there with a water cooler and all kinds of stuff, and I was like, oh, no, I cannot listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only person who listens to us that has that exact same reaction. Yeah, so. that's, that's why Bo drinks. I mean, <laughs> so, but I said it straight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut the fuck up. All right, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thanks, Simon. Good to see you, madman. <laughs> okay. Okay. So next up might be of interest to both John and Stevie here. All right. <laughs> So Keith Chibiakumis, as he calls himself, he, of uh-huh. course, does various assembly language bits for all kinds of platforms. He's done Dragons, Pets, Super NESs, you name it. So he's actually back on doing sprites. Uh, these are XOR sprites, so they're a bit easier to maintain, though they're a bit more limited on how they appear type thing. But uh, he does one for the Dragon 32 here, which, of course, works exactly the same on the Coco one too, so it applies to both. And goes and explaining you know, how to set up. And he's not doing this as the most optimized routine in the world or anything like that. It's basically, Uh-oh. like you said, Stevie, to learn the concepts. Robert Galt might have an issue with this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't there some isn't there some extended color basic call that we can do to do this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Could you stack blast this? I mean, or do comp- compiled sprite like yeah. what? Well, actually, yeah, exactly. well, actually, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> What's the channel name? Chibiakumis. Actually. Chibiakumis. Yeah, he's Should done a, a series course. of things. He's even done some Coco 3 specific ones, which you might be interested in, John. So basically, he does this, he goes through and explains, you know, line by line what he's doing. And like I said, it's it, you definitely could optimize this if you wanted to get into that. But this is to teach you the concepts. Um, right. He actually sells books and stuff in this too. So I'll just let it. Let and him we repeat, here. and that will start the procedure again, allowing us to keep moving. And that's how we end up with a smiley moving around the screen there. So that's how we've managed to get that and how we've managed to create those range limits. Now, of course, the idea is that you would take this and potentially make it into something a bit different, you know, make your own little game of it. What? Anyway, so that's a little demo. And he actually yeah. has, like you mentioned before he ran this, that he had to slow it down because otherwise it moved too fast and was just all over the place. So I don't have that problem writing in basic. <laughs> I've never had to slow anything down. <laughs> yeah, do you have a slowdown poke for me? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. This basic you, is too damn fast. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a pretty, pretty good, and it's just this whole series. And like I said, you, if you want to learn a simulator program, he covers like six to eight thousand. He covers ARM. He covers six eight zero nine, six five with two uh, Z eighty. He covers you know machines from Europe, machines from North America, machines from Japan, game consoles, home computers. All right, how's this guy keep his code straight in his head for a particular machine? I don't know because that's beyond my scope. I can't. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, honestly, it's all, for the most part, I don't want to say exactly the same, but it's almost the same, you know. I mean, the basic concepts are, but I mean, he gets into programming sprite chips and bit planes on you know machines that have oh, hardware yeah, layers yeah. and you know sound chips and and then doing raw DAC stuff. Like he's all over the different things. So yeah. There is a lot to know. Well, once you've looked the stuff hardware. up. Yeah. So, yeah, once you've looked the stuff up once, you just look at your old code. Yeah, but I'm like some of the other people mentioned. Well, I can't you're, remember what I did yesterday. I, so. I would imagine that as you start to learn the assembly language, the structure of the language, it's just m- kind of variations of that for the different processor you're talking to as far as instructions. For the, sets, for the right? most part. I mean, there's some processors that have some very different ways of doing certain things that you do have to keep it straight in your head. Like, okay, if I'm on a 680XO or a 6800 series or a 6502 
I'm going to do a memory transfer this way. If I'm on a, a Z80 and uh, or 6309 or some other ones, you're going to do it a complete different way. Different instructions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he has conflated his titles here with the dragon being a 6502. Yeah, I should point that out to me. He just typed it in wrong, but. I know, but yeah, still. he knows his stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. At, right at the very beginning, you mentioned 6709 specifically. So, yeah. But he's, he's yeah. got done a lot of these. We've covered a few of them before. And if you're into video game programming, like most of his stuff is oriented towards games. And he is planning on doing a cross-platform set of games for a bunch of different machines using all these routines eventually. So I'm really interested if he's going to come up with that because he's doing everything from, like I said, you know, he's done stuff as, as for a recent, I think, is like PlayStations and things. Hello, it was actually cross-platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the way back to pets, you know, like he's covering the gamut. I was actually looking for something on sprites on the 6809 sprite movement. So yeah. this will be close enough for me to figure out how to do it on the... Yeah, this isn't the full masking sprites you could normally use in the game. It's an XOR sprite, which is the same as, say, the cursor on G-Shell in, in Nitrous 9, because it basically XORs, which basically means it inverts as it goes over top of other things. Whereas most of the time in a game, you want you know the sprite to layer over top, which is a slightly different routine. But this is faster, and it's easier. You don't have to like save buffers and stuff. You just XOR it on, XOR it off, XOR it on, XOR it off. And it basically fixes the background as it's moving, which is why we did that in, in Nitrous 9, because it's quicker for a you know, a, a slower 8-bit CPU. David Ladd is leaving us. Okay. And here we go. Canadian Retro Things. Ken. Yeah, so basically you got some boards from Mr. Dave 639, who's a member of our Discord. And um, I think some of it was for Atari joysticks, and some of it's for making your own cartridges, and some of it's for the Atari specifically. The first part of the note so is let do the unboxing bit, and we'll for skip a joystick converter. Um making a uh, so a digital joystick will work on my Coco computer and now we have a note from Mr. Dave it says hey Ken hope you have fun with these projects Mr. Dave 6309 I will <laughs> definitely, definitely will. <laughs> okay first off we have a little black box and it is that's a nice an Atari 3D printed cartridge, cartridge holder, and it is full of all of the components I'm going to need. Then we have a Chinese New Year lucky envelope. <laughs> oh, and better than money. What's better than money? It contains circuit boards. Nice. Multicolored. So we've got three circuit boards, three different circuit boards here. So two copies of uh, this one. And Mr. Dave's commenting live one. saying this is one of Ken's best videos. Yeah, because he's talking about his stuff. Because <laughs> he's talking about Mr. Dave's <laughs> stuff, yeah. It says Atari 8-bit on it. Okay. This is for the joystick converter. No bias there. No bias Excellent. there at all. It's got Atari 8-bit stuff and there, too, so oh, it interests both now. Have... <laughs> Daddy Burrito says these are Doom key cards. This is what you need to open up the doors. Yeah, do <laughs> <laughs> Pooyan. Okay, Pooyan on a ROM cartridge. I would say that this one is probably the color computer cartridge. The red, the red one. And in here we have. But you got the shirt at Kmart. Oh, <laughs> he 3D printed me two battery case covers. 
for my blip game. <laughs> um, where I looked at a bunch of the um, handheld stuff that I... Just fast forward, you can see what he's talking about. Ah, okay. Like a Pong or something, huh? And it fits on perfectly. Yeah, this first one didn't quite fit as perfect, it, but the second one did. I guess he did some good. slightly better, or slightly different ones just to try because he wasn't sure. Oh, Ken says they're actually from Walmart, not there Kmart. So his shirts. Oh. So. Ah, you go. <laughs> Kmart's too upscale. Uh, a closer look at the circuit boards he sent me. Coco one two three ROM pack. Mister Dave sixty three. Coco one two three ROM pack. Look at that. Is there a Dave sixty two oh sixty five oh two? Yeah. Eight <laughs> um, bit. Atari eight bit. There's a Mr. Dave Z80. Mm -hmm. So that, that's an Atari ROM Yeah, That's what it looked like. Yeah. Set up for building some stuff. So I'm going to be putting parts on both of these boards at the same time. Um, I'll pause here because I'm not super familiar with Atari stuff. Um, would this be for like the Atari 2600 game system, or would this be for like the 2600 like like cartridge? It looks like you got on the left side. You've got an Atari eight bit. Uh, on the right side, it looks like maybe a 5200. Oh, the right side's a Coco one. Oh, okay. Okay, I was going to say, left if, side they were, does... if, if they were both, you know, because there's only one Atari system that's that wide. Um, but, yeah. Sloopy's saying it's Atari 8-bit it... computer. I think okay, Atari so it's be like the 400, 800 XL series and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah it also says Atari 8-bit on the actual EEPROM itself. Yeah, so, so it's 8-bit yeah. computer, not 2600. Well, yeah, I, that's I what I was wondering. I didn't know if it was like... because 2600 cartridges look just like exactly like that. They, Are they pin yeah, compatible? Yeah, wait, I, they I, might I highly doubt that anything Atari 8-bit computer would be compatible with the 2600. They're totally different. Yeah, but to totally answer, your, answer your question, it's the computer, not the console. Yeah, it's the okay. computer. Okay, neat stuff. What is there say 8K, 16K, the the different size ROMs it handles, I would guess. Mm -hmm. That's what the Atari one said. It did say 8K, 16K yeah. ROM. Yeah. Yeah, apparently not. Yeah, I just looked it up. Um, but the cards do look the same. So they're probably close. Yeah. So he is, you know, putting the various pieces on and socketing and stuff like that. So, And doing both in two separate windows just to get them covered faster. <laughs> Putting together some ROMs. There he's testing the Atari cartridge. Computer set up, my 8-bit. Oh, yeah. This is there my XEGS get, get to see the system. smoke in real time. <laughs> no, he actually knows what he's oh, doing, yeah. unlike me. It's, it, it's a beautiful there. machine. There's a big pastel button Power on the front of it. on, and... Satan's Hollow. Nice. Satan's Good Hollow. game. I've never played the Atari version of this. I played the arcade version. It looks pretty good, actually. The Atari version was a uh, was never released. It was a prototype that someone found the ROM when Atari okay. closed or something. Mm. You play this one, both? No, I haven't played the. Here I didn't realize there was an Atari the version. TRS eighty cartridge. Oh, so Puyan was never That's released on a cartridge. So Mr. Dave has put it on a cartridge. Out. Now the most important question is: is does it have flashing lights though, too? That's a mis that's a mis As you'll see here, it doesn't, it doesn't work, work right off the bat. Uh-oh. Now, since uh -oh. we have Ken in the chat here, I, I, I had to skim these because I was kind of busy this week here, but I believe what happened here is that it has to do with the banking between the Coco 1, 2, and the Coco 3, the way it works. And for a Coco 3, it's on the wrong 
half bank to map in properly. Look at the look on his face. It's <laughs> <laughs> like me after I tried to solder something. Spent all that time um, soldering, man. What? <laughs> wow. I'm pretty in without the purple trees. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it keeps going. Now, he said he talked to Dave on our Discord and eventually you know, explained that it has to do with the way the, the ROMs are mapped between the two. Okay. Because it, it kind of flips the banks around, if I understand correctly. I haven't done any ROM programs. I have no idea technically. But basically, the, the way the cartridge was currently set up, it's set up for a Cocoa 1 and 2, which means you plug in a Cocoa 1 and 2, it works fine, which mm. he does demonstrate. On the Cocoa 3, you kind of have to flip around where in the ROM on an 8K bank or something that it actually is situated so that the Cocoa 3 will detect it and run it properly, I believe is how it works. Or flip 16K chunks within 32K ROM or something like that. I can't remember the exact details, but... But basically, he hooked it up to his Cocoa 2. With uh, quick editing, you can use an SDC and make it look like it works. And then, boom, there's Puyan. Yeah. He's actually <laughs> got a spot go. screen on it, too, which is cool. It That's is different. working. I do remember seeing that. Not The, the cracked versions around, most of them don't have that splash screen. A few no. do, but Zaxxon had one, too. Never saw that. I've never played this game on the TRS-80. I have played it on, I think, the Apple computer. Now, one thing I would mention, if you're bothering to burn it into a ROM, I would go through the code and change it to use the other color palette set for the Cocoa 1 too, which looks a lot better. Yeah, but the colors might be all wrong. They might not be, that might not be like green background or whatever, or the blue background yeah, for the sky and the green for the tree. If you're taking the you time to dump up. the ROMs and everything else here, you might as well just go patch all that up and fix it up properly. Yeah, but you'd have to patch the whole game. I mean, you yep. might end up with uh, with uh, a red sky instead. Yep. I mean, yeah. Well, I've done matter? it before. I mean, I've patched entire games. It just takes months or years. It's not a big yeah, problem. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> you just shelve the OS9 development and <laughs> yeah, get exactly. to work on the game. <laughs> That'll be my side project. No, I'm not doing it. Okay, cool. Well, on the Coco 3, you can reprogram the colors. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you could just hammer the palette. Well, that's one of the games you have on your little... Patch disc, isn't it? Nick? Yeah, there was. Yeah. What exactly does that mean? What? The title was Brilling and the Silly Toves were Mimsy, were the Bora Groves. Sure. Girl, I think. So was that an explanation that I'm supposed to understand? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't either. It's the start of uh, some Lewis Carroll or something. The Jabberwocky. The Jabberwocky, exactly. Oh, okay. I just know the Jabberwocky is one of the monsters in Rogue, so. All right, so what are we looking at? Oh, this is Jerry Stratton's page, and we've, we've covered him before the last few years. Or so he has a blog and some code for a basic program to explore through the basic ROMs, and also an explanation about tokenization works with, with some examples looking at actual basic code, explaining how the tokens work. And then he uses that, you know, that compiled basic language that he's done that you run through and it converts, you know, a, a structured language like this into, you know, regular basic statements. So you can write in a more modern style, longer variable names, et cetera, like that. And then it'll you just run it through his converter and it'll actually change it over to run on the real Coco. And then he does, you know, some demonstration of how the whole tokenization thing works. So if you want to learn how tokenization basic works, it's a pretty, pretty good article. And he's got the, you know, the sample, the program to do this. Uh, we've covered that before. It's kind of like basic unraveled. Cool. That's good because he hasn't done a really technical one for a while, so that was cool. A Boro Grove is a thin, shabby-looking fictional bird with its feathers sticking out. 
Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. The um no charge. Right. <laughs> yeah, Barry's been busy in Facebook lately. So uh Yeah, and this is actually a pretty cool one. So we all know that, you know, it's kind of like what joystick port you need to be plugged in for a game, whatever. It's a Murphy's Law. Whatever the one you need when you turn the Coco on, it's the other one. Um, so the same thing is with the artifact colors. You know, And on the Coco 3, you can, of course, change the artifact colors by holding on the F1 key and hitting reset for power. But the problem is it switches, it phase shifts all the colors. So that even P-Mode 3 colors, the text screen colors, they all get shifted. That's yeah, like the green purple becomes screen. purple, yeah. Yeah. So what Barry has done here is he's made a little program to do the flipping of the artifact colors only for composite and RF, and it leaves the other ones alone. So if you have a game that switches between, say, P-Mode 4 on one screen, a text screen, or P-Mode 4 and P-Mode 3, depending on what part of the game you're in, normally the colors get a wonk using the F1 trick. Using this little program that he's done, it'll only change the red and the blue on the artifact color mode and leave everything else alone. So none of those odd colors like purple text screens and stuff show up. It'll look like normal, which actually I thought's pretty cool. So uh, if you guys have any games that, you know, specifically switch between screens fairly often and you don't want all the ugly shifted, phase shifted colors in there, if you use this instead of the F1 key trick and do this as a preload, then run the old Coco 1 and 2 artifacting game, then your colors will be pretty well what they should be, which is, uh, it, was a nice, it was a nice thing, nice technique that I actually, it's so obvious, I don't know why I hadn't thought Yeah, and you know, the thing too is that Barry... Um he, he he would be a perfect candidate for the game on challenge because he ends up playing games with his daughters a lot and he posts pictures and stuff about yep. yeah me and my daughters played you know buzzard bait or buzzard this bait. yeah so um you know i don't know how active he is on discord but um you know he does he's, i don't think he's, he's been on too often on yeah discord. but yeah he's much into he's into gaming and playing with his kids and sharing the retro hobby of a new generation so he would be a him and his daughters would be a great candidate for the game on challenge if we can get him get him over here I agree. And then the nice thing in here, too, is he's put the disk image you can download you know, right from the Facebook Coco group. And he's also included the commented source code. So if you want to see exactly how he did it, you know, how to set the pallets up so that you get that mixed mode instead of the whole phase shift thing. Um, it's all there. Thank you, Barry. <clears throat> Next up, we have Richard Kelly, who did a little test program here. And this will check to see if a Coco 1 or 2 is in all RAM mode. And if it's not, it'll force it into all RAM mode and copy the ROMs over, which means you can modify basic to your heart's content. Now, we've got a, quite a few of that. We've got tons of these little programs that kick it into 64K RAM mode and copy the ROMs over to the RAM so that you can run and patch basic. But I haven't seen too many that actually test to see, are you already in this mode and not waste your time? Or if you run a program that wants to modify basic and you run it, and it copies it to RAM, patches it, does whatever else. And then you run another program that's also doing that. It'll wipe out all your old changes. So if you had, you know, a patch that sped up something, say, with a graphics screen and another patch that fixed a bug in the P clear command or something like that, one would overwrite the other as soon as you write the other one. This one will just check to see if you're already in 64K RAM mode, then I'm not going to wipe the basic out that's already there. So if you've already patched it, I'll leave it alone. So you can use this it's a little program that you or a little line of code you can put at the start of your program to see if you've already gone and patched your basic and you're already running in RAM mode without overwriting it and possibly wiping out any, you know, enhancements you've added. So I thought that was a kind of a little cool change. That's basically just a one line yeah. like a basic code that adds it in. So also available on the Facebook group. Now I've, I, I keep saying I don't normally cover for sale items on the show. And now three weeks in a row, I've been doing that. Um, 
but we keep getting these kind of exceptions to the norm thing. So in this particular case here, Raymond Jett managed to somehow, and he put greater than 40, he actually ended up with over 60 of these. These are the original 12-volt controllers, floppy disk controllers, uh, which were designed for the Coco 1. And it's also one of the controllers that is modifiable to handle high-density disks, 1.2 or 1.44 meg. Uh, the newer ones are not that capable, are not as easily capable of doing it. So he's got 60 plus of these, and now they're untested. So he's only selling for eight bucks. You can consider them parts. But I mean, if you replace, if there's any bad parts, and some people have said that actually they are working fine. Um, but basically, they come with the bottom shell of the case, but not the top. The okay. tops are not there at all. Uh, and the board is as is. But if you want to patch it, or if you want to you know, get a disc controller that you can patch to run uh, the. Uh, the high density mods to you know read high density discs. Uh, this is probably not a bad thing. And where does cheap. one acquire sixty some odd cartridges that no are only half shells? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like I have no idea. Controller on the half shell, eight bucks each. Limited time offer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure this will warm the cockles of David Ladd's heart. But Ooh. he posted this on May 10th, five days ago, and over half of those sixty are already sold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, David put in his order. <laughs> I don't think he did. I think that's not including David at this point. <laughs> I am so excited. I can't wait to get 1.44 megabytes out of my floppy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Okay, so next up, um, this is a person, uh, one of the three people that do this podcast called Digital Soup. Now, Digital Soup is kind of a tech-related variety comedy show. So they cover computers and cameras and music and you know all kinds of things. And one of the hosts there, I believe his real name is Jason. He's known as the big geek on our Discord. So he's joined our Discord fairly recently. Um, he actually dug his old Coco 3 out because he got this as a kid in 1987. And he actually dug it out. And since then, he's actually got uh, Jason's scart adapter thing and he's got the coco sdc i know it's an audio podcast but they, he's talking about he might do some videos here too but basically he goes through his experience you know why when he was running it back in the day and then getting all the stuff and you know getting joined on the discord and the facebook communities and stuff you know saying on uh, we've been helping him through getting everything up and running again and he talks about with his other two co-hosts uh, for the first part of the show and then he they start talking about cameras and some other stuff too so it's um it's definitely it's 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 kind of a it's definitely comedy oriented, I guess, a variety show type thing. Like it's, they're they're joking around constantly throughout it. it, it it's like listening to Stevie try to be serious. Um, I resemble that remark. Yeah, actually, I think the two of you guys uh, would, would be you know quite get along there because you did stand up comedy back in your youth days. And one of the new segments they just added on is they're actually going to be writing jokes or having their Discord chat write jokes that they have to read on the air for the future episodes. So, all right then. Anyway, yeah, he's, he's active on our Discord, so I, I told him I'd plug the show here, and it was actually, I think it's about 10, 15 minutes to talk about the Cobo 3 at the beginning here. So, I mean, it's not completely 100% factual accurate, because he's going by memory and, you know, just yeah. stuff he's kind of discovered Listen, as he goes. Facts are optional in most cases. Well, yeah, and we know that from <laughs> you when you did your original videos. Yeah, facts, are such, an un- facts are such an unnecessary detail to a good story, okay? <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if they'll be talking more about the Coco as as things progress. I know he did talk about possibly doing some videos of some of the games and stuff he's got. So we'll see. But I'll keep I'll keep monitoring. And he's in the chat with Discord, so we can just ask him directly too. I guess I wouldn't mind having him on the show actually talk about it at some point. Absolutely. Either, so we can arrange that. Tell him facts are optional. It's like clothing's optional on the show. Facts are optional too. So <laughs> next step. Um, Boring. 
Oh, okay. I'll, <laughs> Actually, I'll, do so- I'll do something ahead of time before we get into this. So um, I've, I've mentioned this before, um, and, and Boat knows them too because it's one of the sponsors of their shows. There's a, a company called Retro Rewind that basically does a lot of Commodore hardware stuff these days. So they do like PET stuff and C64 and VIC-20 and Amigas and they do hardware boards and stuff. And he wants to get in the Coco. Now, I did actually help him uh, manage to snag a Coco 3. So if you want to put the camera on me, I'll just show off. He actually sent me a shirt as a thank you. Hold on one second. Let me uh, let me punish our audience by focusing on you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So oh, he sent yeah. me a shirt as a thank you for getting it. Nice shirt. Yeah. And then Boat just got one of these too. Now, I, I, I don't know if this is part of his normal shipping, but when he sends hardware boards and stuff here, but when Boat and them got some stuff that they showed on their show last night, he sends little candies with it. So I got a, you know some you know, bubble gum type stuff. But one of the best was he, he sent this as one of the candies. Nerds. That uh, that's appropriate. That's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nerds. That was, remember the guy, uh, Glenn something, who used to sell stuff out of Canada? He had pack, he would pack candy with his stuff, too. He passed away a couple of years ago. I remember he used to run uh, Coco and Amigo, Amiga store. Oh, yeah. Um, Glenn Vandebigler. Glenn, of, uh, yeah. So, yeah, he ran a Coco store, and I bought a few things from him, and it came, I actually got some Canada, that uh, some some candy that was a Canadian brand of candy that wasn't here in the States that he shipped with something I bought from him, so... That seems to be kind of common in the in the vintage computer world. Like uh, people send uh, Adrian from Adrian's Digital Basement. They're always sending him candy from ah. Europe and different places and stuff. Yeah, I, I remember one time a uh, retro rewind is actually in the live chat on uh, Twitch right now saying woohoo. Um, I, I I knew a guy from Switzerland or something, and he's like. He's like, yeah, I'm going going back to Switzerland. Want me to bring something? I'm like, I was just kind of joking because the only thing I know from Switzerland is like chocolate, right? Like Swiss Miss hot chocolate or whatever. So I'm like, oh yeah, bring her back some of that Swiss chocolate, right? Just being a smartass. But apparently, and they like they make their chocolate with liquor, and so it's like in the chocolate. So even though it's like solid chocolate, it's like got alcohol in it. So he brought me back like contraband that was like liquored up pieces of different chocolate. You, you guys stuff. don't have so, that in the states? No, no. <laughs> you you can get the, the mildly flavored ones that has like a Bailey's Irish cream. Or something. Oh yeah, if you can also yeah. get one that's literally a hollow bit of chocolate, and it's actually got like a shot of Jack Daniels in it, just straight. Okay, no, 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 no. But this was like you know they they have made some novelty ones where it was like a you remember the like where you used to have like the wax soda bottles with like some juice inside them, so they make some novelty like chocolate bottles with actual liquor inside the chocolate bottle. But this was like liquor mixed in with the chocolate when they were cooking it or whatever. Yeah, like mixed into so it was it was solid chocolate pieces with different types of alcohol liquor in the chocolate. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, that's that's my kind of candy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and boats, too, I would guess. Yeah, that, right. That. Now, I did want to bring up, because I've been talking with him, because uh, he's got a Coco 3 now that he got, and uh, he wants to get into doing some Coco hardware, and they're trying to figure out some projects. Now, one thing Real-time I've clock. been trying... <laughs> yeah. I, I've been trying to approach because I don't know what the status is with, with Richard and Boys in Tech because Richard you know, had a whole bunch of boards that were quite popular and he's kind of got out of the manufacturing. I don't know if he would like somebody to take over. He had mentioned you know, second sourcing of SDCs might go to somebody else, but I haven't heard anything since. So I'm trying to you know, get in contact with Richard to see if I can get these two to talk to each other. Then maybe they can make an arrangement here and make some of the stuff like a Coco SDC. And Richard had some stuff that he was planning on doing that he never got to yet that uh, wouldn't be bad. One example I'll give he was going to do the hardware patch to the sound speech pack. Because right now that thing is hard-coded or hard-wired, I should say. 
but it only handles 0.895 megahertz. If you got a Cocoa 3 double speed, forget it. If you got a Gimme X triple speed, forget it. It doesn't work. And it was a fairly simple patch he was going to do to fix that. And then we could start using those, you know, on, on various games that are using the extra speed of the Cocoa 3, the extra speed of the Gimme X. So that's that's another example, um, you know, or second sourcing like the you know, Boomerang E2 boards or Cocoa SDC boards. He's uh, actually got the pick uh, machines that Ed Snyder does. He actually has four of these. Wow. And he's got four 3D printers doing cases and stuff, too. Wow. So, I mean, he's just set up to do all this easily. Um, so I would like to see if we can arrange for him to do some of that stuff or even if he comes up some own design. So we were talking on their Discord because they have their own Discord as well last night. And uh, one of the people that works with him is doing a hyper accelerated 6502 that runs at like, I don't know, a gigahertz or something like that. It's basically, as, as I understand, he correct me if I'm wrong in the chat, but it sounds like it's... Uh, an FPGA drop-in replacement for the 6502 CPU. You don't have to modify the motherboards and the computers. You just pop this thing in, and it, you know, it has caching and a bunch of other things built in, so that it runs just way faster. And he was asking, would be interest in the Coco community of doing a 6809 or 6309 drop-in replacement for doing that kind of a speed increase without having to modify the rest of the hardware. Obviously, the rest of the hardware still has to talk slower. Obviously, it'll have the option of kicking it down to normal speed. But they would give an example, like if you if you want to write a game. But your assembly, you know, like if you're doing right an assembler game and it takes you like one or two minutes to assemble the game every time you want to test something, well, you could crank up the speed to this, you know, maxed out thing on the real hardware and you could assemble it like literally in one second and then kick it back down to the normal 0.895 or 1.78 megahertz and then play the game to test it, thus cutting your development time down. Or you could write games if you require it. And I know this gets into that gray area where some people think this is pushing it too far. It's not a Cocoa anymore type thing. But screw those but, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've noticed that the uh, ultra patched version of Etasm, uh, I started using that recently, and it does a bunch of things. Like when you print a page, it uses the full 80 column, 24 lines, rather than just the yep. 16 at the 32 had. And it, when you assemble, it seems to, yeah, the uh, the original Etasm is kind of like clunk, 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 clunk as it's assembling. And this is like real smooth. So I think they're poking it up to assemble it and then poking it back down before it writes out to disk. Yeah, such. it runs at 1.78 megahertz. Um, yeah. But this would be running like at 1 gigahertz. Yeah, well. So it almost sounds like the Gimme X for the CPU. It's just a drop-in yeah. replacement. It's pin compatible. Yeah. So it, this is this is the great you thing. combine the two, would be an awesome thing. Right, right. So if, if you're basically able to make a super CPU that's 100% compatible but has bonus features, I don't see anything wrong with that. And those who want to take advantage of that extra performance will, and those who don't, don't. And it's almost kind of, kind of getting, well, well, right now, 6809s and 6309s are still mostly available. There will come a time when they won't be. So yes. to have a new source, to have those produced, um, and now it's, this would be something that would be hard to compete with, I'd imagine, because you can get a 6309 for like five bucks or less. So to be able to produce an FPGA, um, I don't know what the cost is. So it wouldn't be competitive as far as a replacement, but it would be kind of like a cool thing for those who are the Uber hacker, want to have the coolest, sweetest things in their machines. I don't see anything wrong with making it. I don't know how many people would, would take advantage of it, but I, I see no harm in having a CPU that's fully compatible but has more performance for those who want to yeah you know. and that's kind of my thought too i mean even yeah. if i'm writing a game that i want to run the stock hardware because some of the interest for some of us retro programmers is how far could you have pushed the original hardware if you knew all the tips and techniques and right now right and that that's the challenge that i like that's why i tried to speed up fractals but on the other hand when you're trying to reassemble rogue and it takes literally four or five minutes 
on, on real hardware. I mean, you mm. can do it cross cross development wise, or you can run it in an emulator and unlock the speed. But this would be locally on your own machine, and you just like you know flick a switch or, or do a poker or whatever, and all of a sudden, bang! You're, you've done it in a second. Right. And you're still on the original hardware. You kick it right back down to normal speed and immediately test it. That that kind of appeals to me. Nick, what's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know if it's that easy. Um, otherwise, Ed would have done it. Remember, he had trouble trying to get the uh, on the Gimme X getting the uh, six eight oh nine to run reliably at what, yeah the reason he was having problems though is because he, he was talking to the peripheral chips alongside like talking to the PIAs and, and, and the VD, or the gimme X or the gimme itself you know talking to the other chips in the in the computer it was, it was the bus communication between the chips my understanding here is that this is basically buffered right on the chip itself so the chip itself is running faster but it's talking to the external at the exact normal speed yeah so it has to drop it has to drop down to a workable speed again. Yeah. Which means you can only well, do it. Well, that's only drop down if it's talking to hardware. My understanding is that you would have the RAM on board with this thing. Oh, mm, uh, well. Because he I'm says a memory boost as well. So that means to me, like it's kind of like the Game X, because Game X is running faster, accessing RAM, doing video and stuff like that, because it uh, talks directly to that and bypasses the CPU somewhat. And I think this is doing yeah. the same thing, except it's on the CPU side. So CPU can run at a gigahertz with a gigahertz capable RAM. And it's only when it's talking to PIAs to do sound or whatever else, if I'm understanding that correct. And yes, he said yeah, I am saying correct. I saw somebody I somewhere that had a 6809 project that they were doing, and they actually had disk, disk extended color basic or extended color basic running on it. I can't. It's, it's a YouTube channel. I don't have it saved somewhere, but I do remember seeing it was like a project, like a self-built computer, and it had more capabilities than a Coco, but it was enough like the Coco that he was able to, you know, run. Uh, extend yeah. color base. Well, my understanding is this here. This this would be as far as the as Coco software is concerned. It would just be a normal six eight zero nine or six zero nine. It would look exactly the same. You just have this option. You can kick it up. You know, vast right. Vast. It's almost sounding yeah. like a modern CPU now, where it's got like le, you know level one cache built into the CPU now, where it's talking amongst itself. That's the way a modern CPU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The RAM it's talking amongst itself because a modern CPU is uber fast and efficient when it stays inside its little vacuum chamber. The minute it has to go out to the motherboard and it's dealing with the laws of physics and resistance and everything else, that's when things slow down. So, whenever the CPU can keep working in that vacuum, it's like uber fast. So. That seems, you know, technologically like a cool thing. But the RAM on a Coco 3 anyway. Right. Well, this would probably have its own RAM. Yeah. It's what my guess yeah, would be. The, it, ha- but, yeah. it does have but, its own RAM. You, yeah. You said yeah but the, but, but just, that's just it. In the Coco 3, the RAM goes through the gimme. The CPU doesn't see the RAM directly. So you're going to put RAM directly on that CPU. Well, that's now you're going to have incompatibilities. Um, mm. You've got to have basically programs to run in the RAM on the CPU to be on the CPU's RAM, but then anything that talks to the video, which is through the gimme, has to be on the other RAM. So... Yeah, yeah, well, we're speculating, but he's he's chatting right now too. Number one, he says he'd like to come on to talk about it, but he also, he's also saying this is based on something that's already been done for a 68K replacement. Um, yeah, and this you need to talk to someone like Jim Brain or yeah, well, um, to, to know what the problems are. Yeah. Well, it starts sounding a lot like an Amiga where you've got the Agnes bus and, you know, chip RAM and slow RAM and yeah, yeah. you have that here. 
Yeah, well, well, Frank, so. Frank, since you're in the chat here, would you like to come on next week and we can kind of have a, like a technical discussion? And yeah, we can ask yeah. some of Nick's questions. But, and but yeah, I mean, in general, a faster, a faster cocoa sounds good to me. I mean, I'm not the guy who's going to develop anything fancy for it. But, yeah, to me, more speed is more better. Well, can you imagine what you could do with Kabom? <laughs> you wouldn't have to Listen. even learn a semi language. Yeah, that's that's the Microsoft philosophy. Just throw more hardware at <laughs> more our crappy code. Yeah, speed, throw more yeah. hardware at crappy code. It'll eventually run the way it's supposed to. <laughs> that's yeah. distorting it too much. <laughs> distorting the hobby. No, as long as it's you know, as long as the harmonics are always keeping a perfect sine wave, it, uh, it's not distorted. So, <laughs> hey, Frank said gladly he'll come on. So, Frank, are you available next week to come on the show? And if if you are, is there a certain time you would you like to be early on, later on, or does it matter? Yeah, so I think it'd be a pretty good discussion. So then- you know, to me, so here's 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 what's here's been our hardware dilemma. We've had a lot of different hardware products that have already ex- existed for quite some time. There's been it's been slow adaptation for anything to be developed for them. And so right now, Sheldon McDonald's kind of pushing that envelope a little bit. He is now starting to develop something that takes advantage of that. Ed Snyder's PSG board, right? It's been around forever. Nobody's really developed anything for it. So there's been sound solutions that have been around. For, we've, we've had all kinds of hardware augmentations that have already existed that have had limited adaptation and support for. So, um, and I think part of the challenge to that adaptation is that not everybody is a guru when it comes to assembly at all, let alone assembly for specific hardware and new foreign hardware. Uh, that's one challenge. Another challenge, I would think, Although financially it's less of a challenge, but a lot of these things require a multi-pack, which was a challenge back in the day, and it's a challenge now. So, to me, if, if we we need to make sure we're kind of standardizing on a few of these chips, you know, sound chips and real-time clocks, standardize on them. There's two or three that already exist. I don't think we need to invent a new one, but then find a way to internalize them to where we don't need the multi-pack, and somebody with a Coco SDC can take advantage of all of these things that exist inside the cocoa and negate the need for multi-packs and extenders and all these things. So I would say take two or three sound chips, a real-time clock, standardize it on an internal thing that would work, that's compatible with the Gimme X and the Cocoa VGA and the Super CPU, and then boom, we're done. Put a fork in me. All right, so. <laughs> Just like yeah. that. Well, the nice thing about this, too, is that because it's meant to be a drop-in replacement, that, that eliminates the having to write special software for the hardware. Basically, you might have a poke to you know kick the speed up or whatever. And that's about it. I mean, it's a 6809 as far as the Coco's concerned. Right, Something right, right, right. cool about Sheldon, though, is that all of his products are going to be released at McDonald's. <laughs> Old McDonald <laughs> had a farm. And oh, he says anytime. Retro Rewind says he can join us anytime. So One thing I've noticed, too, is there's uh, – you're right. There's not enough gurus around. And that's one of the reasons that drives me to try and get better at – at programming so I can contribute more as opposed to I see a lot of people out there who are like hey so and so you ought to do this right and it's I can't stand it when I see yeah that. don't ask somebody like, else to do it. do it right <laughs> yeah and that's that's the thing too is like uh, when I hear us talking and thinking out loud when we say oh it'd be you know what somebody needs to do is they need to write an extension for basic no nobody needs to do anything really if somebody has made hardware that's good enough somebody's made the hardware it's up to somebody else to make something for that hardware would it be nice if there were extensions to basic so retards like me could write to it yes but is that the <laughs> hardware designer's job no 
no, they don't need to. It's not their responsibility to do. Uh, I don't so. think we stay a retard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just did. So <laughs> it is, mean, this is this is a vintage show. That was a period correct statement in 1980. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one of the reasons we're doing Nitrous Nine too, yeah. is because. It's an extensible designed operating system to begin with. You install a driver, you can replace the sound generator from the six-bit DAC and make one that runs exactly the same. Oh, Nitrous 9, blah, blah, blah. Now, now you're but I've right, also so been yeah. trying to optimize <laughs> stuff like base when I'm in the graphics subsystem because that means you don't even have to change your program. You just install this and all of a sudden your programs run better, run faster. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're also waiting. But, you know, at some point in time, it's like when within the PC market, it was like, OK, they, they they started throwing out sound cards. There was the AdLib sound card. There was the Sound Blaster. There was the Gravis Ultrasound. You know, these companies said, I'm making a friggin sound card and screw you, bitches. You figure out how to use it. And then the people like ID Software who made Doom and all these companies, they ended up making the support. And you, you got a little menu. This is one of the questions that Boat was asking. Why can't you just have it asked? the question of what you do well because you have to know how to do it and write the software to do it but almost <laughs> yeah. every pc ms dos game of the 90s gave you a config utility that said what do you have do you have vga do you have super vga do you have an ad lib do you have a sound blaster and then they the developers had to know how to do it and they supported it and 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 so the hardware manufacturers are just like screw it we're going to make this sound card and luckily enough there was enough market for for game development where they, they ended up getting supported so if anything, hardware choice should, should inspire developers to want to make stuff for it, you know, and make things. And it works towards standardization. It's kind of the chicken and egg thing, though. You know, you gotta you gotta have hardware out there, and people have to develop for that hardware. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I do have a question for for all of you guys. I mean, do you notice that people, because in the Amiga community, because of the way that the um, sort of the engines that have been developed for the Amiga, like the, Spor the Scorpion engine and things like that, they tend to skew towards the, uh, the higher-end Amiga, is like the Amiga 4000, uh, just because of the system requirements. Uh, you need like an 030, a 68000 030, um, to even make a lot of these games run. Um, in the Coco community, do you find that most of the development takes place towards the lower end or towards the higher end? Hmm. I would well, say the, only it runs real, in the, the only real up or lower and higher end we have now is a Cocoa One and Two versus a Cocoa Three. Well, that, that, that's what I mean. I mean, it, it really is. It's a very sharp dividing line between Cocoa One slash Two versus Cocoa. I mean, you still you have the, now a little bit of the Six Zero Nine versus Six Zero Nine. Like Nick's made a game, or mm -hmm. you know, requires yeah. Six Zero Nine. Roger Taylor's made a game, requires right. Six or Five Twelve versus One Hundred Twenty Eight. Um, I think it's a mix. I think some people make stuff. They're like, well, I wrote it, so it fits in One Hundred Twenty Eight because most people have One Hundred Twenty Eight K Cocoa Three instead of a Five Twelve. But, I mean, these days it's so cheap to upgrade the memory, even to 2 meg or beyond, that, you know, why would you bother? If I was, a, as a developer, if I write a game and, and I'm like, well, it's going to require a 512. So be if you it. don't have 512, you know, that's, that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. And that's a sliding target, too. I mean, if like you talk a, to Nick, I mean, he was doing 128K games, stock Coco 3, and then he later kicked it up to 512, and now he's actually done a game. That required six through nine, and he was, that was kind of an experiment because he didn't know is the market even close? Like, there's enough people who have six through nine, and actually his sales on it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but they're pretty darn near the same as Pop Pilot, Pop Star Pilot, aren't they? Three Ferraris, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's a bit of a moving target, I think, at this point. Yeah, um, it is, yeah. But don't don't forget, I have also gone back and done 16K Coco one and two. Yeah, next done the well. semi graphics. So, did they sell as well though? Oh, probably not not as much, no, but I still did it. So 
Yeah. yeah. It, so I mean, it depends on what your I purpose is. I guess that is my question, Nick. You know, how much do sales figures? Because obviously, you're the biggest star in the room. Uh, how, how how much do sales figures figure into what you choose to develop for? Uh, well, it is important. I mean, I, yeah. I I have a personal preference for the Kogo three. I do want the extra power of a Kogo three, but I do understand that not everyone's got a Kogo three, so I'm I don't really base it entirely on 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 what sells the most. It's what I want to do. So it's a consideration, but it doesn't dictate what you're doing. Yeah, obviously. I mean, if there's 500 people who uh, have a Coco 3 and and uh, are prepared to pay, well, obviously, I'd be stupid not to uh, write a game for that. But I think in the Coco community, it's pretty widespread. There are Coco 1 and 2 people uh, with only uh, 16K. There are Coco 3 people with uh, uh, 2 mega RAM. <laughs> so it's fairly wide, really. So I tend to do what... I want to do. Yeah, and I would yeah. say yeah, if, I, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably 60-40 as far as what hardware is out there in the wild. Probably right, yeah. But with emulation, it's it's irrelevant. And yeah. Yeah. my own philosophy is going to be if I'm going to design or develop something, I'm just going to make the thing that I want to make. I'm not going to worry about who can support it or what can work on it or not. And I'm not going to I'm not going to be like Nick Marentes that can do anything super fancy. But <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the whether or not it fits into a particular slot of you know most common core hardware that that would not be a consideration for a project I would do. I would make the project that I wanted to do. I'd make the game or hardware that I wanted to make. And just make it and satisfy my own goal of designing that thing. And when it was done, the requirements are going to be what the requirements are. And then people either run it or not run it because yeah, I, so you, you let the project dictate them. Yeah, yeah. Not. That's that's that would be that would be my philosophy. I would design the product that I wanted to make. And somebody says, well, if I'm going to make a game, what should I base my game on? I'd say make the game that you would want to play, or that would give you a, a challenge in creating, but find a motivation that is going to satisfy you don't think about the end the end people pleasing component of it make the thing that's going right. to make you happy and then if you build it they will come you know mm-hmm. so it might even inspire some people to upgrade their hardware so they yeah, really that, want to play and, that and game and that has worked that, Nick's, that, Nick's, that, you know so. and that has been the case and again now we're now as as um, as Alan Murphy's been posting in our little internal chat here we're in the hobby market where it's no longer we're making things for money you know but at certain at some one point in time things were made for money so the developers had to support everything because you made the most money if your game supported the most things now it's a hobby market which I do see the distinction but I am also also still of the mind that people will buy hardware if there's a killer app for it. That has always been true. That, you know, Lotus 1, 2, 3 and VisiCalc were the killer apps that made people buy computers when nobody owned computers before. Why do I need a computer? Well, now you can crunch numbers on it. Okay, now I have a reason, right? So if there's a killer app and you didn't, if you wanted to play, um, you know, uh, what, what's one of the next crappy games he just, oh yeah, Gunstar, right? So if you <laughs> if you wanted to play Gunstar on real hardware and you didn't have the 609, you might get off your ass and get it done. And that's what I did when for Donkey King. I didn't have 32K back in the day. And I'm like, well, hellfire, I'm going to let somebody open up my computer and slap some RAM in this bitch because I want to play that game, you know? So I think even now people will buy hardware to run software because the hardware is so cheap now. You know, it's so easy to do. And yeah. if you don't, and for me, I don't know how to do hardware myself, but I'll bring it to a friend to, to do it for me. So we have uh, affordable access to components, and we've got talent to do it for us who are not hardware inclined. 
I think there's and we're seeing that right now because now yeah. we've seen two Coco VGA based games come out, you know, within yeah, a month of each yeah. other. Yeah. And that, that's it's been those are like a hundred sold that everybody's making like little demos, they're not doing too much with it. Now we've got two a couple like, of like decent. commercial quality products available for Coco VGA. So yeah, when you start having products that support uh, you know, when you start having a cool piece of software that supports a hardware product, that, I think that's going to help motivate people to buy that thing. Yeah, and there's always going to be people out there who whine. Who whine. It's like, oh, I only have a 16K Coco 2. Wah. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, hey. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, fire up. You know, fire up BCC. Yeah, fire BCC, or you know, there's there's the ones that are say, listen, I'm a purist and I don't want to do this and I don't really want to do that. Okay, so keep keep a pure machine, and then buy another one that you can hack. You know, because the hardware is out there and it's not that expensive. So if you don't want to, you know, break the cherry on your Virgin 4K Cocoa ba- standard basic machine, don't do it. Leave it pristine and go buy another one. Buy and get an old ugly beat up one and hack the hell out of it. You know, yeah. so or, or, or get a mister, <laughs> get a mister, and then be able so, to run every. Everything, yeah, you know? yeah, you know, Mame and VCC, Xroar, and you can run, you can run your stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Like I posted that picture of my Coco Three. It's got sixty three oh nine. It's got the Gimme X. It's got eight uh, gigs or eight megs of RAM. It's got a Coco SDC, and it's like you know, Coco Three on steroids is how I posted it. And um, I, you know, everybody was like, "Oh, that's great, it's great, it's great." But here in the chat room, people were like, "Well, how much do you have invested in it?" You know, it's like. You know, less than six hundred bucks. I think it was. And I don't think you can really. I don't think you can really call it an investment because when you invest in something, you're usually implying right. that you're going to make more somewhere down well, the road. Well, Stevie, right. yeah. Yeah. More, more accurately, how much? Now. More accurately, how much money have you wasted on that old crap? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, literally, it was. I think I added it all up, and it came up to be less than six. Yeah, unfortunately, the retro hobby like is not always. Uh, and, but now you didn't even spend that money all at once. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Coco it's a, that's how it was yeah. with me back in the day on the real Coco because I couldn't afford it. So I had my Coco, I had my cassette player for probably a year before I could save up to get a disc drive, you know, and another year or two before I could get a multi-pack. So, you know, the, the retro hobby now, based on your budget, you might still stage your acquisitions and upgrades sure. over time, too, as your finances allow. So um, Yeah, I, I put that Coco 3 system together over a period of probably two or three years. Because, you know, I bought yeah. the original, initial Coco 3, and then I eventually uh, did the upgrade. I bought the uh, Coco SDC second, I think, was the second thing I bought. And then, you know, eventually I got it to the point where it's, you know, what it is now. But it's like it did. I didn't do all all at once. And I, honestly, there's not that much, in you know. The most I ever spent at one moment in time was around 250 bucks. Well, I don't think there's any hobby you're going to get away cheap. You know, ham radios. Yeah. And people are, don't do hobbies as an investment. No, you're spending well, money you do, on something you're you're really a wrong hobby. Yeah. <laughs> My hobby is the stock market, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't even talk to me about that. My, so. my hobby is slot machines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible investment portfolio, yeah. I gotta tell you. Yeah. Anyway, Frank says, yeah, he'll be on next week. So we'll we'll right, have him on. Send him, send him the Zoom info and we'll do a test Zoom yep. call and make sure all that works. Um, yeah. I know his video and stuff works because he's on the team speaker regulars on uh, <laughs> ARG on, presents. ARG presents, yeah. There so you go. We just have 60, to get him set up for us. Sixty says, "If you bill it, they will demand a real time." That's call. right. <laughs> that is absolutely true, and I agree. <laughs> anyway, I got two other stories before I get to the Nitro's Nine stuff because I, I kind of put them on a little bit early. So I'll just it's all good. We, we're having passionate discussions here. <laughs> yeah, we're distorting the hobby like nobody's business. Oh yeah. Robert Sieg is a busy man. 
He's distorting the MC-10 hobby on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, and I wish he'd put up a bit more of an explanation. So he says he's doing a 32 by 32 by 9 color, which means he's probably playing with the color set and doing the ones with the extra orange reds. Yeah. So he's got a screenshot that looks pretty clear. And then we did the video, and this is on real hardware. He's getting this weird flickering. I don't know if that's just the camera. Because if he's in that other color no. set, it shouldn't be doing that. If he's flipping between, well, actually, I don't think the MC-10 can flip between screens, can it? Well, um, yeah, gee, how would you offset it? There's no sand. Yeah, so I think I, I think it's just a distortion of his camera. But uh, so I'm hoping he gives a bit more details on that. Distorting the MC10 hobby. And this is one that Sixy Kieran actually pointed out to me a while ago, and then I, I completely forgot to put it in last week, so I made sure I got it in this week. But Stuart Orchard put up a cool memory testing utility for the Dragon, and he put this up like about a month ago now. He said, rather than just testing the memory contents, it actually figures out how long the DRAM can retain the test data before a RAM refresh is needed. Oh, so wow. you can actually not only test that the RAM is working, but is the refresh fast enough to properly handle things like double speed pokes, et cetera, here. So it goes in a bit of a more technical explanation here. But that's a pretty innovative uh, RAM tester. I don't think it, we even have a Cocoa version that has done that before. No. And I do know there was problems with the original Coco 3 because some were running with 150 nanosecond RAM, but then the hardware scrolling, particularly the horizontal, actually was running too fast for the RAM chips, and it eventually would screw up and lock the computer up. <laughs> and and that's, that was the Mitsubishi RAM versus the NEC RAM. Mm. What was it? Wasn't it also 120 versus 150? Because that's why everybody switched to 120s pretty quick after the upgrade started coming out. Well, I mean, the tech note from Tandy was if it's a Mitsubishi RAM, replace it with an NEC. Okay. And so I remember somebody wrote a tech article that technically the hardware scrolling required 142 nanosecond RAMs, basically. So 150s were marginal. You might get a good batch RAM properly, but you might not. And that everybody, you know, all the third party ones started selling 120s. And Rick, you can correct me if I'm wrong because you were around at that time too. But I believe the 120 nanosecond ones basically solved the problem no matter what brand they yep. were. That would kill it. So yeah, that's a pretty pretty cool project. This is like Coco 1 and 2 level stuff here. So this is making sure like the SAM has to refresh RAM. So when you kick in a full double speed poke, you know, the RAM refresh kind of gets screwed up. The video refresh kind of gets screwed up. But you could technically use this to figure out RAMs that actually would do it properly. And you might be able to actually run full double speed RAM and ROM with the right chips. Or maybe a bit of an extra circuit in there. So and he's got source code and everything else. It's a it's a GitLab project, so you can actually take a look at how he did it. The next one's about ease of use. So boring. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Don't listen to the haters, Curtis. Boy, that is man. I never listen to them anyway. So uh, what, what was he saying? <laughs> I, I just heard it sounds like a fly buzzing or something. Maybe cicadas. I don't know what it was. But. <laughs> Steve, you can just shut up and eat your nerd scan. <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we actually released this on May 10th. Uh, so this is, I I was already a week later and I was planning on just due to you know, personal stuff and we actually had a bit of work come in unexpectedly without warning. Um, so it took a bit longer to release it than I was planning on. I had to yank one of the features I had added because it had worked on a couple of games that I tried it on, and then I found on some other games it greatly slowed them down, uh, including Rescue on Fractalus and Cronus Rift. So I actually had to yank some stuff out that I'm going to have to take a different approach on the next next upgrade. 
but basically, um, this is more of a developer's release. There is an extra game. There's an extra game demo. There's some extra. There's a new calendar, a modified control uh, program. Uh, Fred Provanja did that particular one. He's actually in our chat right now too. Uh, but Jeff Tennyson and um, what was the other one? Walter Zambotti actually did most of the work on this one because this is all developer tools. So there's a whole bunch of Unix stuff that's been ported over, like uh, the various versions of Grep and Awk and you know a ton of other stuff on there. So if you guys are into that kind of stuff for development, it's all there now, and it's actually the Unix compatible ones. We did have a Grep on there before, but it was kind of a hack Cocoa specific version. So basically, this is a developer's release for the most part. There's a new DCC compiler that actually has a better optimizer. So now your C code will compile smaller and run a bit faster using the exact same C source code. So if you just recompile, you'll get, gain some speed benefit. Uh, so that's really cool. And that's an, a constantly ongoing project. I mean, Jeff's working uh, on all the different parts, the compiler, the optimizer, the make utility, et cetera. Um, we, I've actually finally got the music uh, directory sorted by music type. Now, a lot of these are not fully working yet. I did try a couple of the players and some of them require a MIDI card, which I don't have, so I can't test it. And some other ones is locked up dead and died, like Lyra did, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But the music of player is working now, and it actually has an icon. So if you go into the music folder into the um, music directory, you can actually play the four voice music stuff like we did, and it actually handles the break key to abort it, so you don't have to let the thing run through until it's finished. Uh, which is what one of the older players did. So that's like a command line uh, musical player? No, it's actually a GUI now. Um, so if you just double-click a musical file, it will play with the player? Yeah. From the G-Shell? You betcha. Wow. That is quite easy to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of breaking your tradition, bro. <laughs> so can I change my cat stop as we share? Now, I think if I remember, we'll have to see if this works. I know it does not work properly in Discord. Sharing sound on VCC, the Mac version of VCC, I think, tries to jam it up the speaker, so I'm going to have to turn my mic around. So, are you guys seeing uh, G Sheller? Sir, yes, sir. There is a Mac version of VCC? Yeah, Barry Nelson actually did it. He wrapped it up with wine and stuff, but you can actually run it kind of semi natively. And OVCC, once that Walter gets back to that, he's been kind of distracted with a bunch of the Unix stuff uh, that he's been porting over. Um, actually should run on the Mac as well. Okay, so it's the PC version just wrapped yeah. in wine. Okay. So the first one I'll show here is the uh, control panel. And wine is not emulation. Okay, nope. colors, colors. Yeah. So you see that these are like little push buttons. So like RGB is pushed down right now. Mm. Right mouse buttons pushed down right now. Pseudo 3D, yeah. Yeah. And he's got preset colors. So you can pick like a theme and you can oh, add your theme. own themes. The oh, let's file. try teal. Let's see the teal thing. Teal? Teal's always one of Ben Mo. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a great color. Yes, yeah. look at that. Lovely. There you go. I like it. Okay, add transparency next. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, multi-plane graphic. Yeah. Um, it's also, he's gone at this finally update. This was a complaint because, I mean, G-Shell back in 99 or something, I actually added in a separate G-Shell palette so that G-Shell has its own colors to maintain the 3D look and leave the system palette alone. But the control program, the original one, had no idea this existed, so it would always just switch the colors around and, and do stuff too. He now actually has it, so you can actually edit the G-Shell palette itself or the system palette that most other games and third-party apps use ah. when you launch them. Nice. So the presets are basically for G-Shell. That's unique that's to G-Shell. That's unique to G-Shell. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice feature. 
Uh, again, all this reminds me of Shades of Windows 3.1, where you had your different themes like autumn and this and that and the other, you know, where it kind of loaded in your different color stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty nice ones in here. Blue steel. Ooh, I like that. Blue steel. Ooh, yeah. me likey. And like I said, you can add your own. I think he's got room in there for 20 that you can specify. So if you want to replace some of these with your own. Okay. It's neat. No, I like that. Just a little, you know, little touches like this. So I won't save this setting here sure. currently. Yeah. But I'll, uh, I'll leave it active for the moment. So you can actually do temporary changes like this too now. Right. Where you can actually set the palettes for the current session, and the next time you reboot it, it'll come back to the defaults, or you can save them as your new default, so you can kind of fiddle around with them if you want. Uh, next up is a calendar. We've got this ability to launch it both uh, from here in the control panel with calendar. This will run it on an, a resizable screen if you're on an 80-column G-Shell screen, because when you're doing these resizable apps, it'll take the base screen type you're using in G-Shell itself, and it'll create windows based on that. So if I switch to 40-column, it'll come up as a 40-column select window. If I'm on an 80-column like I am now, it'll come up as an 80-column select window. We also have it in the apps directory, so you can run it separately, and then and that forces it to always be a 320 screen. So it has a bit of a different appearance. Uh, maybe I'll do the full screen version here. Yeah. Uh, Mikey's asking if you included his patch for the Coco 3 FPGA yet. Uh, no, we didn't, and we haven't got the Matchbox or Mr. versions out yet either. So there's mm. still some work to be done. Right now, we've currently got the 6809, the 6309, the Gimme X6809, the Gimme X6309 versions out. Now, the 6809 version will run on the Mr. It just won't use the extra you know, 80 by 60 text screen features and stuff like that. So, I mean, it still runs on a Mr. It just won't have the extra features that the Mr. supports. Ooh, isn't this pretty? very pastel-y, very like yeah, Easter-looking. Nice. Yeah. So the one thing that's been added here, he's got reoccurring. Um, I also got to do some patches to it eventually because he tried to use a special font here that didn't work for some reason. Um, but basically what he did what here... Do you, like what, I'm sorry, Curtis. What is the NFNF up there at the top there? That means no font. Oh, I see. I see. Originally, OS 9 level 2, if you had a non-existent font you specified and you tried to print it, it would just print periods. But that doesn't really tell you what's wrong or if the guy tried to print periods or he's trying to hide a password or something. Because, I mean, some programs did print periods instead of text anyway because of the password protection. Mm -hmm. This way, it's unique. If, if, if the font's not loaded, I specified font 10, and I don't have a font 10 loaded that's going to do that instead. So it actually identifies immediately. That's a font issue, not a you know a high hidden password thing or something. Now, so this, what, what would you like to put there if you could? Well, I'd like to have the font loaded so it doesn't have a problem. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, what, what, what font would you like to have there? I don't know. I have to take a look at the program. Like, I haven't actually looked at the source for this one. This mm -hmm. was actually a, an old release, 92 or 93, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. So I've got to disassemble it and figure out what he's doing there. Now, it, um, the original one, basically, you'd, you'd specify a date. You'd type in some notes for that date. And then it would you know, highlight with a square saying that you've got that selected. But if, let's say, it's somebody's birthday, well, you'd have to put it in every year. You'd have to save it for, you know, today's date, 2021, and then go to 2022 and do it again. So this new one actually, if you use a text editor, you can set up recurring events. So you can do birthdays or Christmas every year or New Year's every year type of thing. And then it'll actually show up automatically. <laughs> and then you can add in some special. We're getting some comments from the peanut gallery here. Sixty is asking about the year 2000 and the fact that there are 39 days in this month. So. <laughs> <laughs> in the year 2000. 
Honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's actually pretty yeah. interesting. So well, it screwed up the month and yeah. got completely confused. Oh, uh, so, 39 wow. days in the month there. So. <laughs> I'm just going to try something. I wonder Is if this like a leap year on steroids? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't do that the last time I ran it, so i got to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm just going to try the resizable one. Maybe there's something problem with that uh, running individually. Here. And no, it's doing it here too. 39. Okay, I'll have to look into that because that it didn't do it the last time I tested well, it. It makes so. things interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a live demo. This kind of crap happens on live demos because mm -hmm. it normally does not do that. Nitrous Nine empowers your life so much you get extra days out of the month. Yeah, so yeah. You're sign so me up. Man. <laughs> <laughs> For those always wanting more time to get things done, use Nitrous Nine. <laughs> It's the most advanced operating system ever created. Yeah, it, it's so advanced it warps time and space itself. Was this the dreaded year 2000 bug? Uh, this was Y2K in a nutshell right here. Yeah. Actually, that's a question. I'm trying to date. Maybe I didn't punch in the date when I booted it up here. And it just has whatever random gibberish is in there. Ah, that was a problem. 31 days this year. Okay. I didn't punch in the date when I booted. That's what happened. I just hit enter and it just looked like You see, if you had a real-time clock, Curtis. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're <laughs> speaking my language, man. <laughs> it's going to be a non-issue. <laughs> Me so liking. Anyway, um, to get back to the actual function of the calendar here. So it adds in recurring events, and they have their own separate notes. Uh, you still got the notes that you can do in specific days. Like, Ron, you probably use the calendar here, too. Now, one thing I want to do, Todd Wallace has been doing ICS calendars where you can actually get over DriveWire or later on these network cards that Rick and a few others are working on. Um, so you can actually pull them off of your own, I, you know, off the web. You can pull in uh, live you know, events or, or you know, calendars that are shared between Cocoa mm -hmm. users or whatever else. And this one here, this version of calendar, the original one was written in C and we don't have source for it. This one, if I remember correctly, is actually written in assembly and it's much smaller. It should be not too hard to disassemble. So I'd eventually like to disassemble, then work with Todd to incorporate the ICS shared calendar stuff so we can actually share calendars between all of us here on the panel, for example, all right. and set up, you know, we're going to interview Frank. So in the near future, we'll be signing into Nitrous 9 with our Gmail account so it can sync our Google calendars and contacts and everything else, right? So. Yeah, without all your, ad, all your information being sold off to Google right, for ad so. content. So, yeah. Or your iCloud account, you know, depending on what uh, which god you worship. So. Uh. <laughs> yeah, let's we all know which one I worship. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like a walking billboard for the one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I, mean, I, I love how John Lowry refers to everything as we. You know, it's it's like it's like armchair quarterbacks. Oh, did you see how good we did in that game? Yeah, we we did it. You did a really great job playing that game last week, didn't you? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> So I, yes, real-time clock. That's that's what we need, folks. Yeah. When I put a birthday in my contact, uh, it goes to my calendar automatically. No, we don't need a real-time clock. Just put an NTP call in your calendar there. There you go. <laughs> this there is another go. new feature in the new calendar. So if you're doing normal stuff, like you punch in a date, you double-click it to, to, to fire it up. The original one just basically opened up a text box, and you just type in whatever notes you want for that date. This one actually lets you set times and events. So you can actually do a time and then what the event is and add a second time. So if you have multiple things in the same day, you can actually do it. And I can't remember if he's got it implemented in this one. I haven't really tried it too much yet, but there was talks about having alarms fire off so that you can actually have it audibly remind you you're in another window playing a game or, or assembling a program, whatever you're doing. It'll actually you know beep at you to tell you that there's an event you're going to remember, like you have an appointment, you have you have to go you know on to Discord to complain to Nick about his game or something, whatever it happens to be. <laughs> 
<clears throat> so he's actually added the timed events in here too. So that's also new on the on the new version. And I I, I think print was already in there if I remember. You can switch between sub calendars. So if you have a, a recurring event calendars, you can make multiple ones. So if you want to make it person specific, you have several people using the, the cocoa. I mean, this is probably more back from in the day than nowadays, but you could actually have separate calendars for each person and you can switch between them on the fly um, if you hadn't logged in as a different specific user. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's part of the new calendar. Um, now this is running in VCC and is this the 6309 version we're, we're looking at? 6809 version. Oh, 6809. So it's not even as fast as it would be on 6309. Yes. This is the slower version of the, of the two. Uh, Car I, I Karen's asking if it's got a cron daemon. So is there any type of uh, yes, thing running? Cron has been in there for a while. I think it's installed right now. Um, hopefully it is. I know we used it at work, so. Now the opposite. Cron oh no, it's not installed right now. Okay, well, that, thanks for reminding me, Sixty. I'll have to find my copy of that and put it back in. Because yeah, we do have a cron. So is the command to turn off the cron daemon croft? So it's cron and croft. Or croft? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that, that covers control panel. That covers the new calendar app. Um, like I said, the, the C compilers and stuff, we've got new help built in for some of those too, uh, for some of the new Unix utilities like grep and egrep and sgrep and awk and uh, I can't remember. Does it have man? Uh, which one? Man. Man, man is how you got a manual for things in, in the Linux. Um, well, we had the help command from before. Now it is G-Shell friendly eyes now, but you can actually type and get the you know, general topics. And if you want help on the manual, you type man, 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 man right? Yeah, I, I had a. <laughs> <laughs> so like, a, here's the help for the awk command, for example. Awk. And the newer help command actually has more prompts here, so a lot of pause. Oh, yeah. This is very robust. Subtopics. And... Yeah, but you're breaking the rules by giving specific examples. Man should never tell you how to actually use. This the isn't hand, though, so I don't have to follow those rules. <laughs> <laughs> this is help. <laughs> You're never going to learn anything unless you, we can keep it obscure. <laughs> uh. well, yeah, there's a ton of Unix utilities that are documented in the online documentation that you can download. Um, I'll mention a couple of things before I show a few last things here. Uh, there was a bug with mshell. I'd forgotten to copy over a file for full functionality. And I can't remember. I think it was DriveWire related. I can't remember exactly. But that's that's been added back in, so that should be working okay. DriveWire. DriveWire. TTL. <laughs> the the Musica player actually had a hidden option because there's no help built into the thing. But I, I actually went and disassembled it because I was trying to figure out how it works. And it actually has support for both the Speech System Stereo Sound Pack and the Orchestra 90 Stereo Pack and actually does play in stereo. Now, I don't know if it's hard-coded, like two voices left, two voices right all the time, or if that was settable within Musica itself. Because um, you can also play it through the DAC, you know, the regular Coco DAC for uh, you know, mono 6-bit output, but it actually does support the 8-bit output and stereo. And actually, I ran it on my Coco 3 here, and it actually ran in both speakers with separate voices playing. So that was kind of cool. I added in Robert Galt's small footprint icon editor, Icon Gen. I still prefer using Super Eye because it has a lot more features like shifting and filling borders in automatically and stuff. But you want a quick and dirty one, it actually loads really quick. So it takes less RAM. Um, 
I installed 09 GIF, <clears throat> which is a little bit slower than Vue, but it uh, is very small footprint too. Like the program's literally half the size and it has a couple features, which are nice. One of the features it has is that you can tell it to scale it to the current working area size of the window. So if I <clears throat> had a screen like this, and then I created a screen for a game, say this size, <clears throat> I can tell it to display a GIF, but force it to fit in the screen so it'll scale it down. So you can use that you know, like an adventure game if you want to you know, zoom up on something. You can print a small picture version of it. The guy clicks like an interbank incident, clicks to zoom it up. You can actually make a bigger window and then just tell it to redisplay the exact same file under that new size and it'll, you know, zoom it up to fit, which is kind of a neat feature that can be used for a couple of interesting things. So that's been installed. <clears throat> and uh, Will you include an iCloud lock feature for this? So if somebody has lost <laughs> their Nitrous 9 feature, they can go to yeah, iCloud and with two lock it out? Yeah, okay. <laughs> authentication being, I want to make know, sure if somebody required. steals my cocoa, I can lock that SOB out from using it. So. Find it <laughs> Find my cocoa. Find my cocoa. Where is my cocoa? Where in the actually, world nowadays, is my cocoa? <laughs> actually, nowadays you can do that. Open it up. Yeah. You put uh, some Apple Air tags put in, an Air tag in there, and you're in business. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a list here of the stuff that Jeff has submitted as, as having some optimizations here. So he's got the new 6809 uh, optimized compiler, optimized, optimized because of the C, uh, faster executive. Um, ISO stringizing and token pasting to the defined directive. I don't even understand what it means. Um, it sounds good. Yeah, it does. <laughs> sounds like chocolate. Um, CH own, which of course has changed the ownership of the file, which is something Chone. I used to have. A, yeah, I used Chone. to have that a different name utility that did that, but I've lost it over the years. But that's that's in there now, so you can change the owner of directories and files if. And it actually properly detects the super user, so it makes sure that you're not changing stuff you shouldn't be able to change. I, I always feel like I'm like Michael Jackson when I say Chamon and Chmod. Chmod! Chmon! <laughs> Chmon! Hee-hee! Yeah, it's all Linuxy stuff there. Yeah. Grep, egrep, and fgrep, I've mentioned those before. The older version did work. The newer versions are a lot more robust, so it's actually up to Unix-level standards. Um, and I use that a fair bit because you'll tell it to look for a certain variable across six pieces of source code, and you can just wild. So, is there file it. system security in Nitrous Nine? Like, um, yes. So it, there's like, like ACL based. Sorry. Is it like access control list based type stuff where you could lock a folder from a particular user? Yeah, it's based on on user numbers. Um, so basically, like when like de by default, Nitrous Nine and and OS Nine Level Two defaulted you to super user at all times. But if you set it up, if you remember TGB Chris on YouTube, we yeah. actually ran where he was logging in his Model 4 and he yeah. set up actual user accounts. So if you run login and then the person types in their username and password and you have them defined as user one. Okay. So if they you, can't if see you any create peons, you can then restrict them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, one thing OS9 does not have that Unix does is groups. You have just the super user and you mm, have individual so, users yeah. and that's it. Okay. So you're either so God or mortal. Nothing yes. in between. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of like life. Yeah. <laughs> Chamon! <laughs> and then I've got here the actual list of the other ones they've ported. So they got Awk, they've got Lex, Sed, TR, and YACC. They've Yuck. all been ported over now. You got Awk and Yak. Yeah. You guys can explain to me better what those things actually do. <laughs> Yet another compiler, compiler. Yet another compiler, compiler. Oh, Yak. Okay. So what exactly does that do? I saw, I saw that description, but I have no idea what that means. It helps you make it compilers. And generates a compiler for it. 
Yeah. Okay. It's a compiler compiler. <laughs> okay. All good compilers need compilers, Curtis. You should know this. <laughs> See, my, my gold standard is that the compiler is good enough to compile itself. Okay. That's, that's right. Good. So, yeah, Mikey is also saying that this is a tool for writing parsers and compilers. Yes. Lex is tokenizer. Awk is named because it's awkward to use, Ken Riker says. About <laughs> I'll agree with <laughs> This is God awkful. <laughs> so anyway, those are all pre-installed in now too, so that that's kind of cool. And then as far as the other things, I'll um <clears throat> I won't play the Sierra demo, which is actually a, a a game that I don't know if it's still in progress, it was in progress when it was released. So right now it's kind of a demo and it's the intro story to the game. That's actually kind of a cool, it's a fairly long intro uh, called Operation Recon. Um, I'll let you guys try that on your own, download it and try it out. It's in the uh, Level 2 Games Adventure graphical directory and it's got its own directory in there. The other game I added back in was uh, Sean Driscoll did one called Stranded Not of Gas. And he did this a couple of years before he did the GUI library for Base 9. So he's actually, it's a text adventure game basically. But it uh, uses the graphics system to paint the different parts with Ooh, a bit of a 3D look. I want to see this. Now, unfortunately, at this time, like a lot of us did back in the early days of Level 2, we didn't realize the most efficient ways of doing things. So to do these types of tricks, all you really have to do is, is create a string with the escape code sequences to change the working area of the window. <clears throat> and it's just a print or a put to the screen. Now, in the old days, when people first got level two, we got we had we have all this RAM now. We can we can fork a shell that forks something else, and that's what he did here. So every time he's changing the curse, the area that he's printing to, he does a shell display. So that it fork basically nine forks a shell. The shell forks the display command. The display command then interprets the text we're sending to it of the escape codes, executes those to print them to the screen, and then goes way back. So this is literally creating two sub processes, doing all the task creation process to creation, path descriptor creation, allocating memory, loading the stuff off disk and all the stuff just to do basically writing eight bytes of escape sequences. That sounds so like a fork and dog way to effing, do something. Yeah, well, it was, it was a quick and dirty way because you didn't have to learn anything. But yeah. it was very slow. And a lot of the very early programs in level two did this. And he improved that when he got to his GUI B library. This is one I will eventually decompile and patch to do it the proper way, mm. which will speed it up tremendously. So this is going to run a lot slower than it should. I mean, it functions, but. Hope you guys were all taking notes too. how it forked this and forked that and the, all kinds of forking stuff were going on here. So, yeah, I'm compiling all this into my. Yeah. History <laughs> of, well, you can uh, use that. You can use that uh, yet another compiler compiler. Yeah, that's do, right. Sure, yeah. But, so. Can you fork off? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't believe me. <laughs> So, yeah, for a text adventure game, he actually drew his own little title screen, I believe, in Cocomax 3 or something like that. So, Stranded and out of gas. I've been there on the highway sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And apparently this was you know, originally part one. As far as I know, he never did a part two. Now, I do see some issues with perspective here in the shadowing because you got <laughs> the guy's shadows to the right, spaceships going forward, so we have multiple light sources. This is like the whole moon landing conspiracy thing. Um, you're standing in a cockpit of your ship. I like windows. I like this. This is what I want to do with my adventure. I want to have little sections like this. There's a window on the west wall, two chairs here, control console. To the east is the passageway. Stranded and out of gas. Freeware. 
you have nothing. Yes, this is exactly n similar to what I'm envisioning with my UI for my text adventure. I like this. Thank you for showing me this. Look, chairs. There's nothing special about it. And then in, in, uh, in Basic 09, these windows, are they scroll within themselves? Yep. That's totally handled by Basic 09 and the GUI. You know, basically grab the graphics driver underneath. You don't have to do any special coding for this except to one escape sequence to say restrict and scroll within this area. Okay, so you kind of define the the board, the boundaries of the box. Yeah. And Kevin Holloway is asking, what's the link? And it looks like Sloopy just posted it, lcurtisboyle.com slash nitrous9 slash nitrous9html. Boom. There you go. Yep. Um, I, I will mention one other thing. I, I was trying to get this out because, I, like I said, we were running over a week late already. And I was—I promised that I was going to get it out the following weekend, and I was still not ready. So I basically stayed up till 5 a.m. on Monday and finally got it out. And I was so tired, I actually forgot to up, up late, update the zip with the newer one. So only one went with the updates; the other just put the old 6.0 one again. So I uh, ended up having to redo it again. So if you downloaded that very first day that I posted it, go re-download it because you got the old ones. Yeah, I've got that version. And what, so what the official <laughs> version now is beta 6.1. 6.1.0, yeah. Oh, i got to fix that now in my title description here on the... Okay. Or you just say 6.1, that's 6 fine. 6.1. This also, Bill and I have discussed this, and we've officially decided this is going to be the last beta. The next version is going to be just one of the... So, oh, wow. Really? Cool. So what, what, was the, what was the thinking behind, behind that? Because that's a huge maneuver where you're bringing this out of beta into a, like a legitimate release. Well, one, it, it's pretty darn stable. I mean, there's some programs that crash. There's been some talk of that on the Discord. Uh, programs that we haven't tested yet because there's so many programs on there. Um, <clears throat> but the, the OS itself, the core OS is pretty stable. Like my development one here has been literally running for, I think, five weeks straight now. And I'm compiling basic and doing assembly and everything else. And I haven't had to reboot it once. Um, and I'm you know, running graphics stuff and I'm running five windows at once. Has it prompted you stuff. for any type of updates at all? Because I know sometimes operating <laughs> systems want to update at well, the weirdest Well, that's the other thing, times. too. <laughs> one, one other thing we want to try to do on the next one is I'm going to, Bill and I are going to write an installer program so you can start actually just updating your existing images rather than having to overwrite it. Like we did have that hack this last while where you have the second hard drive image. So you can copy your own stuff on there and keep it separate. So when you install a new version, it doesn't wipe your stuff up. But it still wiped out your settings, like for the GUI colors and stuff like that. So we're going to change it. So you actually run this little installer on the second hard drive, and it'll just you know move stuff over and try to make it intelligent enough that for settings, like if you have any custom boots with your own drivers, the, the plan is that we're going to have it so that if a driver update comes in, it'll take whatever your current set of uh, swap boot, uh, OSINE boot files and whatever drivers you customize or if you're even using just stock ones, it'll split those apart in a temporary directory overwrite the new ones that have been updated and then merge it all back together and then you know put it back to normal but if you've customized and added your own hardware drivers for a 16550 serial card or network card or whatever else it'll actually leave those intact and not remove them by you know when you do an update so that's part of the plan there too the other reason for coming out of beta besides the fact that it's it's pretty stable and works pretty good right now is I was getting a lot a lot of people that are you know kind of new to it, and they take a look, and I mentioned, you know, you try Nitrous 9, it's pretty good, and then take a look, oh, that's beta, I don't want to do that because it's probably going to be unreliable. So it's giving the wrong impression, just having the word beta in the title. So I think the next version, we're, well, not, not think, we're going to the next version, just call it version well, 1. Well, how about gamma? Nitrous 9, gamma 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you once you release it officially, I mean, it's, it's, it's this is a, uh, what do they call it, the gold master? So this is the gold master, right? Yeah, I mean, technically, it kind of has been anyway. We've been trying to add features and fix bugs as we go, just like any operating system. But it's, 
like the alphas and the betas, the alphas definitely were alpha because a lot of stuff crashed. Even some of the built-in apps at Tandy sold crashed like crazy. So we did have to do some fixes. There were some bugs in Nitrous 9 3.3 uh, that we fixed. Like, you know, the arc command had a unsigned math to calculate and should have been signed. So some arcs worked, some arcs didn't. They just drew all over the place. So we fixed a lot of bugs now, but I, it's been pretty stable now. I don't see too many things. There's some programs that did things weird that we have to help patch. Uh, but basically, the operating system itself is pretty darn stable at this point. So, yeah, and the next version is going to be... I, I'm not doing a specific schedule on this either, because Bill and I both have a couple side projects we're working on we want to get done in the meantime, just to take a bit of a break from time. But we have a list of things to add. And Jeff and them are still working on you know compilers and stuff in the meantime. So we might do some interim updates just to the C compiler, just to certain things type thing. But the next major release will be called version 1. No firm date on that yet, because I don't know how long these side projects are going to take. Mm. Let me ask you something real quick, Curtis. Yeah. What has been the life cycle of the ease of use version of this now? How, how What has it been, a year, two years? Since the very first alphas? Since you started ease of use. When you got, when you, when Nitrous 9 made it back into your hands. I think. 2017? Okay, now you're asking to do math. Okay, let's do A, carry the one. We got 18. Let me check and just make sure 18, that's accurate. 19, 20. So we're looking at like four years. Uh, sure. Let me check, though. I've actually got the notes on the release dates here. Alpha 1 was November 11th of 2017. 2017. Uh, so, almost towards the end. Of, so, so let's say we got 2018, 2019, 2020. Four years. So four years. Four years. So you've been working on this this new incarnation for like four years now, which is an incredible amount of commitment that you've, you've done to this. Now, obviously, we prefer to call it insanity. But right. Yeah. Well, so I guess what, what a lot of people maybe don't even realize, you know, so the original OS 9, which was released by Microware, sold by Tandy. So OS 9 was the factory official operating system. Nitrous 9 was kind of the brainchild of you and Bill Noble, what, in the 90s, right? 92, we started Where you basically along with said, Gale and Alan DeCocco year two. And later. so you basically said, we're going to take what Microware did. We're going to decompile it. We're going to optimize it for the 6309 and for, I don't know how long it was a commercial product, right? So Nitrous 1992, 9, uh, I think we stopped selling it around 96, 97, and then became kind so of for, freeware. For about five years, this was a commercial product that was you, Bill, Westgale, and Alan yep. DeCock worked on. And and so. And then we did a freeware till about 2000. And, Two, I think, is when we stopped. Um, and then we released pay, it to the have, public. Did you have to pay Microware anything? Or like, how did that work with Microware having... No, the original versions of Nitrous 9 up until about 1.1516, somewhere in there, were actually patch files. So you get this disk and it would just patch the living crap out of the operating system. But that was getting more and more complicated as we went and more and more modules were changing. And then we had started adding in new features and you know, totally changing some code. Because back then it was 639 only. So one... It wasn't the original microware code anymore. I mean, we right. changed everything, basically. And, of course, we we're adding new features that, you know, standard OS 9 level 2 did not have, and the 6.9 version didn't exist, so, you know, standard people couldn't run it anyway. So around that point, 116 or 115 or whatever it was, we actually just started putting it out as a raw product. And now, in the current times, <clears throat> when Boise and them took over, when we handed the code over in 2002, they <clears throat> made some arrangements with microware. As long as it remains a free, <clears throat> non-collecting money you know, for profit type thing, they will allow us to keep going. So we're basically never allowed to charge for it. Basically, now let me a, ask. Let me ask you a question. Say that you you just you, you, 
you, you just decided to disregard that. I mean, what is microware right now? What are they up to these days? They're still, there's Nitrous 9 they still exists. They for ARM, yeah, Intel. Okay. Yeah. So if, if you decided to totally, you know, put this out as a commercial product, they would come down on you like a hammer because they're still a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, they would, they would not okay. want licensing. Right, right. Okay. And we've had Alan Badger on our show, who is the head of microware now, who is still making, and I said Nitrous 9, but it's the OS 9. So OS 9 still exists on modern hardware as a real-time operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's blessed the Nitrous 9 project even recently. Yeah. Um, as long as yeah. it's as a, long as we don't not for, for yeah, as long as it's a not it's for a profit. promotion for them. It's right, a promotion right, for them. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but so where I'm going with this is so we there's a history, right? There was OS 9, the original, then there was <laughs> about 5 years of Nitrous 9 as a commercial product, about 10 years of it being an open source product managed by the community at large and a, a small number of people. So Boise, yeah, Torm- Tormod, a few people. Um, so, and this is my take on it, kind of my own perspective. This is not, this is probably more opinion than fact, but I'm just trying to process the lens of how I've perceived Nitrous 9 myself. Um, I would say that when it was a current product, it was probably more of a hardcore audience than the casual consumer. Is that fairly true? At least... Um, yeah, it was, it was for the OS 9 diehards. Yeah, so it's kind of... A, listen, this is an operating system, right? So it's for somebody to be all, you know, tingly and, and, and getting excited about an operating system for an old machine, you're kind of a hardcore techie yeah. kind of person. So the, 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 the base audience for OS 9 or Nitrous 9 for the past 15 years has been pretty hardcore uh, devotees to this... I'd, I'd go back further than that. Even since the original 1992 conception, it was the hardcore. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot more hardcore people. And from what I hear so. before my time in the community, there was the divide, right? There was the nitrous, there was the OS9 camp and the yeah. RS DOS camp. So they were kind of divides in the community back, you know, going back 10, 15 years ago. Um, so, but as for, I've been in the community now five, six years. I'm losing count. Um, my hair wasn't gray when I started, um, or at least it was dyed. Um, yeah, then you met me and looked at Yeah. Me. So, um, you know, and when I got started in the hobby, uh, zero Fs of mine were given on whatever Nitrous 9 was or what it could do because it was techie, and I'm not techie. I'm, I'm the casual guy. You know, I'm not running an old computer for an old operating system. I'm not nostalgic about operating systems. I'm, I'm nostalgic about what the operating systems did for me, which was games and entertainment. You know, the, to me, operating system is a means to an end. It's under the hood. It's what I need to get to the game because that's my interest. So I gave zero Fs about Nitrous 9 um, for a long time time and so just to kind of toot your horn when you got involved and started taking it back into your hands the original nitrous nine guy and started doing stuff with it i think you've created a new buzz um the ease of use to me has created a buzz around what to me was not personally that interesting an operating system is not an interesting thing to me i don't get excited about a new update to windows i give zero f's about what new feature it is because you get excited but in a bad way because you you know what i mean so yeah i always look at it the operating system is is the necessary evil to run the applications or whatever it is you need and you know so most people don't get excited about operating systems right most whatever so but i think you've generated a new buzz i don't think when when you had to go to a website uh you know nobody was really promoting os9 nobody was really talking about what it did or how to use it or what was good about it you 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 had to have already known or you had to have been determined enough to want to learn how to use an antiquated operating system and to me that was never exciting there's no way i would have ever and ever 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 
figured out how to download it and how to make an image and how to run the image and then figure out how to use it. Zero time would have ever been spent by me wanting to learn that or figure it out. But the fact you've taken time, number one, you know, part of the ease of use is don't worry about how to boot it. It's here. Here's an image. Boot this image. Okay, number one, that makes it easy. I don't have to figure out how to download it, how to... That, that was the right. main impetus for right. doing this whole project um, in the first place, thanks to Nick Marini's. Because, I mean, right. I, even back in the day, if you wanted to boot OS 9, you could buy the Level 2 disk from Tandy. You could put it in Type DOS, and if you, with basic hardware, it would work. If you wanted to use anything extra, no hold disk controller, hard drive, whatever else, you had to custom make a boot file. That lost 90% of the audience right there. That was too complicated. They do it. It would get an OS 9 boot failed because they missed something or did something wrong. And that was just a uh, huge frustration to a ton of people. Right, I mean, us right. diehards did learn how to do that, but that that was kind of the snobbery thing, you know, getting in, oh, you guys can't figure that out, what's wrong with your brain type of thing. And that's right. what I wanted to change. Because right. I got I tasted my own medicine when I came back after 15 years because they changed so many of the commands and stuff here that the syntaxes that were muscle memory for me didn't work anymore. And, you know, the help wasn't pre-installed on some of the images for the actual command. So I typed type whatever, and they would never give me any help. The help was not built in the commands where they stripped them out. I mean, they did everything, you know, for the diehard to, you know, save memory or whatever else. But it made it harder to use. And I was, I helped write the damn thing. I couldn't figure out how to use parts of it anymore. So the whole poor reason the use of these projects started was I realized finally after 20 years what everybody else had been going through and trying to tell me all that time, like Nick and, and a bunch of others, but this is just too damn hard to set up on your own. Right, because when you think about it, it doesn't matter how good something is. If it's not easy to use or if it's not fun to use, who cares, you know? Yeah, or um, you've limited it only to the people that are going to take the extra right. time. Right, and so, yeah, so you've got, you've got this section of the community, these uber elitist, you know, techno guys who we know it all. We have the power. We're and real. I was we're, one of them. Yeah, we're them. real happy with what we know, and we have this exclusive club where we know it, and we're going to do it and screw everybody else. Nobody benefits. You guys love that operating system, but if you love it so much, wouldn't you want more people to start using yep. it too? And that whole mentality of if you don't know it, screw you, you're a loser. Um, you kind of broke that that bubble, right? And so I almost just like you think, just like you say, beta is uh, almost um, kind of hindering the um, perception of the product. It is literally hindering. I've had multiple Um, people come and say, you know, yeah. It's still in beta. I don't know if I want to right. trust it. It's, I almost think really, now, too, so. because unfortunately, the fact you've called it ease of use, some people have taken that as an opportunity to say, well, if you're making it easy, it's no good. It shouldn't be easy. That's Again, that's that's personal preference. But I almost think that maybe drop ease of use at this point in time. Maybe come up the name Nitrous 9 2K1, right? This is the 2021 version of Nitrous 9 or whatever they call it. And I can have to do these sports games on the game consoles like, you know, NFL 2K1 or whatever. But I almost think drop Drop beta, drop ease of use, because this is Nitrous 9. This is the first time now Nitrous 9 is back in your hands, you know, the original co-creators of it. Just call it what it is. It's Nitrous 9 2021, version 1. I still have to differentiate, though, because the the quote-unquote official branch of Nitrous 9 is still maintained. Yeah, that version sucks. That version sucks. Screw it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep ease of use because that actually, the words ease of use part of it actually helps sell it to the people that we're trying to shoot for. The diehards will just do whatever they want anyway. I mean, yeah, same as I. But did that whole day. dividing mentality, that elitist yeah. separatist. This is to break it down. Yeah, you know? yeah, you've broken that barrier, 
And you've got me interested, like I said, I'm never going to spend a lot of time on it, but if I can just boot it up on my SDC and double-click a game and run a game, you've lowered the barrier of entry for me to try stuff out. And that's what, get us, that's what gets us all interested in anything, right? What got me interested in the Cocoa? That I could boot up a cartridge or I could load up a tape and play a game, and then the more time I spent on it, the more my curiosity got the better over me and I learned more over time, right? So if you can get people to use something, even in a trivial way, and get them exposed to it and get them to try it, they may, if their interests lead them that path, they may want to spend more time. So the fact that you've even showed me this, this little screen we're looking at now with this text windowing thing, this is going to lend itself to a future project that's been mulling over in my mind for a while. Um, so I am going to want to leverage this in the future. So um, I so where I was leading with all of this, 45 minutes later, is I just want to thank you and congratulate you. And I want us all to give Curtis a huge round of applause because you spent the past four freaking years wasting your life on an antiquated operating system for an antiquated computer and just making it freaking awesome. And thank you for doing that. From the guy who's going to use it the least, I want to thank you the most, Curtis, from the bottom of my heart. So thank you for doing that. Oh, no now, let problem. me ask you and, a question, Curtis. Uh, thanks for nothing. <laughs> Actually, I was gonna th- I was gonna say thank you to Nick too because yeah. Nick Nick's the one that kind of you kept bugging me about this even back in the '90s. Like this is too damn hard and this is so frustrating. Hey, you do one change and it screws up and and now no, he's no. drawing trash cans. I mean, no. the world's changed. No, anyway, no. sorry, both bo- go ahead with your question. Ha- have you thought about what's going to happen to Nitrous Nine at, when the successor to the six three zero nine comes to light? World domination. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because there's going to be something else. There's Cyberdyne going to be systems, something else besides the 609 in the future that you can plop into a Cocoa 3 to make it even faster, right? Yeah, it depends on how they do it. Like, if they add extra features, I mean, the whole reason we did the 609 in the first place is because it added a whole bunch of extra features to the chips. So we reprogrammed right. it to do that. And because it's a modular system and the drivers handle all the specific hardware, the programs you write, the user programs, don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's so you don't have to rewrite those. You might have to, you know, tweak them for speed or whatever. So too fast. So yeah. So what what you're opening the door for? And my thought process here, boat, is that if you have a faster CPU, meaning software can run faster. Because one of the complaints about Nitrous Nine is that it's not going to run bare metal speed. So somebody like Nick Morentes will probably never develop a game for it because he can write to the hardware directly, bypass mm-hmm. the operating system, and make it faster. But Again, this is the Microsoft philosophy. Throw more software, throw more hardware at inefficient software, and it runs faster anyways. If you've got a super fast CPU and you've got drivers to take advantage of the 19 different sound cards that are out there and the 14 different real-time clocks and you know blinky lights and all these things, you don't have to know hardware. You can just develop for a super fast operating system that runs on a faster chip and you, and, and you can support any sound chip that exists and not have to figure out how to talk to the bare metal to do that. So I think a faster CPU would make Nitrous 9 a more compelling platform to start developing things yeah. for because you don't have to learn hardware as well. Right, you have that abstraction layer of just sending note D E F to sound driver and it sounds properly on hardware chip X, Y, or Z. Right. So well, we and already even, handle that. The gimme X. Right. Gimme yeah, X is giving us some sort of what yeah. that is anyway, and we have, right? Yeah. We have a gimme X version of Nitrous Nine that runs at two point eight six megahertz, so it runs yeah. noticeably faster. Well and to get to the modular bit, even drivers don't care about the CPU because all of all of the disk drivers feed through RBF man so if you fix RBF man all of the existing drivers still work regardless of what the CPU is doing 
Yeah. You know, because basically, like, uh, there's several layers of abstraction. There's the hardware drivers themselves that talk directly to the hardware. So that's where you'd write for a sound card, you write for the SDC versus a hard ID hard drive or whatever else. So that's one layer of abstraction. Then the uh, file managers, uh, the SCF and RBF file managers, and maybe an NF, you know, a network one later on, they abstract the the uh, higher level stuff, like how a file system is handled, like how do you open a file, how do you close a file. The driver is talking about sectors and stuff. It has no idea about files at all. So you got two levels of abstract, and then your programs actually call those and just, you know, you call from base commander, so you do an F open or an open number path or whatever. So that's, that's the, the extra layer of abstraction, which is why it's a bit slower than running you know, this basic. But we've optimized enough actually where faster than basic is pretty well everything at this point. You have to do, like Nick doesn't write, write core to the metal and assembly to get faster. But the nice thing is, is every time you do improvements, every program can take advantage of those. If we do speed ups, and then we've done a ton of those you know, ever since you started for the graphics subsystem, for example, 6809 is running much faster in certain things than it did even under 3.30. Um, so everybody gains this. Like a base 9 programmer can now write a game that runs faster than you could have done five years ago and without I, having to change a lick of your code. Curtis, nah. did I see a deskmate folder? Yes, yeah, deskmate has to be patched, though. It's it's still crashing. Yeah. And by the way, some of the stuff I was saying about how the camps were, that's old news. I don't think that has existed in modern Cocoa community times, but I've just heard stories of the past. Where it, those, it still does a little bit, but yeah. it's not as bad as it was. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think there are too many <clears throat> current divides on just about anything, but I just remember hearing horror stories, or not even not horror stories, but just stories of how things were before, you know, before the modern community. It's been around for the past half decade or so. But I just I, I want to applaud what you've done, Curtis. Sorry, Jason, were you going to say something? I, I just I uh, did I did I catch that you you thanked Curtis for wasting the last four years of his life. I did, I did. Yeah, uh, I, I want. <laughs> He's I not even including the previous you know ten that I did the original <laughs> commercial version. So. That's dedication, man. It really is. But yeah, I don't I don't look at this as you know OS nine for babies. I really don't because, you, like you said, you've fixed so many things. You've optimized so many things. So this yeah, is. I mean, does it? Does anybody think that at this time? I mean, EOU has turned into the de facto standard of OS nine. I mean, hasn't it? Uh, I think I guess the majority of people, on, yes. There, there's I, I, probably some old campers who would yeah. resist. We had one person who came on the, the board wanting to run native OS nine at one point, but. <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, the one thing we're trying to do this time, too, is we're, no, we're not, we didn't focus just, like, the first version of OS 9, we were just trying to speed up everything for the 6 or 9, period. That's all we were trying to do. <clears throat> On the EOU, the original, you know, goal was to get it much easier to use for the person that doesn't use OS 9 normally. Like, you know, running modern-style GUI-type stuff. And now we're trying to balance it between, we're adding new features, we're optimizing stuff, we're adding new drivers for extra hardware, and we're also continuously improving the, the GUI and everything else, too. So we're trying to appeal both to, you know, the more user style as well as the programmer style. That's why we, like, this particular... Yeah, release, all those got tools. A whole bunch of C yeah. compilers, yeah. So we're trying to appeal to both camps now at this point. Like You've got a compiler for compilers, man. Come on. Deception. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big Curtis, um, if you go to um, GIFs in there, are all the... Um, how, how can I show... Um, if you go to GIFs, you know, can you go there and and show me how to um, run? How do I run? How do I do play or not play? You want to do a slideshow? Uh, view. I want to view. Um, 
a, a GIF that I added in. Uh, it should just, if you copy to the GIF directory, it should just show up. So when you go into that directory, it should. So it shows up, but it doesn't have an icon. Did you name it .gif or did you name it something else? .gif. That should work. Huh. Now, if, if you copied it. If I go to a, a, a non-GUI screen and I, you know, do um, view and then the name, it'll come up. But <clears throat> it won't work in the. Let's take a look at that at Discord runoff to see exactly what oh, okay. what your system set up like because that should work. I mean, once right. that extension's been defined, it should work oh, whether you add new ones or you not. No, you know what it is. I have it on my H one. It's not in the. Um, ah, yeah, you'd have to copy the AF file over to there so that it knows on that drive that extension means that. So the AIF file is specific to each picture I put in. No, it's specific to each type of picture, like a GIF versus a VF versus a CM3 or whatever. And multi-view, doesn't it kind of pick them up as it goes from the base of the drive? So well, it picks them up to H1. It, it picks them up from directories you've accessed. So if Ron went straight to H1 after booting G-Shell and he hasn't gone to graphics GIFs on DD where the AF file that defines a GIF is, it'll have no idea what a GIF means on its own. So if he went into DD graphics GIFs first, and then it loads up and it does icons like I'm showing here at the music of stuff, and then you go to H1 and access your, your file. It should work. It's but a, if you're starting so you're on H1, we're going an, through that first. You're creating an well, association. Question. Yeah. yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, the association's not there if you're going right. straight to H1. Yeah, and Karen, Karen's pointing out a thing, too, is that everything that is mostly awesome about uh, Nitrous 9, especially Ease of Use Edition, is because the Cocoa 3 has all these extra modes. If you're on a Dragon, there is flavors of OS 9, but you're not going to get these kind of gimme modes and stuff either. So this is kind of, unfortunately, um, as much as I'm saying we're trying to break down elitism, there is a certain <laughs> hardware <laughs> necessity to run this, which would be a Cocoa 3, which, which unfortunately there is no Dragon equivalent of Cocoa 3s. Yeah, well, the biggest um, restriction there is the amount of RAM, because OS 9 level 1, Nitrous 9 level 1 that you're running on a Dragon 64K, the entire operating system, which takes about 20 to 30K, depending on what all you have installed in it, has to share memory with all your apps too. Like you have 64K period for everything. So you're you're limited on what you can do. If I wrote a G shell like GUI and G shell is 16K by itself right now on the Cobo 3, well, that's, you know, if my boot was 32K with, you know, hard drive drivers and whatever else is to see. And I had another 16K for the GUI. Well, that I'm down now down to 16K left for anything. Like programs, well, screens, whatever. So Because this is kind of driver based though, and they do have things like the Dragon MMU, which gives you five twelve K and an MMU, and there are yeah. No, if you rewrote it for that kind of stuff, you could yeah. you could push. So that. because it's driver based and somewhat modular, ease of use could be ported to a Dragon. Um, but it would require you have you know more than sixty four K. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would need like the Dragon MMU that has the five twelve K MMU type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so although this project specifically is not supporting a Dragon, the operating system does lend itself to that portability because of its kind of driver-based modular nature. Um, well, level two does work on a Cocoa one or two or Dragon if you use uh, mods Moo driver and Moo hardware add-on. Is that what it's called? I'm calling it the Dragon MMU. Is it the Moo? Is that what it is that has the... M-O-O-H. That's the memory yeah. management unit? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, 512K, if I remember. It, well, yeah, it has that in it, and I think the same technique could be ported to the uh, Coco PSG as well, because that has uh, a bunch of static RAM and flash ROM in it as well. So you you take a PSG or a Moo 
and a Coco VGA, and you can run level two on <laughs> the Coco one, two, and Dragon. Yeah, there's a bit more restrictions. Looks, if I remember correctly, the Moo and the Coco VGA cannot access video RAM outside of 64K, whereas the Coco three definitely can. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, it's not going to be a replacement for a gimme, but it is definitely more. Than yeah, it, it's doable, but you have to write the driver specifically for that system. You have to have all of your graphics RAM within and the main the 64K. Already does. Uh, the, the, well, I know it exists. I don't have a move, so I haven't been able to run it. But the way that it's described on Tormot's page, the same thing could work with the PSG or maybe Coco Flash. I'm not sure about that one. But that same kind of idea is that there are MMUs available for the Dragon and the Coco 1 and 2. So it is within the realm of reach. There you yeah. go. For the now, end. a comment from Fred. Uh, he said there are some who prefer to continue to do things old-fashioned. They prefer working with the command prompt uh, without a GUI, for example. And and that's very true, but that's the reason we're trying to shooting for both camps. That's why right. we've got you know, right. the new C compilers and the new make and all that kind of stuff. Because you can sit there in the command problem to do whatever right. you want so to do G-Shell. Nobody's going to stop. You know, yeah, there's, there's nothing's preventing you from using the CLI. In, yeah, you in, can just go over here and you have your yeah. multiple windows set up here to run whatever you want. You just know, hit clear. Yeah. <laughs> This, this you can just shut off and never touch it. Yeah. I mean, I know Jeff and a few of the other people yeah. actually do these uh, Unix utilities. They don't. Real run men don't need no good. <laughs> and I used to be one of them. I have to fully admit. You fancy pants, pansy boys with your gooish. Get off my gooey. Get off my, get off my CLI, you Latin loafers, lily boy. <laughs> Uh, I think Soy Boy wow. is the name you're looking for. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, you've done a hell of a job, and and the, I'm sure there's going to be people who appreciate it even more than I do, but I wanted to personally thank you. You going to play some music nice for us, man? I'm going to try. I don't know how this is going to work here with uh, Zoom. Nice trash barrel, though. Play some Skinnered, man. Yeah, I was just saying, a good trash can. I didn't even know what it, this is whatever got copied on there by Dillaway back when, so... Of course, these these are copied over from Musica on the uh, Coco One and Two. They're all eight point three file names, so they're not very descriptive. I don't pick pick one, Stevie. Free bird, man. Play some Skinnerd, man. <laughs> no, pick one that's <laughs> actually been a here. While. <laughs> uh, jump from Van Halen. We can't we can't go wrong with Jump. Yeah, it's, it's been a while since we had a copyright strike. Now playing. This song has no title. Six pick dat pork. Bill Pierce. Yeah, we're hearing it when you turn it up. Yeah, I think it's your microphone that's picking it up. Yeah, it is. It's not playing through the that same problem I had before with doing it you know, Discord. And it does sound better in the 8 bit port. Yeah, but you get the idea. You can double click yeah. a file and play it. It's getting more and more like Windows 3.1. By, by the year 2029, this would be like Windows 3.11. <laughs> what's, what's, what's Bright Eye? Turn around, Bright Eye. Is that Turn Around Bright Eyes? Uh, uh, could be. I don't know. Let's see. It's not called Bright Eye. No. I'm just waiting for OS 9 for work groups. <laughs> yeah, when we can play hearts on it, you have fully achieved glory. Yeah, can we set the hot dog stand? <laughs> that was so brutal. Uh. Black, yellow, red. Is it blind? 
No, I, I stopped it there. So, oh, okay. 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 Uh, that was that was that's actually the sound of silence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a Simon Garfunkel, isn't it? And when uh, you get the uh, after dark toasters flying across the screen and all that kind of stuff, on the dog biting through the wires and the wallpaper and all that good stuff. I actually we <laughs> we did originally plan to have screensaver hooks in the original, but now with the LCD monitors, I don't know if it's worthwhile doing anymore. Mm. Not Clippy. Solitaire. you got to have Solitaire. Solitaire, Free Cell, Hearts, all that good stuff. Other than those have been on there since like yeah. beta one or something. So. <laughs> so the takeaway from this is 6.1 is, is there, and yeah. the next release will no longer be called beta. Right. And there's no set uh, time, because Bill and I have a lot of big plans, but we also have a couple side projects we want to get finished first. So, and just on the way out here, I'll just play you a little bit of this... Uh, to, to play us out. I had play to draw this icon myself. Fourth hour. Thank you and good night. Look at enough RAM here. So this I is firing up a VDG screen. Coco Talk, you can just pop in and pop out all day long. That's right. I bet you I currently have my. I was doing some testing and I bet you have VCC set for 512K and I bet you I'm out of memory now. With out of memory. Morning. What an issue. Out of RAM. I forgot. Yeah. I should have reset that first before I started the demo. Whoops. That's <laughs> all right. Then you can, run the, you can run this on a 512K machine. It's just that I've got the calendar running and a few other extra shells and stuff here. So just take we'll care of we'll that, That's enough of a demo for now. So Yeah. So is, that, is that the green screen of death? <laughs> yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the funny thing is, is you guys have been saying the the, uh, the description that people use for OS 9 and Nitrous 9 is that it is a Unix-like operating system. I've been hearing that for decades. And the fact that you've got all these Unix utilities now ported over to it only further solidifies that statement. You know, when, you, when you're running Unix-level <laughs> commands on the Unix-like operating system, that's a testament to that statement, you know. Good yep. stuff. So we've got a lot of stuff planned. We want to do further X support. We want to start supporting the sound cards. Um, we've got some more optimizations. I've got more additions to the G shell I want to do. There's the optimization of the Sierra engine I want to do. Um, Coronas Rift, I'll probably do a, a, a not quite as extensive as Fresco Fragments, but I will do a, a patch to speed it up on the 639. And, and, you know, there's just a ton of stuff. We've got a list of about 50, 60 things we plan on working on. And you got a lot of people. It's kind of, you know, it's also reminding me when you start mentioning the other people you have working on this, like Jeff Tunison, uh, Deke, and um, uh, Jason Cyril's helping you work on the documentation. So you've kind of assembled yep. a team. Fred Launch has been doing stuff like the um, the new control panel. Like you've done to this, kind of like what I've done with the newsletter, where I've gathered more people to help, and it's no longer one or two people working on it, right? And, and Well, it's a little bit different because you basically sloughed off all of that. And uh, we're still you know, <laughs> doing some stuff on our own. But <laughs> what's the written in C? Eh? What? What? What's what is what is OS nine? What is Nitrous nine written in C? Nitrous nine. The operating system is all assembly. Oh, assembly. Okay. The utilities, like some of the Unix utilities stuff, that's all written in C. And there's some okay. other utilities written in Base nine. There's one or two probably written in Pascal or Fourth mm. or whatever too. A hell of a job, Curtis. Thank you for your continuing efforts. Yeah, so this one wasn't as game centric as some of the previous releases. We just added a couple, but uh, no, there's there's a spit ton on there. That's the great thing about this is it's a, it's just a huge 
uh, image of so many things to play around with, just to poke around with. You know, just double click away yep. and try stuff out. And you don't, if you are more of the hardcore command line OSE type person, it's there, right? Just close yep. down G Shell and just type away, right? Command away. So for those of you who are the old, the diehard, it's there. It's under the hood. It's always there. And for those of you who are the casual, just curious people, what can I do? What can I click on? You know, it's kind of like Windows 3.1 was a gateway to using the computers because not as many people use a computer when you only had MS-DOS, right? Because I don't know, I don't know how to type. I don't want to type in CD space this to change directory. But the minute I can click on an icon, so computers became more popular with a GUI, right? And so yep. for those who, and, and luckily I was able to use a PC at MS-DOS because I learned on a Cocoa. I learned how to type dir on the Cocoa. So, you know, dir wasn't a new command to me. Um, so, um, but as more and more people got exposed to computers who did not have previous backgrounds, um, menu systems and GUI systems just lowered the barrier to entry to get people using the machines. Um, so that, that you have that piece to help people who are casual jump in and, and try it. And then everything else, if you want, if you're a developer, the tools are there, right? Yep. So, um and get constantly getting improved. Like the tools are getting improved, the GUI is getting improved. And, you know, the and, actual and you've, you've, you've fixed so many things. You've optimized so many things. So it hasn't been just putting some some graphical polish on the same old thing. You're actually improving, like you mentioned, Basic 09 runs faster. So you're optimizing things. And yeah. so you're taking even the existing Nitrous 9 project that's been around for a decade and you're making that better too. So there's there's a lot going on in here, not just a new GUI and a lot of icons. It's just there's improvements and it's continuously being improved. And you've got a team of people working on this. And so bravo to all of the ease of use team and the beta testers and the users and everything else. So yeah, a big big thank you to all the people that did the development tools this round here because that was a huge amount of work for all of them. And uh, you know, Bill and I were not directly involved with pretty well any of that. I mean, Bill tested a fair bit of it. I didn't get a chance to, but. Uh, this is very much turning into a community effort. It's not just billing me anymore. Mm -hmm. Cool. And Jason, you've been in and out. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to talk about, project updates or stories to share, anything like that? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Uh, yeah, I'm just usually in here with a smart like comment. Uh, <laughs> uh, just continuing to work on what I'm working on, uh, you know, with the Joey high-res and those kind of things, and just... Uh, uh, real life's getting in the way a lot of that stuff, but uh, it, it is uh, slowly, uh, slowly catching up on that. Stuff. Now I'm not sure if you were treated to hearing me play the ukulele earlier. Did you get to hear me play the ukulele? Because I can play it again. <laughs> um, if, I, if, I say, if, if I say I already heard it, then you won't play. Yeah. <laughs> Stevie always with the threats. That's right. I, I spent significant. I heard it already. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent significantly more than five dollars on this one, so. Oh, it was $10, wasn't yeah, it? exactly. So, uh, Walmart special. That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, anyone else? Maybe we'll run the outro and then we'll come back for final thoughts. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. Yep. I'm gonna press the outro yep. button. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. 
Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Levy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rondell Vole, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! singing boat competition though like you guys do so well all right well that concludes another quality episode in the can coco top episode 212 well in the can indeed in the the can i was referring to the toilet or the garbage (laughs) can that nick morenti's designed for us um thank you curtis boyle for that update on ease of use beta 6.1 the final beta Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Frodo. Thank you, Kevin Holloway. Torsten has been here, and Frederick D. Preventia, Tom Eric Gunderson, Sloopy Malibu, James Jones, Nick Morota, Rick Yu, and James Jones, and Kevin, and uh, Samuel Guys has been here. Ken Reichert has been here. L. Can Brizon has been here. Oh, this is some guy. You want to be followers? Follow me here by blah, blah, screw you. Okay, Sixie was here. James was here. Mikey, he likes it. He likes it. He, Mikey likes the snoozy newsy. Mike Craig was here. I think he's still snoozing. Yeah. Right? Explore VR, Ben Drakes, and Retro Rewind CA has been here. And Sloopy Malibu with the links, hot on the links. And Ken Reichert and Retro and Buck Owens has been here. All kinds of people have been here. Uh, as we scroll back, Frodo, Erico has been here. Mike Craig, L. Curtis Boyle, Worldwide 
a wide world of retro and all kinds of people are here. So thank you for watching and uh, long live the Coco and the Dragon and the MC-10 and the Alice. And I've said this for years, Nitrous 9 is one of the most advanced operating systems ever yeah. invented. And what makes it? It's almost as good as ukulele. Yeah. And what makes it so good, as Nick Morentes would say, ease of use. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most advanced operating system ever invented, right? Um <laughs> So, is the only operating system name ever to come out of a joke? <laughs> that's that's the funny part, though. Like Nick, basically, you know, there's a saying: if you build it, they will come. If you bitch about it, they'll fix it, right? So Nick Morantes yeah, has right. been bitching about OS nine for so long that finally <laughs> we started making it better, right? So, um, unlike Microsoft, <laughs> yeah, why don't you bitch about all kinds of other stuff? The economy, actually, the environment. Nick, Nick has some bitches about Windows ten because one of the updates actually breaks the way VCC handles sound on his machine. So. Oh yeah, we gotta love the Windows ten updates, huh? All right. Well, thank you, audience, as always, for being here. Thank you, panel. Any final thoughts, anyone? Be here next week. Uh, Frank will be on from from. Uh, let me show off the shirt here again. From Retro Rewind Retro to talk Rewind. about that. Some possible hardware projects for the Coco, including an upgraded CPU that runs way faster, and maybe you know, maybe doing some real time clock, sound chip. Uh, bitter, blitter, we need a blitter, we need a sprite chip, we need a sound chip, we need real-time clock, we need a flux capacitor, a quad inline multiplexer frequency division modulation, uh, upscaling tuner defibrillator, um, you name it, we need it. These are Unix commands you're talking about. <laughs> Drivewire, hey, TTL. Hey, Stevie, you want a sprite chip? I want a Cherry Coke Zero. <laughs> Dear God, help us all. Nick Murata, any final thoughts from you? Uh, I'm really glad that you and I have something else in common now, Stevie. That's right. We have, well, you've got the gorgeous hair, um, uh, yes. but you've got great taste in musical instruments. I've always said that about <laughs> you, Nick. I've always said that about you. Uh-huh. Uh, been, I've been talking about Nitrous 9 being incredible, the ukulele, one of the most impressive instruments ever invented. Um, MC10, fabulous machine. Nitrous 9, incredible operating system. Uh, Ron Delvaux, thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you for all yeah. you do. Boat of Car, thank you for being here. John Schaller, Curtis Always Boyle. Always a pleasure. Thank Always you. Always a pleasure. Rick Eulen, thank you for being here. Jason Reichert, eh, not so much. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark Bosley, thanks for being here. Nick Morentes, thanks for staying awake part of the time. Alan Murphy, thank you for you. Audience, thank you. Say goodbye, everybody. We're going to press the button. Goodbye, See you next everybody. Week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.